Hello, everyone. I'm Welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 433. I'm your host, Chris joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, as we record this, this Thanksgiving week. And, of course, uh, this show will drop after that. But uh hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I am as well. I am hoping I had a happy Thanksgiving. I'm curious. I don't. I don't know if we ever talked about stuff. I mean, so for Thanksgiving, what is the normal, uh, normal Dixon Span family routine? Nowadays, or when I was younger. I mean, when it, whatever, whatever, both. I don't. I know. mean, when I was younger, or when I was a kid, into teen years and stuff, and maybe even a little after. Um, my aunt, my uh, my father's sister, usually hosted Thanksgiving. Uh huh. She would be taking care of most of the stuff um, with, you know, more recently, um, this will probably be the first year my family's doing something since the pandemic, but it'll be at my parents' place. Um, and generally what we'll do is we'll get uh, we'll get turkey and some stuff from Lido Kosher Deli and my mom will make some other stuff. Okay. All right. Because I was curious, you know, I mean, you're up in the north, and I kind of expect that things go differently in the in the regions uh, sometimes. And down, well, we down don't start here. Thanksgiving dinner at 1 p.m. That's one difference. Well, we don't either. I mean, my, we've, always <laughs> ate, we've always ate late. Well, yes, uh, you've said that before. Wait, that Yeah, we, we would usually arrive at, like, 5? Yeah, we, we, we started we start eating – Probably six ish between six six thirty, because um, my dad and my grandfather and my brother would go deer hunting, mm. and then uh, then once they got deer, done hunting and got home and got you know showered and dressed and stuff, then we would have dinner and stuff like that, and also. Um, my brother's in-laws, they always had lunch. So they would go over there and they would have lunch over there and blah, 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 blah. And then hunting in the middle and this and the other. But we've always done Thanksgiving in the evening. But yeah, I mean, I get having it as a lunch, but I don't know. Just I think I think it works better, in my opinion, as a, an evening m- meal, personally. Yes, I, I, you, I don't you, you build, understand it. You build up to it, you know what I'm saying? Yes. You build up to the – because like I'll eat some very small for lunch. That way when it comes time for dinner, it's time to really, you know, get it going. Yes. But we've always, we've always done it, you know, at, at my parents' house, and uh, that's where it's always been. And uh, as long as my mom's alive, that's where it's always going to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah, so um, – it's always Thanksgiving and Christmas. Just this season is always my favorite time of the year. So gotcha. it's a good time. Other than working. Now, <laughs> this is not my favorite time of the year to be working. Uh, yes, it, free turkeys. Well, the grocery business is just hectic during this time of year because, I mean, a lot of people are buying groceries and cooking and stuff. And it's just a hectic time. You know, but uh, but yeah, but it's still hold on. Long. I'm pulling up the circular to see what your place of employment has going on this week. Yeah, it's been a while since we've uh, we've done that bit. <laughs> we're we're not good. Our turkey is high, 
because we're surround everybody that's surrounding us is just kicking the shit out of us with our yeah turkey. i see there's no free turkey promotion or if there was well, we don't it's do done that. we don't do that okay um but like food depot they're running their turkey for 45 cents a pound <laughs> limit two with a 25 order i'm like Holy shit! Because <laughs> like yeah, I see your your big turkey deal is a Genio with pop up timer for a dollar sixty nine a pound. Yeah, and it's just like well, and it cost us a dollar sixty three. So pound. I'm saying we're yeah. not we're not making the money. I mean we're not making nothing. But uh, Ingles is like fifty seven cents. Kroger's fifty nine cents. I mean, all the, the grocery stores around us are just kicking the shit out of us. Now, we be, we're beating them on hams, though. We're selling the fool out of some hams. But turkeys is just, we got to shift some out to some of the other stores in the company to try to get some of our excess inventory out of there. Mm, yeah, and I see you've also got the uh, fit, sweet potatoes, 59 cents a pound. There's a... Yeah, and... and uh, Collard greens. Ingles is popping us on that. Uh, they got 39 cents. Um, yeah, collard greens. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of our specialties. We sold the fool out of some damn collards. We got some collard, collard green eating mofos down here. Multiple items from Boston, butt. yeah, Boston, butt bone in, you got your, your fan, you got your two pack, you get two butts and you bone in a lot of people, um, break out the pellet grills and, and smoke some butts. They'll do that for you know Thanksgiving too with the with the turkey. Hmm. Yeah, not one of our best ads, but uh, <laughs> because I mean it's just the re- the retails. It's the retails, man. I mean stuff ain't what it used to be. Cranberry sauce a dollar ninety nine a can, which is crazy. Eggs. I'm just giving y'all folks the heads up that's listening. Eggs is going up like a motherfucker again. Uh, um, like. We have a restaurant in town that buys their eggs from us. They buy about the case. They buy the two and a half dozen medium eggs. Their call, their uh, cost on their case of eggs has jumped up twenty three dollars in two weeks. Ew. Yes, no explanation as to why. And there, there's nothing in the news out there about there being egg shortages. I mean, didn't it come out <laughs> that the thing earlier in the year that that wasn't a real shortage either? Yeah, it's, it, this this is basically uh, jack up the cost for the holiday season, the way it looks. We just did the price change file today as uh, we record this show because we do it every Monday. Mm-hmm. And uh, that came through and I was like, you got to be kidding me right now. We went th- We went a month and a half. In September and October, without the eggs even changing prices, and then the holiday season comes around, and it slowly started ticking up, and then, woof. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, um, a two and a half dozen medium egg regular retail now is probably about seven bucks, starting this week at our store, mm-hmm. seven dollars. It's just insane, but yeah, that's the grocery business. It's a uh, it's quite the interesting uh, situation to deal with. But uh, anyway, we hope all of you that's listening had a great Thanksgiving as now we're in the Christmas season. So uh, exciting times always. But anyway, and we got a new Patreon show coming. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, it should drop as uh, you're listening. If it hasn't dropped already, which possibly it might. Yeah. But uh, it, 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 will, it will be out before the end of November. 
So everybody look out for that. And so we have a great show talking about the One Warrior what Nation, 1998 Ultimate War in WCW, which is full insanity in many ways. So uh, everybody be on the lookout for that. And next week we'll talk more about it at the beginning of the show. All right. So we're going to the week that was November 22nd through the 28th of 1989. Interesting year in wrestling history. And Dave has some thoughts on Thanksgiving. What a difference a few years makes. Thanksgiving, traditionally the biggest day of the year in pro wrestling in the United States. And not only the Thursday night, but the rest of the weekend used to be filled with holiday spectaculars around the country that packed the fans in. The wrestling business has changed a lot in the last few years. Back in 1983, six years ago, which in the wrestling business is several eternities, Thanksgiving night was probably the biggest night in the history of wrestling when it came to live crowds. All across America, pro wrestling was packing them in. World-class sold-out reunion arena, some 18,500 tickets, and turning away another six to 8,000 away to see a lose leave time match between Kerry Von Aaron and Michael Hayes. In St. Paul, the AWA was finished up their biggest year in the history of the promotion with a sellout of around 18,000 at the St. Paul Civic Center. Followed a few days later with a sellout in Chicago to boot. And that was at the uh, Rosemont Horizon. In Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, San Antonio, and many other cities, the holiday shows drew more than 5,000 fans in these smaller promotions. In Atlanta, the annual tag tournament in the Omni drew something like 13,000 fans. WF with Bob Backlund facing his month last month as champion drew crowds of six to ten thousand per night over the holiday weekend. And in Greensboro it was Starcade, the first closed circuit pro wrestling event ever to cover such a wide territory, three states and into Puerto Rico. With not only a sell in Greensboro fifteen thousand five hundred to see Rick Flair regain the NBA top from Holiday Race, but some forty thousand more fans watching the event on closed circuit. Those kind of live attendance figures are from another era. One when pro wrestling was one year or so away from becoming fashionable. Just a few scant weeks for wrestling as we knew it changed when Hulk Hogan, Gene Oka, and Roddy Piper joined up with Titan Sports. Bob Backlund was taken from the spotlight, and the World Wrestling Federation became synonymous with pro wrestling. It's crazy to think about, about you know, that night and how it drew so much, and then everything's about to change in a month and a half. You know? Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it was not all the territories were successful by any stretch of imagination. But those Thanksgiving night shows were just something else. Now, WWF, okay, now WWF, on the, you know, on one hand, Dave mentions them. He didn't mention it like they're told, but they ran the spectrum that, that day. It only drew 7,752 fans. What year? 83. That's not a strong house. That's what, and that's what Backlund and Sheik on, on top of the main event. Mm. But 7,752. And in Starcade, the exact number was 15,447. Um, I don't have attendance from uh, Chinch Wrestling, Florida. They ran Orlando. Um, Jarrett's, they ran Jackson which was every Thanksgiving night. They always ran Jackson. No n- numbers there. Kansas City had a big show. Of course, Reunion Arena was 17,148. That's the official number there. I have the gate for that, by the way. Yeah. The gate for that. Hold on. Did I close San it? Antonio was, you know, was, was going on. Okay, uh, I got it. It was, yeah, Reunion Arena, and that's with the turn away, which I don't think I realized was a thing until you read that just now that they turned away thousands of fans. 
So that was $169,204 adjusted for inflation over $413,000 gained. Yeah, not too shabby. Uh, trying to see who else ran. And by of course, the way, we, should, we should note, though, to be clear, because I feel like people forget this, too. In 89, we're in year three of four where Survivor Series is Thanksgiving night. It's not till 91 that it's Thanksgiving Eve. It was Which really we'll only on Thanksgiving Eve for, what, three, four years? Yeah, we'll get into that as we go along. Um, AWA, I have 13,100, so that's less than what Dave says. Um, Portland ran Salem, their usual Thursday night. So, I mean, everybody ran. I mean, everybody ran major shows, you know, on that night. Now, four years later, on Thanksgiving 87, the last major battle of the wrestling war, which just started a few weeks after what was probably wrestling's biggest day ever, finished. While that was a year later for Jim Crockett, I had a still majority interest in Jim Crockett promotions. The last vestige of the formerly powerful National Wrestling Alliance, many point to Thanksgiving 87, in particular the fourth quarter of 87, as a key period which brought wrestling to where it is today. The whole story has been covered in Matt Watch in detail. Crockett, after hearing the figure of $31 million at Titan Gross at WrestleMania 3, the realistic figure was 17, by the way, saw those dollar signs dangling in front of his head and figured Thanksgiving night, Stark A7 would be the day NWA became Major League. Stark A, which had the four successful promotions on previous Thanksgiving night, started in 1983 on closed circuit, would go national this time. Pay-per-view. The potential income was limitless. The traditional live site of Greensboro, which has sold out well in advance for the four previous Star K shows when it had to share the live car with Atlanta the previous two years, was moved to Chicago, the third largest market in the country for Chi-Town Heat. The battle was lost months before the show ever took place. Titan Sports planned Survivor Series the same night from Richville, Ohio on pay-per-view. Coming off the incredible success of WrestleMania 3, his previous preview outing, McMahon had a lot of leverage in this industry in its infancy. Almost every company which had promised to carry Star K backed off when faced with a McMahon ultimatum. He wouldn't offer his show to any company which carried Star K. Nor would he allow those offending companies the right to carry WrestleMania 4 either. Out of about 260 major cable companies, which at that time had capabilities, capabilities, something like six stayed in the NWA. A few in the Southeast, they believe one or two in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where NWA had their offices, and a company in San Jose, California, some because they had the company refuse to go back on his word when he originally carried, agreed to carry the Crockett show. So you got your thing where, you know, people you know, have said over the years, well, if they would have had it so-and-so and stuff like that, it still doesn't change the fact that McMahon put the pressure on these cable companies to not carry the show. Yeah, the, the pay-per-view would have been fucked regardless. Yeah, the show could have been – the whole show could have been in Greensboro. It wouldn't have mattered in the end because the pay-per-view would have been, was fucked anyway Yeah, because of Vince. You know, I mean the only thing I wonder if something would have changed – what if they decided to do the pay review the night before? Do it on Nassau. Thanksgiving Eve. I mean, even I mean, I guess you could even say it doesn't even have to be Nassau. Just say whatever it is they book Thanksgiving Eve. Well, yeah, but so we're doing it in Nassau. Do do the Nassau show. You know the War Games. I mean, that War Games wasn't the. I mean, that was we never seen throwaway. it. I know what I'm saying, but like storyline wise, it's a throwaway War Games. Yeah, but still, it's war games on pay-per-view. Yeah. That hadn't been done. 
they they you know they were promoting the hell that commercial tape. Now you get to see one live. Mm. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but no matter what, again, it could have been anywhere. We should know, by the way, they had more closed circuit than people realized too. Philly had closed circuit, I think, at the Civic Center. New York City had closed circuit, I believe. All the of their all of their home bases had, had their arenas had closed circuit. Well, I'm saying even more than their arenas, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't well, think Philly, people realize New York was a is. Stop. No, but, but New York City Philly. at the Beacon. Yeah, but Philly was a normal stop. Sure. Thanksgiving weekend 1989 shows just how much the wrestling business has changed over the past few years. Survivor Series 3 on pay-per-view was the big show of the weekend, but aside from one show, business of the holiday weekend was nothing to celebrate. St. Paul, Minnesota was one of the cities that made Thanksgiving wrestling tradition. This year, with Hulk Hogan going against local product Mr. Perfect at the St. Paul Civic Center on the day before Thanksgiving, the result was a paltry 3,700 fans. Madison Square Garden, which always sold out, usually in advance over holiday weekend, had their smallest crowd in over a decade at 8,200. Given the NWA's problem with drawing fans to house shows this year, nobody would probably be disappointed with the 7,500 that turned out for Thanksgiving night in the Omni. But the 3,300 in Baltimore Saturday night and the 1,400 in Philadelphia that afternoon, on what's traditionally the best weekend of the year to draw fans, has been numbing. 1,400 in Philly. We'll have more on that in later. <laughs> the rest of the day shows drew over the weekend as well, with the exception of the California shows and, of course, Survivor Series. The lone holiday wrestling tradition left and the only legitimate box office success of the weekend drew 15294 and a $239,917 gate to the Rosemont Horizon, Chicago. The gate's the third best ever in the Windy City, trailing an NWA-AWA combined show a few years back at White, White Sox Park, Kaminsky Park, and a live show in WrestleMania 2 from the Rosemont Horizon with inflated ticket prices, which feature half a dozen NFL players in a battle royal. Some will say Survivor Series took the edge off the live crowds over the rest of the weekend, and to an extent, there's some validity to that. However, Survivor Series on pay-per-view was, the past two years was where the crowd, when the crowds over the holiday weekend were a lot stronger than they were this year. And the vast majority of America still don't have pay-per-view capabilities. Yeah, including me. Based on previous Dave's got, figures Dave's gotten, the buy rate looks to be around 3.3%, which is up from last year's 2.8 for the same show. Other sources are putting the figure somewhere between 2.8 and 3.0. As for the marketing of the show itself, Dave kind of expected it to do slightly better than last year because it was promoted better on television. Plus, all those airings of the Countdown show on USA, which is a two-hour commercial which aired four times, that made up for the matchups themselves. Made a lot less interesting than the previous years. A 3% buy rate with a universe of nearly 12 million homes would indicate about 350,000 buys and upwards $7 million in gross revenue. The split on pay-per-view is 50% for the cable operators, 45% for Titan, and 5% for viewers' choice requests, and whoever the syndicator is. That 5% in Titan's attempt to eliminate the middlemen from the picture is what caused all the furor prior to WrestleMania last year, and nearly got Titan's big show knocked off the pay-per-view. However, what, was ha- what has happened over a few things in the past that have a small factor in the revenue. While traditional pay-per-view are late buys, and there's usually a $5 surcharge on the late buys, some of the extra $5 on, on the late buys never gets into the pot. Also, there are people who order the show and don't pay when the cable book comes in the next month. Although I don't know how much effective that really is, Dave said. And the Crockett had the beef with one of the syndicators in 88 over this subject and cost them one major cable syndicate for Starcade 88. Realistically, Titan's revenue preview for Survivor Series should be around $3.15 million and cost about $1.35 million to put on the show. So the profit margin should be about $1.8 million. 
In comparison, the base profit margin for Halloween Havoc was said to be 1.25 million. Other Titan sources dispute that figure, saying it couldn't have been that high. Uh, is the thing is, is that the wrestling had changed. I mean, you go back in the day when everybody's running Thanksgiving night. These are all regional promotions that are usually are basically a lot of them are running their regular stops, but they're running. You know, some of them are running their, running big shows in their in their big market. Yes, but it. That wrestling has changed. It's now national wrestling. It's either NWA or WWF. And, you know, when you only have two games in town, basically, it's going to make a difference in wrestling attendance for that time. And also in 89, you know, NWA, even though we're going to get into this as we go along, we'll be always talking about this there. Their TV ratings are amazing. It's not translating to business. But the WWF is the one that's freaky because, you know, Hogan and Savage had that hot run. They're not doing it now. You know, Hogan's basically got the Zeus thing still going, and he's transitioning over the perfect. And Savage is mixed into the Zeus stuff, though. Savage tied into Zeus, but Savage is is also not doing on another... this show, though. No, Savage is doing other things too. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's, it's, they should they should be doing better. There's really no reason why they're not doing better business. But I don't know. I mean, it's just it, 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 the the business has changed. It's changing even more at this time. Yes. Um, I, I pulled up the Matt Watch story that Dave is referring to, that appears to be from roughly our week too, or at least going into our week. Um. I don't know if there's anything really that Steve covered here I, that Dave did Yeah, I mean, not. I saw that. It's just it's a it's a lot of Steve stuff. Yeah, a lot uh, of Steve rehashing stuff. That's why I never there really is a quote him. here. One of the oh oh, I wonder who this is. One of this talking about a eighty-seven. One of this country's top wrestling insiders told me at the time, Vince doesn't care if this thing Survivor Series loses money. He just wants to burn Crockett. Oh, one of this country's top wrestling insiders. Why do we get these coded references to Dave Meltzer and Matt Watch so much? I don't know when Dave when Dave talks about Steve, he talks about Steve. Mentions either Matt Watch or Steve Beverly by name. Steve, if he's talking about a conversation he had with Dave that was not like a hundred percent official, it's always. A, a a noted wrestling insider or something, but it also could be Joe Pettacino. I guess so. That's true. Um, oh, Steve also yeah said that Crockett projected ten million dollars in pay per view revenue. I guess for the year. So, yeah. yeah. And but it is something that story goes is that Crockett saw WrestleMania three and, and like I got to have my version of that. Not understanding what all goes into it. I mean, yes, but... I mean, I think he was right to try to maneuver into pay-per-view, though. Well, that's not the, what I'm talking about, though. He wanted to do his version of WrestleMania 3. WrestleMania 3 was was, was on pay-per-view, but it, 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 it was not 
touted from being on pay-per-view. It was touted more for closed circuit. I mean, it was both. That's the, the, the WrestleMania three is the one where they really converge. And then they, and then pay-per-view starts to take over more the following year. Cause they did, you know, they did like 500, you know, it turns out probably about 520,000 pay-per-view buys, but they also sold 450,000 closed circuit tickets. But, you watched the, the the advertisement for for the show that they really never mentioned pay review. Did well though. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's well. all about they did it's like all an, about closed circuit. You know, whatever was like an eight buy rate. Yeah. So that was a heavy jo- uh, advertising job, obviously, by the cable operators. I guess. Now, does it ever get reported anywhere why Survivor Series switched to Thanksgiving Eve? Uh, I don't know. Was it to see if the wrestlers could get to spend some of Thanksgiving with the fa- their families or anything? Like I that? guess. I guess they thought I mean, it was... that doesn't sound like Vince, though. Uh, who knows? I don't know. But yeah, the times they definitely were changing. All right, well, let's move on now to the National Wrestling Alliance. Ric Flair is now chairman of the booking committee, but not the booker anymore. Basically, a way to strip him of power without stripping him of his position. Basically, he's not—he's not the primary voice, or the—I guess—or he's not the person with veto power, but he's still nominally the chair of the committee. Yeah, but this is when Jim Hurd starts getting more involved and pissing Flair off too. Because Jim Hurd's on the booking committee. Yes. That that's what this is. More than anything else. You know, I think Flair. The story goes that Flair got tired of being the booker. Well, no, he got tired of being the chairman of the booking committee and dealing with all the shit that the committee was was dealing. Yes. I think Flair enjoyed it when he was the guy who was the be all end all. That took input from people, but it was, you know, just, you know, whatever. It was inf- informal or whatever you want to call it. Not a straight committee that Jim Hurd's on trying to do what he wants to do. Hmm. So, yeah. So there's that. As mentioned last week, Sid Vicious collapsed on November 18th at the St. Louis airport when the broken rib he apparently suffered three days earlier the clash. Nobody knows for sure when the injury occurred. Speculation is it was when Scott Steiner gave him the blockbuster suplex, puncturing his lung. The latest reports Dave's heard on Sid is that he was hospitalized by midweek. It was definitely be able to return by the show, which but it wasn't ruled out as po- impossible, meaning uh, Starcade. The last day, word Dave heard is that if Sid isn't able to appear, that the skyscrapers will be replaced in the iron team by the Samoan SWAT team. While this will make for better actual matches, that replacement will be well received by a lot of people purchasing the event. Dave doesn't expect any announcement to be made about Sid's injury at any time, and instead they're just having continuing no-show all the house shows, so these Warriors skyscraper matches advertised never take place, which must thrill the paying customers to no end. That's already one strike against the show. If they put in a last-minute replacement team without any advance warning, there's also still a lot of internal disagreement as to how both tournaments should end up and what should be done to get through to that point. If the skyscrapers are out, one of the best division to wind up being either the Steiners or the Road Warriors. 
since everyone's been told over and over again beforehand on television that Lex Luger's going to win the singles thing, Dave guesses that makes him a favorite going in, although other ideas have been bandied about. Okay. Um, I believe the consensus historically has been that it was not the blockbuster suplex that caused the injury to Sid, but it was the uh, tilt-a-whirl that's got it. Yeah. And I mean, this was serious shit. I mean, he could have died. <clears throat> Excuse me, a puncture lung is uh, not a, nothing to, to play around with. I mean, honestly, it's kind of a miracle that he's only out six months. Yeah, and it looks the same when he comes back. I mean, he's bigger when he comes back. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. So, it did hurt him to be out. He comes back, and he's still over. He's a member of the Horseman when he comes back. So, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, one thing we've talked about before is that, like, at the time, WCW was considered charitable for still paying him while he was out and covering his medical expenses. Absolutely. Which is ridiculous. That's the way they should be handling things. But it's still the old business at this point. WCW's only existed for a year. Or close enough to the old business. So these, you know, we're talking about people who were around for Magnum TA and stuff, you know, and Barry Jarso blowing out his knee and all that, where the way it was handled was that every wrestler pledged $25 out of their weekly paychecks and Crockett would match it. Yeah. So presumably that's why everyone is acting like they're being like extremely charitable as opposed to just doing the right thing. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Thanksgiving at the Omni. 7,500 fans. That, you know, 89 WCW, I'd be curious to know paid versus paper. That ain't bad. Uh, no, not this time. All right, we have the New Zealand Militia. Ripping Jack over Brad Anderson and Trent Knight, half a star. Mike Rotunda over Norm and the Lunatic using the ropes, half a star. Tom Zink over Michael P.S. Hayes, three quarters of a star. Rory Adam over Danny Spivey by DQ and Tay Long interfered, star and a half. All three Samoans, SST and Samoan Savage over Tommy Rich, Eddie Gilman, Ranger Ross, star and a half. Steiners over Doom by disqualification. Before the match started, Doom stuffed pile drove Rick, who was carried out. Scott worked the whole way by himself, mainly against Simmons, since Reed was limping badly because he blew out his knee in Columbus, Ohio, three days earlier. But Rick ended up running in, three stars. Midnight's over Dynamic Dudes, turned three-quarter stars, using the tennis racket. Sting with a double count out with Lex, three stars. And Flair beat Muda by disqualification in 30 minutes in a total Japanese-style match. With a crowd into it, pretty good. Luger and Fear for the DQ. Sting made the save, although it says Savage here. Sting made the Savage. Three and a half stars. Yes. And, uh, okay, I checked the uh, Midnight Express scrapbook. This did a $72,000 gate, so, I mean, you would know better than me, but based on ticket prices at the time, it sounds like that's largely paid, right? Uh, yeah. So, not a bad showing really i mean given the state of the company no well and especially no. what we're gonna get to the you know two days later in their best city 
Baltimore on the 25th, you're 3,300 with the same results as Atlanta, except Doom beat the Steiners by DQ, the same bit they did with Rick. Ole Anderson, Gary Hart, Luger, and Sting all interfered after the Flair Muda match, and Luger and Sting finish was the old dusty finish where Sting threw him over the top rope after the rep bump, pinned Luger, ref counted three to win the title, second reverse decision. Says they haven't done that finish for an entire year. There's nothing wrong with it, but they start relying on it, though, to destroy the remnants of the business that Dusty Rose didn't finish off. That is weird that they went with that finish. Because it's so dusty, and this company was trying to get away from dusty, dusty it, stuff. The first pay-per-view of the year, they literally did a finish where the me- in the main event where the message was, no more dusty finishes. Yeah, that is weird. St. Crew worked that afternoon in Philadelphia. They drew 1,400 fans. Second lowest crowd the enemy has ever drawn in that city since they started coming. Only card which drew worse was headlined by Steamboat and the Iron Sheik, and Flair wasn't on the show. While New Haven on the 26th drew 1,600 with the same results in line, except Samu didn't arrive in time, so Fatu and the Savage beat Ranger Ross and Gilbert attack, and Steiners beat Doom by pinfall. Okay, so that's $18,000 gate for Philly. $32,000 gate for Baltimore, and then uh, 15000 in New Haven. Not good. Uh, no. <laughs> Not at all. And at this time, they're running, basically they run the same shows. Yes. Um, there's not a whole lot of differences going on. Um, it's just, that's another thing too. I mean, there's also the time where they're doing house show promos, when they're saying, when I come to your town, Mm-hmm. Never good. I hated that because there's no, there's no, there's there's nothing about it that's it's just homogenized. You know, it's just not unique. You know, uh, Philly. Okay, here the Philly thing exactly the same show as Atlanta, exactly the same. Fourteen hundred fans. Um, they take the center stage on the twenty eighth. For the next two weeks on TBS, the show there's on December the 9th was headlined by Ric Flair. Surprise for Gary Hart, which turned out to be only an Arn Anderson. He got a big pop live, but with the cards with the dual feature of Flair and Anderson versus Muda, Buzzsaw, and Dragon Master, and Sting versus Luger will do any business at all is questionable. Yeah. The Midnight Express announced it would work three times and gave any job or team five grand if they could lose in five minutes. They beat the first two teams, and then a third team of Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson came out. And it was the dudes and their mask, and they beat them in the last 20 seconds. Danny Davis worked under the hood as a Galaxian and lost to Tom Sink. Can the women return as a heel, even lighter than before, and interfering the might return a Tommy Rich match? Oh, I'm sure oh, he'll sure. have a long, fruitful run there. Oh, and that is the might return the Tommy Rich match, too. Uh, they are now doing a bit where Norm has a crush on a woman and takes photos of her at ringside. Wait, wait, so did they edit that out, then? Uh, probably so. Because he he doesn't show up in the version that airs right well they redid the ver- they redid that match oh, 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 oh so the so the wait so wait so the version with the lights going out and to- and uh tommy young getting injured is a retape no i think they did that they did it again in a rematch Okay, well, that. you called it the mike rotunda tommy rich match I was but i think i think but i think that is the match then they did it again, where, I mean, maybe Wyndham interfered in the second version. But if I'm not mistaken, I'm looking it up now just to be sure. Um, 
to be sure when that which, which one that took place. Yeah, I'm couple, looking up the. Air I know. Date. I know they did too. Okay, this one just says December. Well, I'm going to somewhere I can get it exactly. All right, let's see. All right, so this would have aired on. I mean, I see there is one from the. Okay, the one that airs on the ninth is the Tommy Young match. Okay, that's the one. So the Kendall Wyndham run-in is completely excised from the match, then. Because uh, obviously we know Kendall Wyndham does not interfere in that match. It is a famous match, and I think we would both remember if Kendall Wyndham did a run-in. No, he didn't. All right, so... No, he's at ringside. Oh. Uh, Kendall Wyndham shows at ringside watching a match. Uh, he got kicked up by Nick Patrick as the match was going on. How far in is that? So he didn't interfere. When he he got kicked out, the match kept going, and then the lights went out. So it's right before the lights go out. Okay. Yes. So he was there. But anyway. All right. Then, uh, on the December oh, the 16th lights, show. Wait, did the lights go out twice? They went out and then back on and then out again? I think so. On December 16th was the debut of Cactus Jack Manson. This may not air as a trial match as a job with Rick Fargo against Steiners. And the Fargo got beat, Manson attacked him. It aired. All the interviews backstage were backstage, so no talk about Starcade, which will be over in front of the fans. Norman beat Cuban Sanson, Zinc over Simone Savage, Brady Q, and Tay Long. Now it's a $350 bounty on Norman's head. Okay. Um, we should explain the whole cactus thing, I guess. So we talked about four. Yeah, we have, but we should explain it here. So the deal was was that you have the booking committee at the time, which is who do we have? I mean, as far as actively working, Flair is the chair. Cornette and Sullivan are writing the TVs is the best way to put it, right? There are others there, but yeah. that's that's the main arrangement. Cornette and Sullivan could not hire anyone, but they booked the job, guys. That's, for example, why Danny Davis is there and why Ken Wayne comes in soon after. And you get other guys that they're familiar with coming in or in this era. Um, they both badly wanted Mick to get hired. So to get him hired, they did the only thing they could do to do with them, basically brute force it in themselves, which was to do the gimmick where he would be booked as a job guy. His partners would lose the match in these tag team matches, and then he kept turning on his partners after. Now, is that brute force or Bruce force? Brute force. Okay. That was a really clever idea. Always stuck out to me. I thought it was a cool idea as a kid. And uh, what's the other thing I was going to say? Boy, Cornette loves that uh, the jobber team with the fake names gimmick. And then it's really the baby faces they're feuding with thing. Yeah. It's Wayne and Dick Grayson, Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer. It's a trope that he used, yes. Well, Rock and Roll Express was Mr. Wrestling and one of Mr. Wrestling 2 in uh, Mid-South. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Now, speaking of, let's go to the World Championship Wrestling in the Air during our week. Where uh, Midnight Express was supposed to have a match. Well, let's see what happens. And his partner, who hails from Memphis, Tennessee, Jason Walker. And introducing their opponents, making their way into the ring area. Well, I thought they were going to wrestle. They're not going to wrestle like that, are they? Certainly not, Jim. They must be 
must be here for an interview or something. Maybe they didn't even realize they were here to wrestle. I was supposed to talk to Cornette after the match, but they are dressed to wrestle quite obviously. You know, I was really pleased. They're not dressed to wrestle, but they are dressed like wrestlers. But Cornette, and Cornette's not dressed like Cornette would be in, in a, in, as a manager. He's wearing a more normal suit, yes. He's wearing a dark, he's wearing a, like a, 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 he's wearing dark slacks, and he's wearing a brown blazer with like a navy blue shirt. So it is still kind of a wild mi mismatch, but it's not loud. Right. Very low-key. It is not uh, the uh, ones that bear striking resemblance to Lupin or whatever the comparison everyone Yeah, he's not wearing like uh, hot pink or... Yellow or, or yellow, red, you're right? Yellow, red, and green together, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Stan and Bobby are wearing Astro Wash jeans and long sleeve shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Stan's shirt looks like his club attire. <laughs> yeah, he's looking like he's ready to hit Rupert's after the show. It, it looks like it's probably what he was wearing when McFoley saw him carrying 10 bottles of baby oil to his hotel room. <laughs> yeah. Or Frankie's at the Prado or some shit like that. I yeah, gotta say, like, I don't know if Mick was exaggerating or not. I don't understand how you get 10 bottles. Like, what well, do you use 10 bottles for? He, maybe he was doing some type of uh, hot oil massage or something like that. Some ladies. Ten? Well, he's Stan Lane. He probably had ten women. I don't know if you need a whole bottle for that. Okay. It's the events at the Clash 9 when the dudes finally will show who the Midnight Express really are. You like this tactics? It was a big trap, you know. I liked it. It was a devious plan. He laid it down and they fell it into it. Wow, JR's doing such a great job of making it sound like they're actually at center stage. <laughs> yeah, Stan does look amazing here. His hair, yes. Oh, his hair is in full Stephen Dane mode, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like rats. <laughs> well, I guess I like to know what we're going to do here. Hey, with, what do you uh, say about rats? Fill it into it like rats, you know? I liked it. It was a devious plan. He laid it down, and they fill it into it like rats. What <laughs> Uh, I guess, I like to know what we're gonna do here. Is, uh, we'll find out, I guess. Let me tell you something. We just told the promoters in the back, and now we're gonna tell you people that Bobby and I are the greatest tag team in the world today. And we're not gonna come out of here and wrestle these two nothing happening punks. We're not gonna waste our time. You know, nothing personal, guys. It's probably not your fault that your parents were blood relatives. But Bobby and I are not going to waste the time <laughs> I wonder to take off our right. clothes and lace our boots up and wrestle you two goose. Oh, you know whose parents aren't blood relatives, though, Chris? <laughs> Lauren Boberts. Yes. Although that would have been the case even if Stan was her father. <laughs> and the, the opponents are Lee Scott and Jason Walker. Yes. So... Well, that certainly was a, a humble statement to make. That's a big win for this guy's career, huh? Beating Excuse the Midnight me, Express. But you did sign a contract to wrestle here today, and if you don't do so right now, I will count you out. Go ahead and count us out. If he thinks he can count the ten, he can go ahead and do it. Well, referee Nick Patrick, very competent official. I'll assure you he can count to ten. You know, I had a lot of referees count me out, but uh, he's doing a great job. The referee's doing what he's supposed to do. 
successfully executed. You know, I heard just a small smattering of booze out there from you people. Well, let me tell you something. We need some competition right here, somebody to prove just exactly how great the Midnight Express is. Now you can cheer us, you can boo us, you can sing us Christmas carols. I don't really care because you people have been an albatross. You've been an anchor around our neck for the past year and we have cut the rope on the anchor and we got rid of the albatross. If you want to know what's been holding the Midnight Express down, then just go home tonight and look in the mirror if you've even got one in a... Didn't that storyline start in, like, the summer? Or the fall? They, their official babyface turn didn't take place until the Paul Lee angle. Even, I mean, the Horseman deal was not a babyface turn. Mm, true. It, it wasn't. It's the either, war- depending on how you look at it, it's either Road Warriors title switch or the poly thing the following weekend yeah it was the poly thing basically the fans were cheering them and stuff like that but they weren't officially baby faces until that happened it's basically Cornette's promo after the poly thing is when it's like yeah. official yeah yes yes stinky little welfare shots you live in now the dynamic dudes you say you're going to be some competition in the Midnight Express. Well, let me tell you something, punks. If you got the guts to get back in the ring with the Midnight Express again, brother, we're not only going to embarrass you this time, we're going to hurt you because we ain't playing around, especially with a couple of punks like you. Most miserable two months I ever spent in my life was trying to act like I was friends with them. And one more thing before I go, next week on the NWA main event right here on TBS, we want to get some attention. Ric Flair, if you got the guts, and I know you got guts, 
put the world title on the line in a single match against beautiful Bobby right here next week. First time ever, and we'll get some attention. <laughs> All right, fans, we'll talk more about that in the hour, but when we come back, the Stinger will be with us in one moment. And of course, uh, boy, Jim Hurd is not happy with that Ric Flair Bobby match. <laughs> well, it's Jim fucking Hurd. Yeah, but the st- well, the story was basically that um, what is it? Flair wins by DQ, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. Then Jim Hurd throws a fit like, "All right, our world champion can't even beat Bobby Eaton." So then uh, they book a rematch where to make Hurd happy. They have Flair, like, beat Bobby and also lay out Cornette and Lane and stand tall with the racket. Yeah, it's just Jim Hurd. Great matches, by the way, though. Of course. What do you expect? I mean, if, you, uh, if you're someone who was always disappointed by the Clash match, these are the Bobby and Ric Flair singles matches you want to see. The thing is about this, though, is when doing this turn here, the dynamic dudes were just not the baby faces for this turn because the fans just were not into those guys. Mm-mm. I get the turn. The angle was a good angle. I understand it. It's just the dudes weren't those guys. They weren't going to be able to carry their end of an actual program with the Midnights. In, in the fans' eyes, no. Yeah. And then, I, well, then yeah. Shane Douglas just screws it over worse. Yes. By doing an end run around the one guy in the booking team who actually wanted to do something with him. Yeah. All right, so the main event of this TV show was Ric Flair against the Great Muda for the title. Yeah, main event of, a, of the TV show. So we're going to start. We're going to have a Flair's promo. Then we'll have Gary Hart's promo. And then we'll play the ending of the match. So let's start with the Nature Boy. And this is not the Japanese... Oh, yeah, the Japanese-style match was actually... That was at the Omni. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes. All right. So let's see what we got. Japanese. Hot, Hot moves. moves. Yeah. Yep. to speak with the six times heavyweight champion of the world. I'm here with nature boy Ric Flair, who later tonight will... Speaking of hair... Oh, Flair, yeah, Flair's hair is fantastic. He is quaffed here. Yes. Yes, he is. Oh, and he's wearing the uh, Stark 83 robe. He's wearing this blue robe, yeah. I mean, I don't think there was more than one of those, right? I think yeah, there, just... was, yeah, there, oh, was. there was. There was more than one powder blue robe. This, was okay. the, this is the the late eighties version. The Star Kid eighty three robe is a skinnier robe. This is a heavier robe. Okay, gotcha. Yes. We'll be wrestling the Great Muda in the main event. I really need to introduce you and Conrad then. If, you, <laughs> if, if, you, if you're noticing that kind of detail. Well, we were in the same building once at the same time, but I, 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 that never happened. Oh, you mean when he was just silently sitting at the top of uh, the Saudi Daisy High School gym with Bruce Mitchell? <laughs> yes. And then left before anyone else could talk to him? Yes. Yes. Well, that was when he was really starting to get going, too. He, when he, he wasn't, you know, major yet. Because at that time, I think it was just the Flair podcast. At that time. No, that's 2018, so Bruce would have been going by then. I'm talking about Conrad's Conrad's thing. That's what I'm saying with Conrad. Conrad would have been doing the Bruce Pritchard podcast by then. That's in 2016, I think. 
No. That started after us. We started in 2015. That, yeah, but I think it was 2017, maybe. I don't know. I'm double-checking. Uh, Something to wrestle with. Is there a Wikipedia page? August 15th. Uh, no, scroll down. Yeah, August 5th, 5th, 2016. That's what I thought. Okay, so yeah, it's been on for two years by SCI 2018. Yeah, well, still. Anyway. Rick Starcade, I know it lays heavily on your mind, but tonight, the great Muda, a man that has yet to be pinned in the NWA. Not only a man that has yet to be pinned, but a man that made the mistake of sticking his nose in my business. Now, there's no denying that Gary Hart and I have been involved in one of the hottest feuds in the history of this sport. The Great Muta is recognized around the world as not only the world television champion, but as one of the finest all-around athletes to ever compete in this sport. So for me, to wrestle him here on national television is one of the greatest thrills of my wrestling career because everyone knows I pride myself on being the best and to be the best you've got to beat the competition. Now Muda, let's look at it realistically. You and I got a problem. Luger, if you're out there and can hear this, you and I got a problem. So look at it like this. In Starcade, Atlanta, Georgia, December 13th, there's going to be four men in that ring and I'll guarantee you that Sting and I will go at each other like we used to a year ago. But Muta, you and Luger, however the draw goes, Muta, think about it. Before the 13th, pal, you got me right here in about 15 minutes. So look at it. Learn to love it. Better yet, learn to live with it, pal, because I'm going to knock those... Chinese, Japanese, pearly white teeth right down your throat. Woo! Uh, from Anyway, well, Nature Boy Rick Flair, that's coming up later in the hour. But right now, let's go back to Y106, Rhubarb Jones. Uncle Ruby. Ladies and gentlemen. You think that was him having just a brain fart and meaning to say Japanese? Maybe. I mean, at least he didn't say Oriental. <laughs> at least he didn't do an accent. Or, uh, what was it? I was just watching, uh, I was watching something from, I forget what year it was, where, uh, of course, back, you know, the, the word Jap would be thrown around a lot in wrestling, so mm. he didn't say that, at least. All right, so now, Buzz Sawyer has made his return to the NWA, and he had a squash match, and uh, him and Gary Hart had a promo where Gary Hart talked about the Flair Muda match, so let's go to that. The way, Nature Boy Ric Flair and the Great Muta, I know you'll be at ringside. Yes, I'm the same. Okay. I'm trying to tell you, Gary. I told you Terry Funk was a quitter. I told you that. I know you did. All people from Texas are quitters. Do you remember the You lay down and you quit. I, Ric Flair, I will die before I quit. What is he doing with his promos here? <laughs> Is he been He's hanging around Gary too much? <laughs> He's Buzz Sawyer. The, you, you know the, the, the best thing about uh, the, the heel promos of this era at WCW is Jim Ross, the facials he makes behind them as they're talking. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that Jim's condition has really robbed us of. 
you know, sadly as him because he was so great at making facials. Yes. And the fact that, you know, Bell's palsy, you know, has done what it's done to his face where he just really can't do it anymore. You know, it's just, it's just sad. Yeah. It really is. I never put nothing in my There's life. One. I want to see. You know what was really enjoyable? I was laying back last night watching what happened to Flair and the destruction. Move down, bad. They just bad. <laughs> the mad dog's mad. Let me tell you something. JTEX is bigger than Terry Funk. JTEX is an international organization conceived and dedicated for one purpose, is to take the world heavyweight champion from Ricky Flair. And Ricky it Flair. could happen right here on TBS within a matter of moments. But remember, the only quitter JTEX ever had was you, Terry Funk. Yeah. You're going to be a quitter too, Ricky Flair. Yeah. Fans will find out because Ric Flair and the Great Muda will be up next. All right. So let's go to the finish of that match now as uh, we pick it up with Flair making a comeback. This is Did it air like that with that weird fade to the announcers? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think it was commercial. And whoever uploaded this just yeah, there's no commercial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
barricade or before, someone's not going to make it. We have seen the Steiner brothers in action this week, the World Tag Team Champions. They are entered in the Ironman division at Starcade. The, the Steiners will wrestle for the first time the Road Warriors at that event. Plus, the Road Warriors will take on Doom for the first time. That's going to be something. We're going to talk more about that next week, but the tag team competition is going to be very physical. It certainly is, and if physical. I had to pick a favorite right now, I'd go with the Road Warriors. And fans, remember, the confrontation involving the Midnight Express and the Dynamic Dudes. What a matchup that will be. A lot of scores to be settled there. We'll talk more about that. Don't forget the NWA Man Event this Sunday night at 6.05. For Kevin Sullivan, I'm Jim Ross saying so long, everybody. Love Kevin being exploiting that he's one of the bookers and making sure he gives the correct answer as to who's going to win the tournament. <laughs> this is also Kevin's first uh, color job here on this, this show. This night. Okay. Yeah. Yep. He was very yep. good. I Him and Ross were, were well together, I thought. He was a very good color commentator. I mean... Because he wasn't doing... He was actually doing color analysis and not playing a character. Yes. He, even though he was Kevin Sullivan, he was still doing straight color. Yeah. Mick Foley actually based his color style on Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Because he felt like very few people had really used him as an inspiration, and he always liked Kevin's work from this period. Yeah. I mean, Kevin's one of the first, Kevin's commentary was one of the first things that got him over on national television. So, yeah. Well, TV ratings set in a new high over the week. World Change of Wrestling drew a 3.1 rating with Flair Mood on top. That rating was the highest WCW has done going back well one, over one year. Even more impressive is the rating was achieved going head-to-head with Catholics versus Convicts 2, Miami and Notre Dame, which is the highest rated college football game in two years. Yes, because that was the rematch of Catholics versus Convicts 1 the year earlier, which was a... Uh, one of the most famous college football games in history. Yeah. And the funny thing about Catholics versus Convicts is Notre Dame is supposed to be the Catholic school, but the Miami was was billed as the Catholics in that whole thing because Notre Dame had some issues in that era with some, some football players getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, main event with Luger and Pillman as the main event did a 3.1 rating as well. Power Hour with Flair might return the replay on top did a 2.5. Over the past weekend, NWS cable shows outranked WS cable shows by a full three points. Wait, what did he mean when he said, you mean combined or? I guess, yeah. Aver- okay, so I have, I have the full slate in front of me in Matt Watch. World Championship Wrestling did a 3-1 rating, 5 share, 1.58 million homes. Main event just behind it, same rating, 5.1 share, 1.57 million homes. Prime time was third place for the week, 3.0 rating, 4.4 share, 1.46 million homes. Power hour, 2.5 rating, 4.4 share, 1.27 million homes. All American uh, was uh, 2.4 rating, 5.7 share, 1.16 million homes. And the Power Hour Saturday morning replay was a 0.7 rating, 6.5 share, uh, 356,000 homes. Great TV ratings. Not great at the at the box office. No. And, well, also we need to mention, since we're coming off of Clash 9, they just had the high, the most watched match in the history of cable television up to this point. Yeah. Like, and it's also a testament to that booking committee. And, again, it shows. And, like, 
I feel like we're seeing some of this with AEW now, although the ratings aren't quite as exemplary relative to, you know, what's going on at the time. They're not bad. They're still doing highly rated among most cable shows for the night. But and we've talked about this a million times, although we haven't as much lately, like it really shows just how bad that live event division was and the live event booking was that a company that is doing this kind of ratings is not drawing. Well, you got to you got to have something to make the people want to come out and see it. Yeah. I mean, people will watch on TV because it's free and they got to leave their home. You got to do something to make them come out and watch it. And well, and as we talked about uh, before, too, the house shows were, I mean, not as much at this point, but the house show lineups were often very disconnected from the TV programs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Clash 9 was a 4.9 rating for across the whole show. 4.9 rating, 7.8 share, 2.5, 1 million homes. And then does this have what the rating for the match was? Let me see. Does it? I'm not sure it does. Oh, here we go. Uh, third highest ratings in Clash history. Um, it doesn't have the breakdown as far as how the main event did, but it, it, yeah, like I said, it ends up being the most watched match in cable history up to this point. Flare Funk, which is then beaten uh, less than a year later by a tie between Luger Sting and, uh, I mean, excuse me, Luger Flare and Sting Black Scorpion at Clash 12. Yeah. But, I mean, even WWF is doing great ratings. It's just WCW's ahead of them. And yeah. the WCW thing's n- more notable because their ratings had tanked under uh, under George Scott. Yes. And going into that, too. So. <laughs> All right, Torch. Road Warriors ex- agreed to extend their contract through December 1990. Well. <laughs> and then within a few months, Heard is like, I need to cut your pay. Yeah. And that's why they end up leaving. I I had forgotten they had just signed an extension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you know, like I mean, when Cornette talks about how Heard killed their negotiating power with free agents, I totally believe that. Of Shit course, like that, like the Tully Blanchard thing, like yeah, of course. Listen, it it was felt they couldn't trust them. Yeah. All right. Uh. Pillman should be out about three more weeks with medial collateral ligament damage. Worst possible timing for him to have injury. The yeah, worst. He has momentum as a singles wrestler all of a sudden. The worst. He's one of Sting and Flair's guys, and now he can't wrestle. Yeah, this is like right when they start the thing of him as Flair's protege. Here's the question. If Pillman's not hurt, you think he's in a horseman? That they make it a four-man plus Oli horseman? Mm-hmm. Right, because Ole's not supposed to. Ole's not there as a wrestler. No, the injuries start like until there end up being all the injury issues and they're shorthanded. It was going to be Tully anyway, but if with Tully not doing what he did, do they put Pillman in the slot? And then 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 do we? And then do they they just turn on? I don't. Or do we get them turning on Sting and Pillman? I don't know. That'd be the different thing, but yeah, I don't know. The Flair Muda match on TV Saturday is where the submission moves most of the way. Good Japanese-style match where people watching the match weren't Japanese. 
fans have to be educated as to what holds mean by making a submission working against jobbers for using them in big matches for long periods of time where it appeared to be simply rest holds. Match still had good heat, mainly because it was the hottest matchup in center stage in a long time. Muda blew red mist in Flair's face, making it like he was bl- being left laying in blood. Where he, uh, a ban, uh, there's a ban of blood on television. That's a thing that not just with the mist in this era, there are a few instances where they try to get around that. You know, it, like there was the milk in not not them, but you know there was the whole deal with the milk and the Breakfast Club in Portland to try to come up with something similar. Here we've got Muda laying people out with the red mist. There's a uh, Kevin Sullivan hitting Norman with the painting and the paint running. Yeah. Any any others I'm forgetting? Uh, none I can think of. Okay. Kevin Sullivan did color on TBS this past weekend, and comparing him to Michael Hayes, Hayes is more colorful, more entertaining to listen to. However, Sullivan gets across all the angles and ideas that need to be put across, and he doesn't use the stage as a form to get his own personality over. There you go. Dave hits it right there, perfectly. Hmm? And as bookers, as announcers go, he doesn't come off, like, overly explanatory like some do. Like Bischoff could, <laughs> like J.J. Dillon could in promos. He comes off very natural. He doesn't come off like I am the booker trying to explain something to you. Too bad Sullivan didn't do any uh, color work in WCW later on when he was the booker. You know? Well, he had to appease Hogan in his program with him, uh... Yeah. Devote his time to his segments with Father. Yes. Working against Buzz Sawyer has to be the single least fun job in professional wrestling. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I bet it was. All right, Matt Watch. A real question is how much effect will the firing of Carl and Ilya Mernick as event coordinators will have on the NWA? The Murnicks, said to be on track to work for WF now in the Carolinas and Virginia, are reportedly primed, according to some sources, to take revenge on the NWA. But others said the region hasn't been drawn well with the Murnicks at the throttle, so the defection of Titan wouldn't be that big of a factor. Yeah. They weren't setting the woods on fire, that's for sure, at this point in time. And it's one of the reasons why they got the axe. So... Ralph Reed, ouster as the Georgia Florida events coordinator, ends a 40 year connection with the Fred Ward family in the NWA. Ralph worked close to his father in law, heading up the video, the video enterprises for Fred Ward promotions for years. That's supposed where all the tapes are at. So, so okay. You and I have both heard this story that the mm-hmm. family still has a whole library mm-hmm. of Macon and Columbus TV. Here's mm-hmm. the thing. They have never given any proof to anyone that nope. those tapes exist. No, they have not. It, I don't think I don't think they want anything to do with it. I mean, it's a thing that people in wrestling have always heard. There are people who try to make good faith efforts to see what they had and potentially buy it, and nothing's ever happened. I don't think that they, I don't think they want to get rid of it. I think that's just part of their family legacy. They don't want to get rid of it. And, and you know, I understand. I understand. Um, Steve says, I wish our friendship Burnham well in this, as a Southeast coordinator, but it won't be the same in the Columbus Auditorium without Mr. Ward's enthusiasm and his daughter Rose Ogles behind the ticket booth. Oh, is, yeah. is Leon, Rose, Leon, Mary Leon. Obviously Leon's wife, but 
is Rose the one that Bill Watts got fired for insulting? Yes. Okay. So. That story tells you so much about Bill Watts, doesn't it? It's Bill Watts. <laughs> Should I give a refresher for yes, those who may not yes. remember? So, according to, I think it was Gary Hart's book, and this, I believe this is a true story. I've never heard anyone suggest it was apocryphal. They're watching the fans come in and stuff one night in Columbus or Macon, and Bill Watts sees a large woman walk by and remarks to Fred Ward, Look at that fat pig! <laughs> And then Fred turns to him and says, That's my daughter! <laughs> and Will Watts is fired as the booker of Georgia Championship Wrestling. <laughs> and replaced by uh, Carrie Hart. <laughs> if I remember right. Right? Because it was Watts, then, Watts replaced Jerry Jarrett and then Carrie Hart replaced Watts. Right? Yeah, but Bill also had point, but Bill had points in the office. So I guess he would become Booker of George Chantry Wrestling again not too long after all that happened. And also Bill guess who would make money from Gary Hart doing well as Booker? Yeah, Bill Watts. Bill Watts. And boy, these event coordinator positions become a hot potato, though, in the next year or so. Yes. Because Florida doesn't just have Chip Burnham. I mean, at one point it's Gordon Soley, at another it's uh, Rob Russin. They're trying to do whatever they can to draw to draw fans and put different people in charge, and none of them's working. I mean, the the issues are on the corporate side between the larger coordination from Don Glass and also the house show booking. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy within NWA circles about the New York Times article on the NWA, which appeared in the November 26 business section. The article, headlined by This Isn't Real, discussed the NWA's attempts to try and keep solid athletic wrestling while at the same time introduce gimmicks for children. Within the context, the article talked about how the NWA has banned blood. Dave didn't know if the article specified the only banned blood of pay-per-view at TV events because they rarely have juice at the arenas. Instead of the blood was drawn, the wrestlers used razor blades to cut up on their opponent, which sounds even sicker than the real story. From a journalist standpoint, it wasn't a good story. Too disjointed. Also, its accuracy wasn't that great. Besides the blood mention, which is, of course, wrong, they added by saying the reason they don't have blood anymore is because they've instituted fines for wrestlers who use chairs, tables, and other objects, which, of course, is, of course, quickly going from the reality in reality world into wrestling fantasy world. Many in the NWA, including several key wrestlers, were furious at this piece of kayfabe violation. But Dave's got to disagree on this one. The journalism world is based on her journalism, which has nothing to do with the executive vice president of the NWA. The only reason the Titan admissions of wrestling is fake in the New Jersey hearings earlier this year got so much play nationally is because New York Times printed this story on the front page. Once the editors of the Times decreed it was front page news, the rest of the country followed. Since the Times is the premier newspaper. Yes, the newspaper of record. Likewise, when the Times of us self-page the NWA, this makes the herd journalists want to do the same story, and the NWA would get a lot of publicity. Sure, in almost every story, the subject of fakery would be banned about. But back in 84 and 85, when WF was getting their media blitz, again, based on herd journalism, since the New York media had decreed their wrestling as a new fad well before there was any fa there was any facts to back up that claim, 
as the media blitz as much as anything, which created the fad. Nearly every story also brought the idea that wrestling was something less than on the level sport. But the publicity made WS something of an in thing. And it managed to ride the crest of what that wave sends. If anything, the biggest comment one could say about WF is that they managed to use the fad press to build a base, but never lost the base when the fad stories ended. Largely as a result of their ability to garner such good ratings for the Saturday main event, which kept them with network credibility. Almost nobody believes wrestling is pure sport today, and if they do, they sure aren't reading the business section of the New York Times. <laughs> Dave knows that wrestlers are brainwashed from day one. That a single biggest sin is to expose the business. But in recent years, the business has been exposed over and over and over. And the business exposed the most has been WBF. Face it, you can't have both ways. Wrestling can stay either stay in the closet and reach a hardcore following and not have enough mainstream exposure to do anything but small houses and small pay-per-views, or it can be an acceptable part of the entertainment industry in a suedo sport and get the coverage that its popularity warrants. But that coverage will always be either tongue-in-cheek and somewhat condescending to the audience or somewhat serious. In which case, it will assume knowledge and right giving the impression that this is not pure sport we are talking about. The one disadvantage NWA has when compared to WF of five years back is when WF made its movie, every major media treated them like they were the only wrestling group around. At the time of the stories, in many markets, maybe in more than half the country, the WF was actually trailing the established promotions when it came to TV ratings and attendance, but those regional groups were never mentioned. In any store this year or next in a major newspaper or trade publication about the NWA, the subject of WF will always come up, and the NWA will always be written about as a second-place group trying to play catch-up. But just being honest by major media sources that major player is a significant step. If the NWA can manipulate the media into proclaiming them as a close second place, and if they use recent cable TV ratings, they can even claim right now that in at least one factor they have a slight lead, which they aren't, and they are seen as a viable competitor, it is one thing Vince McMahon has to try to avoid since this thing started, that he has competition. As mentioned many times, the reality of who is doing what is not nearly as important as the illusion that the groups create the outside sources into the public. Lots of those early success was based on media manipulation and illusion. So even though the NWA's house shows are doing the worst in recent memory, that in no way precludes them from making important media breakthroughs. All right. Should we see what the fuss is about here before we... Discuss or? I, mean, I don't know. I think I pretty much covered the topic. I mean, as far as the uh, what's actually in here, I should say. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. I think they probably covered it to a good extent. But I mean, the thing is, is Dave's right. I mean, you look at how the media portrays anybody else other than WWF. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's still that way today. Um, when you think of wrestling, you think of WWF, WWE. It's just the way it is. Um, yeah, you can get mainstream publicity. That's good, but you know, it's just: are you being seen as an equal, or as Dave said, are you being seen as second place trying to play catch up? That's the thing. It's the perception of that that, you know, an AEW has to watch out for. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the actual quotes from Hurd, at least at one point. He says, uh, we're about halfway where we want to be, but we're gaining. Uh, what was the next one I wanted to see here? Oh, what we need to do is address the young minds who need a change a minute. 
One thing we're going to do is add some wrestlers who are costumed radically differently in a high-tech outer space sort of machinery, for See, that, instance, that, to appeal to that's the, that's, the, that's the thing that her was pushing in these, in these booking committee deals, and Flair was getting pissed off. They stuff have like, the kids' audience. We don't. We need to do all this shit to get kids. And that's what when you know when happens in '91, her wants to create his version of WF, and Dusty's the guy he you know puts in charge of that because Dusty had just been WF, and also Dusty's willing to go along with you know we're making movies kind of idea anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, would you like to hear what Steve Planamenta said? Yeah. The wrestling aficionados feel Turner offers better athletes. Titan Sports doesn't yet consider it much competition. Quote, we're sports entertainment, said Steve Planamenta, Titans media coordinator. They're professional wrestling. Yeah. I, I, I'm guessing he said more than that, and that's all they... But that's the mentality, include. you know, at that time. Oh, we have revenue information. NWA expects revenues next year to reach $50 million, up from about $33 million this year. World Wrestling Federation is expected to gross more than 150 million this year. Um, the cost per 30 second spot for NWA specifically, I guess, is uh, 25,000. I guess that's across their whole syndication network. That includes the cable shows. Yeah. And yeah, they talk about blading. Uh, oh, heard. One of the things Ted Turner said when we got into this is no more violence and no blood. Uh, using foreign objects is a $500 fine. Uh, all the wrestlers were lectured about this, and 10 particularly evil-minded wrestlers were let go? What? Okay. Weird. But yeah, at, at least according to Gary Hart's book, Grain of Salt, he claimed that the wrestlers were all very upset about the kayfabe breaking and to try to satiate them, uh, Jim Hurd had a bunch of pizzas sent to the locker room, and uh, Hawk told everyone that there would be hell to pay if any of them ate the pizza. <laughs> so, of course, Jim Hurd, pizza. I know, shocking. Well, was it Pizza Hut? Well, regional uh, Pizza Hut. He was part of. Pizza Hut Midwest or whatever the hell. Doesn't it was. matter. He's still gonna be forever linked with Pizza Hut. Yes, he did, and he 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 uh, was behind the development of the personal pan pizza. So yeah, he was part of that. So you, you know, that's one for his record right there. Yeah, but there we go. Uh, WCW everybody featuring the stars of the uh, NWA. Basically, yeah. All right, let's go international now. We start with All Japan Pro Wrestling. They uh, taped TV at the Yoshiwara Gym in Fuji on November 25th, where we had the Nasty Boys beating Sansa Fuyuki and Yoshinaragawa, the British Bulldogs beating Kitakabashi and Shinichi Nakano, Abdullah the Butcher and Tiger Jeet Singh defeated Kiritawe and Asao Takagi, and then real-world tag league matches, Giant Baba and Rush Kimura over Shinji Takano in the Great Kabuki. The Can-Ams, Dan Croft and Doug Furness over Wild Blur and Terry Gordon. And then main event, six-man, Tanukarichiro, Stan Hansen, and Toshiko Kawada beat Jumbo Shiruta, Masafuchi, and Yoshiaki Yatsu. 
I always thought Irwin was such a curious partner to pick for Gordy here. Like, I'm assuming Gordy got him the gig, but when you consider Gordy is a big star in all Japan at this point, he was in the finals the previous year, it just always felt weird. I forget what their placement is, though, but if I remember right, they're not necessarily in the running to win, are they? They're, like, in in the high middle. Let's see yeah. what's on here on, uh... Yeah, they're, yeah, they're not, history, if it's... not one of the exact favorites, no. Yeah, and I... Like, on paper, I can see, like, why you would want to book Bill Irwin in all Japan and see how he'd do. He's a big, tall cowboy guy who can move and work. And he's someone who you could see adapting well to the style there. You know? But didn't seem like it clicked that much. I don't think he even comes back, does he? Irwin, I mean, Irwin was a... He he had worked all Japan in the past, so he had a history there. He was a, a he was an interesting fit. I mean, he was kind of a hard hitter, but this is the only time really he toured. Uh, this is the only time he has like a in push of any kind. Yeah, yeah. And this this tour is his last appearance for all Japan. Uh, he had not been there since uh, Excite Series '84 as Superstore. That was the David Von Erich tour. Yeah. Oh yeah, great great way to tell the guy you valued uh how he helped with everything to just not ever book him again. Well it could have been his call not to maybe go back either. Well yeah, that's a good point actually. That's was probably kind of a dramatic experience now that I think about it, yes. And he had worked a few tours. He had worked let's see, he worked uh well worked Carnival eighty three. Yeah. Uh, he had worked New York Giants Series 80. So he'd been in and out sporadically, but he had not been there in almost six years. Um, and as far as the scores, um, in a tournament where the two teams in the finals had 18 and 16 points, Gordy and Irwin came in seventh place with six points ahead of just Footloose, Nasty Boys, and Kabuki and Takano. Baba was very impressed with the effort shown by the Nasty Boys thus far on the tour, and we booked them regularly in 1990. Well, part of this is also because of the need by Baba to develop new foreign attractions because of the major talent signed up by the FNWA. Baba's left with a small stable of foreign attractions, Can-Ams, Gordy Hanson, Bulldogs, Butcher, who come so frequently that they get stale. Probably part of the reason also you would bring in someone like a Bill Irwin, who, like I said, seems like someone to take a but, fire on in that come up here. The nasties don't come back. No, and it also goes to something like looking back, like we don't talk about him that way. Those are two two guys whose in ring just completely changed after they went to the WWF. Oh God! I mean, you watch them in NWA and then watch them in WWF, and it's just like a different team. And you watch them even when they're more green, like in Memphis. I know, but watch them in the Steiners feud and just in, in random NWA matches on TV. And they were just at, good, big, bumping heel team, yeah. But they, but they, when I guess they figured, hey, we got to the WF. We don't need to do that no more. Katie City, brother. Yeah. Now, there is one American that the fans want to see. Yes. While Baba was giving a speech at a college in Tokyo, an interesting interplay happened, which Dave Guest shows why Baba, in some ways, is the best promoter in the business right now. 
One of the students asked Baba, why don't you book Rip Rogers anymore? Baba said he hated Rogers' gay act and felt it was out of place with the style of wrestling they have. He then asked other students what they thought. The students mainly said they liked Rogers' act, and one even said they thought it would be a great match to put Baba against Rip Rogers. Since Baba's not a comedy figure in Japan anyway. Baba said while he couldn't understand what the appeal was for Rogers and hated the Rogers in-ring act, he was going to have to change his opinions if that's what the fans wanted, and he, he would book Rogers next year. Then the next week's Observer. Baba announced this week that because of the comments by the students at the college he was speaking at, that he's contacted Rip Rogers and is adding him to the January tour. Okay. So and there boy are a few does things, Yes, there are a few things that are interesting about this. One is that Rip Rogers did not do that explicit gay act anywhere other than Old Japan. No, that's the only place he did that type of shtick, yes. Which, with hindsight, like, I wonder, though, like, did someone tell him to do that? It's possible, but it got over. It got over with the fans, but it didn't and that get over with tour, yeah, but that 1990 tour, he's really over with it. He is. He's not, if I remember right, he's not doing the gay stuff as strongly, though. In uh, he is. Yeah, there, there, there's the one match. Oh, fuck. It's that Budokan. Um... So I mean, that would have been the last match of the tour. Hold on. No, it's not the last match. Well, his last match of the tour is against Baba at Korokan. Well, hey, that's not it. Uh, Kabuki? Yes. That's something. That match is something else. Because <laughs> Budokan just goes crazy for the, his pre, pre-match stuff. But he like never brings him back. The referee, yeah. After that, though. I guess he appeased the fans, and that was it. And it's, I, I'm really curious though. Like, why is it? Why is he doing like mostly a comedy act and the gay stuff? Like when Rip Rogers doing Rip Rogers as he did in the states probably would have gotten over as a mid card wrestler there. Yeah, I don't know. And especially to get over and like get a regular job there potentially. Like, yeah. He's a guy who could do like an athletic style and Oh, he's a good worker. Absolutely. I mean, he would, really good worker. Imagine him and a partner in like in like all Asian tag title programs and stuff. You know, he would have been a good fit. Yeah. Like I don't know who you'd get as a partner for him in this era necessarily. Um I don't know. But Oh my god, look at some of the matches on that on that January tour. Baba, Kabashi and Rusher over Rip Rogers, Ivan Koloff, and Steve Gaterwolf. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting matches on that tour. Some different names. Ivan Koloff's on that tour. Yeah, that's an interesting group of people there. That is an interesting tour. Yeah. Bucci and Takano over Spivian Rogers. All right, let's go to New Japan. When New oh, no, Japan that president- was the previous tour. That was the, excuse me, that was the '88 tour. When New Japan President Seiji Saguchi returned from his U.S. tour, he announced at a press conference that he and NWA President Jet Petrick had reached a cooperation agreement on November the 8th and that Ric Flair, Great Muda, and Sting would all be appearing on the February 10th Tokyo Dome show. And by the way, real quick, to be clear, Dave means WCW president, just that everyone's calling WCW NWA at the time, even though the NWA is a different president. Which, at this point... Who would it be? Would it be Hurd or would it still be Geigel? Well, there is no well, WCW. There is no WCW here. Uh, when did the Nick Corporate... Oh, this Universal is still... Wrestling Corporation, whatever, still. 
He's referring to the Turner entity. He's not referring to the National Wrestling Alliance. Um, the February show now has a formal obstacle. And two, two days later, Mike Tyson will make a Boston title defense in the same city. And in Japan, a wrestling show and a Boston show, which both expect to draw 50,000 fans, will be competing events for many of the same fight fans. Tyson Douglas. In okay, Jim to Crockett F- Jr. is the president of the actual National Wrestling Alliance at the time. In addition, WF has a Tokyo Dome booked on April 13th, shortly after WrestleMania, which will be the first car by foreign promotion ever in Japan. There's also NWA wants to do either a clash or a pay from Tokyo as well. Actually, there's been a talk now for years of NWA trying such an event, but there's more talk of late. Now, Big Van Vader, the leading foreign star for New Japan, will appear on the NWA's February 25th review in return. And each fan will like to get Koji Katao, who's being groomed for stardom by the promotion, booked in NWA as well. However, while doing a speech at one of the colleges in Japan, late it's become the end thing at colleges to invite the leading wrestlers to get speeches. Baba, Anoki, Maeda, Takata, Kazuyamazaki, Tenru, Jushin, Riger have all come, done so of late. Baba said he wasn't going to send Tenru and Stan Hansen to the New Japan show, which caused some rumors of Baba helping New Japan for the Tokyo Dome show. So, well, let's continue. <laughs> let's continue. Sakaguchi has been meeting with Baba more concerning the Tokyo Dome car in February. Even though Sakaguchi is either very close to or already inked a deal with Jack Petrick of TBS, Petrick said to be going to Japan for the Tokyo Dome show. So the NWA wrestlers have signed exclusive Japanese contracts to work for Baba, and they're trying to work out a deal. Sakaguchi is particularly interested in the Tom, and Tom Zink and Sting for the Dome, but no word of Baba will let them do the show. Right now, the only NWA talent officially booked for Tokyo Dome is Flair and Muda. Sakaguchi is also going to negotiate with either Vern Gagne about buying the NWA belt, either for short-term or even permanently, to allow, either, excuse me, AWA, to allow either Chono or Hashimoto as a vehicle to superstardom when they can capture an American world title. So the deal goes through, then Larry Zbysko will drop the strap in Tokyo. Okay, there's a lot here. Um, okay, so let's start with the last thing first, probably because it's just the quickest to deal with. So what happened here was what? Vern refused to put it other, on anyone other than the guy he was familiar with in Saido? Sounds about what Vern would do, yes. Okay. Um, when it would have made more sense for Chono Hashimoto to have it, yes. Yes. And I'm trying to figure out the best way to get into the whole Dome show thing. Okay, so at least by from what Dave is saying here, the April Dome show is a date booked by the WWF and All Japan and New Japan get involved later. Yes. That's what it seems like he's saying, you know, based on what we know. But what about the, what about these NWA wrestlers signing exclusive contracts worth for Baba in nineteen? Well, that's really interesting to me. Like, what? Because that doesn't happen. But how did how did those co- exclusive contracts come about? Yeah, that doesn't happen. It makes it sound like Tom Zink and Sting were two of them. Well, Zink had been a regular, and Baba had plans for Sting, so it makes some sense. But I mean, how many foreigners even signed deals like that, though? None of WCW, well, NWA's crew does. At this point, no, but it seems like they have. And then, of course, the the WCW stuff for the Dome Show goes to hell, though, because Flair is told. So, what was it? Okay, I'm trying to remember. Make sure, make sure I'm telling this right. Well, we've already had the Sting injury too at this point. Right, but as far as Flair Muta, which was going to be the main event, was it going to be Flair Muta or Flair Muto? Flair Muta. Okay. 
that was gonna so that was going to be the original Muda debut New Japan debut was gonna be yes. against Slayer there. Okay. Layer gets into a dispute more so with WCW because they tell him if you go to Japan, we will not pay you your weekly pay that week. And his weekly pay was high enough between wrestling and booking that it basically would have made going to Japan a wash based on what New Japan was going to pay him. So he cancels. And that throws the show into disarray. And then that's when we get Sakaguchi making the deal with Baba for the interpromotional matches on the show. But clearly they were already having conversations on related matters regardless. So it worked out okay. And he at least had that in his back pocket. Um, what a weird thing to, for, for WCW to pull on flair too. Like, shouldn't you, shouldn't you have maybe made that call and told him that like before a few weeks out or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, Vader does not work Wrestle War. He does not work Capital Combat. He ends up hey, debuting a Great American Bash against Tom Sank. Mm-hmm. And he's in and out for a while. I mean, he's not really a regular regular until early 92, right? In WCW. Yeah, he's a babyface in 92 as at well. At the end of 90 into 91 with, with the thing where he helps Luger against, who was it, Mr. Hughes and Big Cat? I mean, Mr. Hughes is Big Cat. Big Cat and the Motor City Big Man. Big Cat and Motor City Man, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, Antonio Noki officially canceled his planned comeback matches on December 6th in Osaka and December 7th in Tokyo. Since he's still recovering from his stab wound, suffering an assassination attempt about a month back. I don't remember this one. However, both Anoki and Tetsu Fujinami in Osaka, and they'll be doing a live press conference with questions from the fans for both of them for 30 minutes during the card. I do not remember that he got stabbed in an assassination. Assassination attempt, do you? Yeah, yeah, I think we covered it a long time ago. By who, Tiger Jeet Singh? No, it was by some random dude. The Japan Singles World Cup tournament started on November 24th in Gunma with 4,500 fans. A super strong machine, Shinya Hashimoto beat Riki Choshu and Shiroko Shinaka in the main event. In tournament matches, Masio Chono, who's getting a huge push, defeated... Uh, Timur Zarasov, Dave's going to have these names all wrong. Um, Simon Hashimakop, Hiroshi Hase, and Dr. Steve Williams beat Vladimir Berkovich. Blonde Outlaws, Hiroshito, Norionaga, and Tessa Shigoto with their bleach blonde hair beat Kunio Kobayashi, Nokusano, and Katara Hoshino. Wayne the Train Bloom and Brad Rangans beat Osamu Kido and King Okamura. Rachel Man Fernandez over George Takano. And Akira Nagami and Takuki Azuka defeat Hirokozu Hata and Osama Tsuda. Corkin Hall on the 26th, just saw 2200 to see the grudge match as Chono pin Hashimoto in 20 minutes in the main event. Also, Choshu, Kimura, and Hashimakov defeated Dr. Death, Wayne the Train, and uh, Brad Rangans. Holy shit. When Hashimakov gave Bloom the Nolan Light suplex. This match has mentioned in Japan because it's the first time Doc and Hashimakov would oppose each other in the ring. Goto over Hase, Kido over Berkovich. Kobayashi Koshinaka over Sayono Naga, Manny over Victor Zangiev, and Noki-san over Hirokozuhata. Uh, real quick, uh, before we get to the the whatever else we have here in the lineup. Uh, holy shit. So, Riki Choshu, Kengo Kimura, and Salman Hashimakov against Doc, 
Brad Ringens and Wayne Bloom is definitely a match I would not like to run into in a dark alley. George Kahn and Takuyuzuka over Akira Nagano Samasuda. Andre Sulusev over Black Cat. And Hiroshi Dari over Takeshi Masawa in the uh, Young Lions that didn't make it match. Yeah, Takeshi Although Masawa, Masawa became their medic. Yes. Yeah, and Dari just left. He just faded away. All right. Uh, the next night, they ran Miyagi Professional Sports Center in Sendai. We have a Sama Suda over Hiroshi Dari. Nokusano over Black Cat. Brad Rangas over Hiroshi Hase. Samakita over Shiro Koshinaka. Blonde Outlaws over Nogami Hoshino and Kobayashi. Hashimakoff over Zuka. Chono over Sulisev. Manny Fernandez, Dr. Jeff Steve Williams, and Wayne Bloom over George Takano, Shinshimono, Super Strong Machine, and Riki Choshu over Kim Kamara in your main event. And uh, it's just like, Diary wrestled for six months. That was it. Yep. So, okay, so your young lion class at this point includes him, Takeshi Misawa, Sama Matsuda, the future old samurai, Kira Kadiyama. Anyone else at this point? <sighs> Or who would have been like? Would they have been in the same mix as Suzuki and Funaki at all? Or before they left? Uh, no, Funaki was definitely around earlier than them. Okay. Suzuki was around before them, but there could have been some. There could have been some overlap in there. Yeah, there was. Okay. But yeah, Funaki was around before that. Kind of a weird young lion class, especially like for this era where they don't usually miss that. You have so many guys that just go nowhere. Yeah. I wonder what the deal is. Because it's like, if you're able to make it through New Japan Hell Camp and start wrestling, like, I I would think you're going to start, uh, like, I would, excuse me, I would think it's not that you don't have the medal for the wrestling business. So, I don't um, you just oh, never Kati, know. Kadiyama started in 86. Do you, like, God, they kept some of these guys as young lions for so long back then. Like, it's wild comparing it to the way things are now, where, you know, it's what? They, they're young lions for maybe a year or two, then they get the excursion and come back? Oh, no, it's longer than that. Some of those guys, some of those guys... Oh, I mean that. I mean that. Well, Sho and Yo was... It was like young lions for years before they went on their excursion. So, alright, Mad Dog Buster didn't appear on this tour as me and you saw by his appearance on TBS this weekend. He didn't cancel on time, so no substitutes brought in to take a spot. Sounds like him. Now Rick Steiner was supposed to be on this tour, but he was uh, replaced by Wayne the Train Balloon. It says in a singles tournament. What singles tournament? The World Cup. Okay. All right. All right. Well, okay, because the results didn't say what the league matches were, so that's why. Masaido, uh, not on the tour, because he's in Minnesota, with the, putting the finishing touches on the training of Coach Katao. Hmm. Now, several of the Japanese papers picked up that Coach Katao worked with a mask on at the AWA team it's in Rochester, Minnesota, which was supposed to be kept secret. New Japan was trying to promote the Katao, who Dave's toes in Rochester, just like another green rookie, would debut at the Tokyo Dome. Total main papers on the 27th, the Observe hit Japan the 26th, which is day for that issue reached the East Coast. Which says something about the U.S. mail, but they didn't know what. <laughs> it hit Japan the, the, the day before it got on the East Coast of the United States. Huh? Amazing. Wait, wait, but yes. wait, 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 wait. But it, they didn't learn about it from the 
No, but Dave's saying that people in, in Japan they get they the observed. Well, who's writing in the media? Where are they getting the information? From? Yeah, I yeah. know, but it, now, he's still, Nikon, he's not Nikon, explicitly though. Nikon Sports with their uh, observer news from Don Liebel, <laughs> which is basically it's just. It's Dave, but they're crediting Don Liable with the news. Okay. That was always a fun one in the early 2000s to watch. See him get credited for shit that was in the Observer. Uh, okay. And we'll have more Katow later on in the AWA section. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see if there's anything that made any English papers. Like I see, you know, a month. After this, the South China why? Morning Post or something, but why would why would it do that? Why would what? Why would Coach Gatow being an AWA being an American newspaper? I said English papers, not American. Like well, I said, South China Morning Post. All right, TVSI renewed New Japan's television contract through March 1991. There was talk the New Japan would lose its network affiliation, which was a complete disaster for the promotion. But never probably felt that Coach Katal's name would be enough to build TV ratings. New Japan's show in recent weeks has been preempted on TVSI almost as often as AWA gets preempted in ESPN in this country, which has resulted in some weak crowds on the small talent shows when New Japan tours. Well, that wasn't good for them. No. What, what would it look like if either of the two major companies lost network TV in this era? It wouldn't have been good, i tell you that. No. Um, and Koji Katao, at least at first, is a big TV ratings draw. Yeah. So that was the correct calculus on TVSI's part. Because that debut against Bigelow does something like a 26 rating, right? Yeah. Like, it does a gigantic, gigantic rating. Antonio Inoki's new foreign policy will include promoting a boxing show on February 1st in Tokyo, which features the debut of six former Soviet Olympic boxers and professionals. Inoki has also announced he'll be going to Red China to train some of the best Red Chinese martial art fighters in the pro wrestling style and wants to promote next year in Red China. It's always noticeable in this era that Dave always calls it Red China. I did not expect him to say it three times in one sentence, though. Yeah. Um, what does that even mean, though? Why are you calling it red? Ch- like, is the that's an old school term? No, I know, but in like in this context, like, what are you even distinguishing it from? Communist that- China. But again, like, it, it, what's the point? We know it's China. Like, are you saying are you saying that <laughs> Hong Kong is non-red China? Like, what is the? I, I don't understand what the this point of the distinction. Red China was the People's Republic of China, Chairman Mao, all that stuff. But again, what are you distinguishing it from? <sighs> like, I get it. If you're if you're emphasizing that it is a communist country, yeah, okay, sure, Red China. At least in the context of that era. But like, I don't get the point of repeatedly calling it Red China here. Well, that's what it was called. I'm sorry. I mean, that's what's what it called. Was called. It's called that in the news. They would always call it Red China. They wouldn't call Absolute, it just China. Absolutely. When it's Nixon went China. over there, when Nixon went over there, and, and when he was president, oh yes. And that's that's 15 plus years before this, though. I know, but still, that's what it was called. 
I'm sorry. That's just the way I'm it not was. Saying, I'm not saying I'm offended. I'm just trying to understand what the actual point of calling it that is. Like, for okay, I just searched newspapers.com just to see some context. I did for November, December 89. The first result is a headline, uh, uh, well, I mean, and in the letter, too. It's uh, I'm, uh, a letter to the op- editor that says, critical of those who do business with Red China. It's like, okay, in that context, I get you're saying you're communist China. That's what I'm well, here's a, I mean, here's an article from foreignaffairs.com just a year ago. The return of Red China. Xi Jinping brings back Marxism. But that, in context, it's obvious why you're calling it Red China. Well, I'm just telling you what it says. Okay. Oh, here's a okay. There, somebody had a question here on, uh, I think it's about Quora. Quora, uh, I think. Quora. Um, why do we no longer call it Red China? In the olden days, Red China, the red referred to communism. And the PRC flag was linguistically contrasted with Blue China or the Guomindang, the National Party government of the Republic of China, which after the 1949 revolution only ruled Taiwan. Okay. So, okay. So, that's what it was called? Was that. As relations improved, as relations improved between the West and People's Republic of China or Red China. The PRC increased international profile and part of the requirement was that it replaced the ROC and the China seat in international organizations. Okay, so – as, as for Red China, the term pretty much quit being used other than a mild insult during the Jimmy Carter administration. Okay. So this so is Dave – this is Dave – I mean – Being Dave, antiquated. Being 70s media, yes. Okay. So it was – the distinction is from Taiwan. So when did people start calling it Taiwan in the West? Uh, I mean, it was called Taiwan when I was young because I remember it was made in Taiwan. Because it's still, a, at least right now, at least Wikipedia says it's officially Republic of China. Although wasn't there a point where China was insisting on calling Taiwan Chinese Taipei too? That's what it's called, Little League World Series. Well, I remember Chinese in the Olympics Taipei. there was Chinese Taipei. Oh, there's a whole yeah. – there is a section – Name of the country on Wikipedia that has also see also Chinese Taipei names of China and China. There's the a lot Nations. of stuff. Yeah. Um, how long is this section? Okay, the Republic there's a of lot. China. There's a lot of drama there. Okay, international forums and organizations under the name Chinese Taipei as a compromise with the People's Republic of China. There's just a lot going on. All right, UWF held a trial in Tokyo and had 150 kids to try for spots, and six were picked after going through several tests of stamina, including doing 500 squats with no weight, followed by repetition presses and the likes with light weights to see who would quit first. Okay. Of these six, how many make it to debuts? Beats me. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to remember, does anyone... Does anyone debut between this I mean, point UWF's and UWFI start? That's what I'm saying. Does anyone debut in this next year or so? Period. These are kids. I don't think you meant. I don't, I don't know if that was supposed to be literal kids. It says kids. It could mean teenagers. It could be, but it says kids. I mean, so. it's still he's saying it's tryouts, and it sounds like regular Japanese wrestling tryouts for the era. So I would think, like, I'm just trying. <sighs> Like, of the guys who end up in UWFI, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, was Kakihara a part of this? Was Kanehara a part of this? 
Like who who's like who else from like like Sakuraba was definitely UWF high, but um, I mean, it right, could also it could also be one of the other promotions. It doesn't have to be UWFI that they go to. Could could be someone who goes to Fujiwaragumi or Rings or whatever. All right, let's go to Canada. Stampede. Conan the Barbarian from Mexico, who has a body like a young Carrie Von Eric, starts here in two weeks. Of course, it's Conan El Barbaro, and it's Conan, yes. And he does yes. star in Stampede. Uh, except for him, unfortunately, the promotion closes uh, about four weeks after he gets it. If not yeah. less. <laughs> um, but... Bruce Hart will be feuding with Gama for the millionth time. There have been talks with Katniss Jetman and Trent Knight and Bad News Brown about coming in. Let me see if I can find... No, no one knows. What? Well, none of them come in, but uh, is that Stomper Goldie Twitter account still around? I don't know what you're talking about. The one that did all the... Okay, yeah, at Stomper Goldie, Stampede Forever. It's a Stampede Nostalgia account, and it's the guy had gone... I think I know that one. Oh, really? Okay, you would like it. But they went at some point, the guy who runs it, to the Glenbow Museum. Yeah, I don't follow that account. Stu Hart's old papers, and it had the letter Cactus sent in around this time. Let me see if I can find that. Okay, yeah, here we go. Possibly the coolest find at the archives I found while there. Promoter Stu Hart relieved a resume from Cactus Jack Foley. And it's oh, this is from a while earlier though. This is from November '87. This is two years ago at this point. Uh, I'll read the uh... oh no, and then again in '88. Okay, so I'll read this from uh, one Mick Foley of East to Talk in New York. Dear Mister Hart, my name is Mick Foley, and I am writing because I have a great interest in working for your promotion. I am six feet four inches tall, weigh two hundred fifty-seven pounds. I have been working for two years as Cactus Jack Foley. Which had he been working as Cactus Jack Foley? Yes. You have results that say that. Okay. That's what he worked as on Danucci shows. Because we don't have any video of him really in the early, in his you know early indie work. I've sent pictures to you before, but I had the opportunity to talk with Bad News Allen in Italy recently. And he said that you were looking for heels, so I would like to tell you some more about myself. I was trained by Dominic DiNucci in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and began receiving work, mainly in the Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia area, while attending Cortland College in upstate New York. Since graduating in May 1987, I've worked on trips to West Africa three times, as well as trips to South America, Italy, and the West Indies. While I am thankful to have had these opportunities to work, my real ambition in wrestling is to work a territory such as Stampede full-time. I realize that I have a lot to learn in this business, but I really feel that I would fit in well with and be an asset to Stampede Wrestling. I'm a hard worker who can work well with just about anyone, and I can put myself over strong in an interview. I also like to use a series of unusual bumps in and outside the ring, put extra excitement into my matches. If you need a reference, please call Dominic Danucci at number redacted, as I am very much looking forward to working for you and would appreciate any consideration you could give me. Thank you. Sincerely yours, Mick Foley. The other letter was handwritten, and I'm not going to try to read it. But, I mean, at this point, he's definitely more established. 
you know, and right now he's out of a job because he was in Continental, and, well, we'll talk more about that in a bit. We've already talked about him in NWA. Well, you know what I mean, though. All right, that specific uh, situation. November 24th in Calgary, saw Steve DeSalvo return and beat uh, Vini Valentino. Bruce Hart beat Skull Mason. Archangel and Johnny Smith over Kim John- Ken Johnson and Kim Shaw. Kim Shaw. Black Hearts over Tanny Tactiles over Chris Benoit beat Wellington. DJ Peterson over Larry Cameron by DQ and the Angel of Death interfered. Or excuse me, Archangel interfered. Oh, I realize and, we just buried the lead on something. Interesting that Bad News would be talking to Sue about coming in at this point when one would think he's making good money in the WWF. Unless, because he hates it there so much, he figures he could just go back to New Japan and he would work Calgary between tours. Yeah. I guess that would be the idea, right? Yeah, probably so. Edmonton on 25th. Cameron retained over McIntyre over Vinny Valentino. Steve DeSalvo over the destruction of the Blackhearts, while Chris Wall beat Apocalypse the Blackhearts. Bruce Hart retained the British Commonwealth Midheadway Tower over Johnny Smith. Gama Singh over Biff Wellington. And DJ Peterson over Archangel. And, of course, Archangel is Curtis Thompson. Yes. Yes. Uh, Steve Beverly knows Ed Whalen's been on TV for three consecutive weeks, and there hasn't been any mention as to why. I never come back. <laughs> he doesn't. We'll see if he's dead soon, but yeah, he doesn't come back. No. Um. Whether this was connected to the whole Bulldogs feud thing, uh, I mean, who knows? But yeah, he's he's gone and. I mean, I don't think he's part of any revival, right? No. I mean, well, he do, he does work the Stu uh, birthday show in 95, though. Well, that's... Different. But as far as any attempt at running a circuit or a territory, I don't think he's ever involved again, right? No. He does CNWA, he does one-offs, but he's not there for any kind of full-time stampede wrestling and uh steve spelled his name wrong different from the way people normally spell it wrong the correct way is w-h-a-l-e-n usually if people spell it wrong they spell it w-h-e-l-a-n here he spelled it with no a's just e's yeah fucker Mexico, uh emlo this time uh before mexico city was headlined by liz mark Answer to the question, what was Elizabeth before she met Randy Savage? Nah, isn't that more what was Vince Rousseau before he started in wrestling? Eh, either or. Liz Morris, Tonico, and Riley Lisco Jr. beat Fabuloso Blondie, Ken Tens, Peralta Morgan, and Sancatas. Now see if you can figure out this finish. Because if you can, you're a lot better than Dave is. Morgan came out wearing, waving the U.S. flag, and Mexico that's equivalent to the, the sheet wearing the Arabian, Iranian flag for Ken Tems. Anyway, Tim's and Morgan broke up during the third fall and started fighting. Tim's also started fighting with Cian Cotters and ended up getting pinned for the side fall. Since Tim's argued with his two partners, that makes him a technical, right? As Tim's and Morgan brought us on the ring, Tim's posted Morgan left him laying on the ring covered in blood. That would make Morgan the technical, right? After all that, Lismar comes out and brawls with Morgan to the dressing room. So Tim's is a technical. No, not so fast. Then Lismar and Tim's brought around ringside. That's how Lucha Turns work, brother. Dave, this is Dave's lack of experience with uh, Lucha, basically. And this is very early in him watching Lucha on a regular basis. Although, he's given conflicting stories about how much he had seen Lucha on Galavision over the years. Because 
I remember specifically at one point he used to talk about not seeing Sian Caras in his prime. And then later he would talk about seeing Sian Caras on TV in the early 80s on, on CMLL TV. So still, he's clearly not familiar with Lucha in any real detailed way yet. Yeah. And he doesn't really cover it in a major way until 91. Yeah. All right, results. Uh, Emilio Chavez Jr., MS Uno, and Tierra Viento y Fuego. Yeah. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Defeated Atlantis, Sadandia, Mascara Sagrada. Super Astro beat Blue Demon Jr. in a singles match. Relevos Increíbles Suicidas. All-Star Rocky Star. Um, beat, well, excuse me, Relevos Increíbles. When Suicidas is coming up. All-Star and Rocky Star beats Ilda Santo and Fosso Carrera. And then the Lisa Rayo Satanico over at Caras Blondie Imperata match. Right, because that what the mask match is, I forget which teams with which, but All Star and Rocky start teaming with one of Santo and Fuerza. Yeah. And it's, then it's Santo and whichever, and then Santo beat him for the mask. But this is, yes. this is setting that up, which comes in a couple of weeks. And I mean, if this sounds like a lo- loaded card, too, because that is not your normal opener we have here, then. I mean, the show's build is super Viernes, so. Well, that's what all the Friday shows were built as, basically. They were? I thought that was a mm-hmm. special name. No. When did, all right. did, was that a thing that changed? It's been Viernes as long as I know. All right. So, uh, wait, why is, so what's that's Dandy and Atlantis? That's the Friday show. But what's Dandy and Atlantis doing in an opener in, the, in late 89? Because that's how... They did thing. It's not the opener. There was probably other matches. This is what we have results. Oh well, yeah, yeah, it's four. It's not five. So there's probably at least one or two other. All right, uh, UWA. They ran up to Rio de Cuatro Caminos, Nakapon, on November 26th. Only have two matches from this show listed: Grand Hamada, Justin Liger, and El Tejano went against Indomito, El Signo Negro Navarro, and the Vianos one, four, and five faced off against Dr. Wendy Jr., Luis Mariscal, and Scorpio. So this would be working vacation or political thing for Liger, I would guess. Scouting yeah, he's just in, he's in Mexico chilling. Yeah. Um, trying to think when do, when do like his first Luchador opponents come in? Like when's Casas' first tour? Uh, ninety one maybe. I thought I know there's the sh- the one off in late ninety. <laughs> but yeah, this is just this is just him just hanging out as part of the New Japan UWA. Uh, Relationship, which still carries on for at least another couple years or so after this. Yeah. All right, WWC. Universal title was held up between Carlitos Colon, Carlos Colon, and Steve Strong, Steve DeSalvo. And it was settled on November 23rd in Bayamon with either Colon retiring or Strong leaving town. Colon captured the title, and Strong slash night in. And of course, he goes back to Stampede. Coco Ware worked here while he was gone from WF. Harley Race is also working here. Gone? Was he fired or that was him and that was that time period where like he he was gone, Volkov was gone. I thought that was later though that Oh this no. Isn't the, this isn't the Jim Troy thing because he was fi- he was rehired right away, right? No, this is Jim Troy too. But this he's the gone, Troy Volkov's thing. gone, okay. Volkov's gone. Yeah, it's that era. I don't uh, remember Volkov being gone. Wait, so Volkov's working on Volkov's working. Yeah, Boris is there. Volkov works indie dates. 
Oh, so this is this is the beginning of of Boris as like weird semi job guy then. Yes. But then they bring back the Bolsheviks and do the turn. To basically to set up the turn. Okay. I did not Yeah, Volkov works a lot of Bob Raskin shows in summer of eighty nine, yeah. Okay, so the show in Brussels him and Patera have like a mini feud going on. The show in Brussels the night where Coco gets fired is uh, October 12th. And then let's see, when is he back? Let's see. He's back pretty quickly. Uh, okay. Oh, he's back right. Oh, oh, wait, some of these are subs. So wait a second. Okay. So he's actually back. Uh, November 24th. So yeah, okay, so yeah, he comes in, does Puerto Rico, and then by the time he's done there, everything's smoothed over, he goes back to WWF. Yeah. And uh, the Jim Troy story, for those who don't know, they were both very drunk. Um, this was a... Uh, this, oh, this was the night Andre the Giant got everyone a pear that was soaked in um, very high percentage alcohol that they took bites out of, and believe Bret Hart called the one bite he took out of that the most drunk he'd ever gotten in his life. And uh, it led to Jim Troy starting to call uh, Coco various racial slurs, which led to Coco beating him up. And initially he gets fired because he's beating up one of the most important executives in the company. And then I guess someone fought for him pointing out the situation. Troy gets fired and Coco's brought back. So Blanchard will work here supposedly a little bit until everything with the NWA gets smoothed over, although there's no guarantee he'll be going to the NWA. Just everyone expects that when everything cools down, that's where he'll wind up going. Okay, so at this point, well, they did the okay, so they did the tapings with the debut, so obviously we know he's not going there right now at this point, but what had been reported in the newsletters up to this point about Tully not going? Well, the same thing that we've done before on this show. So the whole thing with the cocaine and all that has been covered by this point. I mean, well, I mean, it's the stuff we've talked about. But I mean, is there more coming or? I don't know. <laughs> off the top of your head. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we did go back and listen to show 122, I guess. That's what, well, because we he did. said smoothed over. That's what I was trying to understand. What could be smoothed over here? I don't know. Okay. All right, it's halftime. So some great 1989 commercials. We have to halftime where we'll play. We'll play. Well, we'll talk about our new Patreon show. We'll um, talk about our streaming friends. Hit the plugs. Then we'll come back and go back to the U, uh, U.S. territory scene, independent scene, whatever. Talk about Jerry Blackwell going through some bad luck. Billy Jack Kane's burning that territory. And the end of continental wrestling. Plus, Jerry Lawler's turning heel in Memphis. All that more after the break. Commercial alert. Put the VCR on pause. Ah! Sunlit days. Your playful ways. Your mischief and your magic. I'm remembering. With the music of your laughter. The wonder of your smile. You remind me what it means to be a child. At Oshkosh Bagash, it's the little things that count. These are oats. 
Uh, something you've been hearing quite a lot about lately. But while some cereals turn oats into processed oat flour, new oat bake from Kellogg's uses only whole oats. Then we simply bake them with nuts, raisins, and spices for the first cereal that combines the goodness of whole oats with the goodness of baked taste. New Kellogg's Oat Bake, the whole oat cereal with the crunchy baked taste. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. There's a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. They've got the best for so much less. You'll really flip your lid. From bikes to trains to video games. It's the biggest toy store there is. I don't want to grow up. Cause maybe if I did, I couldn't be a Toys R Us kid. I give you the Griswold family Christmas tree. Deck the halls as you desire. Hope you're not getting sap all over your sweater, Clark. White cat nibbling on a wire. <coughs> Pine tree sap inside your nails. Sorry. And great gifts are on sale. Wouldn't be the Christmas shopping season if the stores were any less hooter than they are. Harder than they are. Chevy Chase. <coughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, December 1st at a theater near you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Amy, I hear your new teacher's real mean. Amy, would you come up here and bring your picture with you, please? Uh -oh. Look at the picture. There's a special power that can bring students and teachers closer together. The power to be your best. Hey, how's your new teacher? Oh, she's okay. Snack, maybe? If you feel like a snack, come to Burger King for new pick-em-ups. Tasty all-white meat chicken tenders or delicious golden fish tenders. The perfect snack when a snack would be perfect. Only at Burger King. Weren't we in black and white? It's an incredible spy mystery. Did this secret agent die from suicide or did the KGB kill him? It's an unsolved mystery. Men on Night Court dance chart for taking a bribe. I'm finished. Will his career be shot down? And on My Two Dads, when Joey goes back to college, look who's the teacher. Why do you always got to make me look stupid? Because you're there. It's all new Wednesday. See you in a couple of minutes. Who do you call when your kid's life is on the line? How about when your husband is threatening to jump? You ain't got the gazongas to do it! Or when your girlfriend is caught underwater. What's trapped in the car? Based on a real-life police unit, this is the team you call when you need more than a cop. They're True Blues, Sunday. Chips Ahoy selections are so delicious. Pete, take these or I'll eat the whole bag. You may not trust yourself around them. Three new chocolate chip cookies from Chips Ahoy selections. Dangerously delicious. Save me. No matter how you top it, 
There's no way a microwave will take the crunch out of a Triscuit. No way. Triscuit in the microwave stays crunchy no matter what. New Sky Climber cliffhangers. You race them straight up. Tycho's Twin Tower Racing Set. Power into the towers. Leap the daredevil jump. Defy gravity. Go upside down through the loop if you can. You take the lead. You made it. You won. Sky Climber cliffhangers. New from Tycho. Look who's at Wendy's for the holidays. Charlie and all the stars of the new Don Bluth film, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Now at a theater near you. There's one inside Wendy's Kids Meal. Or they're just 99 cents with regular fries. Collect all six now at Wendy's. Next on the Hogan Family, Sandy's friend takes her to a pickup bar. And <laughs> does she get picked up? No, we are done dancing. Then Ann Jillian lied to Tim Matheson about being rich. Do you travel daily often? All the time. But how is she going to keep up a jet-set romance? Hang on. Telling little white lies. Tonight, after the Hogan Family. All right, back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 1989 commercials of the fifth and halftime segment. Where we start off talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash retweeting the sheets. And we'll be having our new show up, if it ain't up already, which I doubt it will be up. <laughs> Believe me. So it'll be up uh, probably uh, before the, the month is out. Uh, as we are talking about uh, the Ultimate Warriors run WCW in 1998, One Warrior Nation. And boy, there's a lot of insanity on this show. <laughs> a lot of insanity. Some wild clips. And other stories that was going on with Warrior at the time. And uh, it's going to be a real fun show. Different type of show that we normally do on Patreon. So, a departure, so to speak. So, everybody go check that out at patreon.com slash 20 sheets for $5 a month. Get your access to that. Plus, all the other shows that we've done in our seven plus years of the Patreon. Definitely stuff that you want to listen to, believe me. And we'll have a lot more coming. As uh, the year ends and the new year begins, we got, we got a lot of great shows coming up. So check that out. Dollar Mom gets your access to the Discord and thanks in this segment, which we're doing just a minute. $25. I just pick a show for the week, like William Lanham did last week. Um, have two shows in mind just uh, in case a show that you may want us to do, maybe something that we've done already, or it could be something that somebody else has already booked on the calendar. But let us know why you want to do the show that way we can uh, make sure that, that happens for you um remember the protocol that we have on the patreon website to get that information to us we got the 10-year rule in effect 30-day rule in effect before your show airs wednesday to tuesday on the timeline all the stuff is there for you to follow and uh do that and we'll be able to get your show on the air Fifty dollars I just send for seven of the show if you choose, and hundred for the whole show if you choose. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big Swift. This week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, let's see. We would like to thank Earl Alfred the Third. Thank you, Earl Alfred the Third. Our uh, dear longtime friend Tim Cook. Thanks, Tim Cook. Yes, go back the old Death Valley Driver days. Yeah, I don't think I don't know if he said anything yet. I did see that he uh, signed up for the Discord too. So good yeah. to see him there. Yes, uh, yeah. James the Ref. Thanks, James the Ref. And then we've got Greg M. Thanks, Greg. Then we have Brian. Thanks, Brian. And then we have a user with the display name of Media Team. 
Thanks, media team. And it's... It appears to... It, it, I mean, I'll just say it. Like, I won't say what the actual address is. It's something with an ad patreon.com email. So I don't know if this is to... As part of coordinating our beta... Like, beta test features they wanted me to do? I mean, I wouldn't think they'd have to pay themselves. I don't know if this is a Patreon employee just happening to sign up on a work account. Like, I'm very curious exactly what the deal is with this, but yes, thank you, media team. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have come all the way, been there from the beginning, left, come back, all that stuff. We thank everybody for being with us at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Vix, what's going on in the world of Fight TV and IWTV this week? All right, let's see. I guess we'll start with IWTV. Then move over to the correct tab. And not a super busy week, but a few things on, you know, coming up on the live streams. Um, actually, real quick, I should mention that uh, the uh, full West Coast Pro Show with Chris Hero versus Tim Thatcher is up, by the way. All right. Well, there you go. Everybody go check that out. Yes. Um, I know you haven't watched it yet. I, I I need to, just haven't got it done. Anyway, uh, so Uncharted Territory Season 5 on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern from the beautiful, uh, what am I saying? Even sarcastically, <laughs> H2O Rental Center, Wrestling Center, whatever it is. Uh, Jane Newman against Ryan Redfield, and anything goes, I don't know if this is in their uh, Discovery Gauntlet, their Deathmatch Discovery Gauntlet, I should say, but... Uh, Declan Grand versus Dominic DeNaro. That's what's announced so far for Uncharted. And then uh, Wrestling Open on Thursday at 8 has uh, episode 100 of the weekly Wrestling Open shows. Headlined by Ishiban defending the uh, Wrestling Open title against Brad Hollister. And one other thing really worth noting for the weekend, and you'll understand why in a second, is that POA has a show at... Okay, it says... Oh, 8? Okay, so 8.30 Eastern, if this is listed correctly. Which sounds weird for DOA, because aren't they... Aren't they all the way out in, like, British Columbia? That's listed as Central Time. It's listed at 7.30 Central. But anyway, it says 8.30 Eastern. Um, DOA's got uh, airing of grievances, including our dear friend Daniel Maccabe, in action against all caps Jaden. And there's an I in there, so definitely not Jaden Newman. No, it's a different person. Yes, so that's that. So if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up, and we'll get a paid referral fee uh, each month. You stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Now, things get a bit more eventful on Fight Plus this weekend, with the first order business being... Saturday the 2nd at 1 p.m. Eastern, our dear friend Mikey Blanton's got Black Label Pro Slammleton 2023. Yeah. This is the biggest show of the year, generally. And, uh, okay, so I looked also on Twitter, but I, I think at least the key stuff's on here. I'll double-check, though. Let's see, we've got uh, Violence is Forever uh, getting a shot at... Uh, Actually, wait, no, they, yeah, they're not the current champion. So, yeah, they, I believe it's Bang and Matthews, the former Bang Bros, are defending their titles against Dom and Koo. Uh, also on the card, Maki Ito against Rachel Armstrong. 
Calvin Tankman defending the Midwest title against Matt Mikowski, Matt Brannigan against Trevor Outlaw in a dog collar match, Dan the Dad against, it says on fight, it says Fandango, but I mean, he he never bills himself as Fandango on Indy, so Dirty Dango, I would think, right? Yes. Doesn't want to run afoul of the Fed. Uh, Gangrel and Zaya Brookside teaming up against Natterday Saints. And the match everyone's been waiting for, Shaza McKenzie against Sean Rossap. Yeah. Do you have it's any thoughts on that match? It's a charity match. Yeah, Sean's giving, yeah, to be clear, like, Sean is giving all the money to charity. This is, like, this is Sean wanting what he's still physically capable of to do a match on relatively high profile. But he is not making any money off of this. So, if that's anyone's concern, that's that. Plus, also, but it's also somebody that's actually been trained. Is a yes. I don't think, some people don't seem to realize this. Uh, but yes, Sean is a trained pro wrestler. He just hasn't wrestled in quite a long time. So, so yeah, this ain't yeah. just some some dude just wanting to you know get in the ring for clout. If you don't have a problem with with Alvarez working for Blanton, then you shouldn't have a problem with Sean doing it, basically. But some people are, because well, I mean, which is ridiculous. I mean, especially because like, Brian ain't giving his pay off to charity, as far as I know. <laughs> so, and Brian's still. I mean, Brian is like doing some level of reporting. He's got that weird subscription Twitter gimmick, which when he first started, you heard people. Uh, sharing some of the stuff, but now I feel like I never hear about it anymore. I'm assuming he's making money off it to keep it going, but anyway. So, that's at least what's on the fight page. Let me double-check the Twitter real quick to, quick to see if there's anything else that's been added. As I look here... Oh, Dom and Koo are still the Black Label Pro Champions. So they are, okay, simultaneously the uh, GCW and Black Label Pro Champs, and we'll be defending both titles this weekend, as we'll get into more in a minute. Um, okay, here we go. One more match that was not mentioned on the fight page. Uh, so Orlando Cologne, Epico, taking on Rico Gonzalez. That's an interesting one. Yeah. And, you know, good opportunity to for Rico to work with a very polished veteran. And... I know you haven't been watching much current indie stuff. Rico might be the most improved wrestler of the year. Yeah. He is getting really, really good. Um, And good for him because, like, I hate to say it, but I mean, this goes, I mean, this is the way it always goes with relationships and wrestling. He did kind of have to shake the label of AC Max boyfriend a little bit. Fiance. No. Oh, excuse me. That's right. I forgot they got engaged. Mazel tov. But you get what I'm saying. Like, it happens whether it's same-sex or opposite-sex relationships. That's a thing that happens. I mean, it shouldn't. You know, but he's more than proved his worth lately. Whether it's in GCW, in action, wherever. So, definitely a match to look forward to there. Now, GCW has What Is Your Choice uh on Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern which means it's going against Survivor Series and AEW no next week just AEW uh, so, well none, yeah that's right sorry i'm uh, i'm in the current week as i record this wait is that saturday 
or is that or am I am I reading the dates wrong? Hold on. No, Sunday, Sunday the third. Okay. And oh, this is the Brooklyn show. Okay, I I forgot that was sneaking up so quickly. All right, at least listed on uh, Fight, we got Alexander Hammerstone and Richard Holiday against Charles Mason and uh, Paro, Tony Deppin against Rina Yamashita, Billy Starks against Unagi Sayaka, and that's all that is listed there. I forgot to uh, give me one second, and I'll check on the Twitter just to make sure. GC Wrestling underscore Brooklyn. All right, let's see. Anything else? Oh, okay, here we go. Alex Shelley against Gringo Loco. Uh, What else do we have here? Wait, did I already say Maki Ito was in a match? I don't know. I don't remember. Let me go back. Uh, Okay, no. So, back to the Twitter real quick. Uh, Speedball Mike Bailey against Maki Ito. Play Christian against Little Guido. Matt Cardona in action, Nick Gage appearing, and more. So, those Brooklyn shows have been fun so far. So, I'll probably be there. Should be fun. And as now as of course you'll be there. You're the house organ for GCW. Oh, will you stop? Are you going to be paying for your tickets? I always pay for my ticket. (laughs) That's. That's not what they say in the streets. They say you're getting comped. Okay. Because you're the house organ at GCW. Even at GCW scale, I generally don't like getting comped at indies anyway. It feels weird. I know it. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I like the venue they've been running in Brooklyn. Like, it's nice and centrally located, too, in a way that the previous place wasn't. Because it's, uh, it's a short walk from Atlantic Terminal by Barclay Center. So, you know, like. Whether it's by subway or people can, you know, take Long Island Railroad in, it's very easy to get to. So, yeah, there have been people who haven't been wanting to go, like, because of that. Like, yeah, you can just take the Long Island Railroad there if you want. It's easy. So. And they have nice air conditioning. Trying to remember, was there a summer show? You don't have to call the... You don't have to call the the, the, the fire department or anything. I didn't do that either. (laughs) God. That's not what I heard. Okay, technically speaking, I did not report anything. I did call the, like, whatever, the the contact, though, to ask if there had been any dispatches to the show, to the progress show. But I did not report anything to the fire marshal. Those are two very different things. So, anyway, that's... If you're, yeah, if you're not already a Fight Plus subscriber, go to tinyurl.com slash... B-T-S-F-I-T-E, tinyurl.com slash B-T-S, fight, as in the fight TV spelling, F-I-T-E. And uh, you can also use that for fight iPay-per-views if uh, you'd like. I don't know why I couldn't talk all of a sudden. But so, yes, tinyurl.com slash B-T-S, F-I-T-E. Now, okay, since we just recorded the end of the regular show, are you going to do the big plug here or not? Well, it's not the time yet. Oh, it's not time yet. That's right, because it's time for something else. <laughs> Today's episode between the sheets sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You've been using incognito mode, your internet source provider, storing your browsing data, and many times even selling it. Private Internet Access can help. 
private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can understand to access the geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps, browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just running the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up private internet access right now, you take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. We have three different plans that we offer. You can go to a straight monthly plan of $11.95 a month. You can go to the yearly plan, get you done $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year. For three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety-eight a month, seventy-nine dollars for the first two years. Yearly thereafter, the best deal in the game. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access, thirty-day risk-free challenge. Try it for thirty days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for full refund. Why you get that? You ask. We go to privateinternetaccess.com/slash/between-the-sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet, completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets. Yes, what was your question? Oh, I just was curious how much of the plug you were going to do since we literally just recorded one. Well, I mean... It might feel weird, even if it's at a different part of the show. Well, I mean, next week we go back to 2004, and uh, we got a 2004-level show, because it's in a nice size, as uh, TNA has a big pay-per-view. We'll talk about that featuring Macho Man Randy Savage. And his TNA. leather jacket, yes. And uh, morale being very low, as a lot of people are just not happy. We got uh, all kinds of stuff in Japan, Mexico. We got um, Ring of Honor. So we'll join CM Punk at the Retzplex. We'll talk about that. And in WWE, we got Paul Heyman being fired from the creative team. So we'll have a lot on that. Triple H plug in his book. We'll have a lot on that. Plus Raw and SmackDown featuring all kinds of wackiness going on there. But we'll also be talking about the end of uh, one of the best indie groups of the era as Reb Pro Wrestling come to an end. And we'll have our good friend Taro with us who worked that show and has some stories to tell. So it should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-C-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And Bix, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame results came out this week. Yes, and oh, I did remember, though, I actually do have a plug, though, this week real quick. I forgot to mention before we started recording, I did do uh, Trevor Dame and Matt Feuerstein's uh, Through the Years podcast last week. Well, there you go. Did talk about uh, Glory by Honor 5, Night 2, the... Manhattan Center debut show that Matt and I were both at. So the uh, for those who don't know it by name, that's the show with uh, the Joe Morishima angle plus uh, Briscoes against Joe and Homicide, uh, Hero and Claudio against Aries and Strong, uh, Mar Fuji against Nigel McGuinness, and uh, Brian Danielson against Kenta is the main event. So uh, yeah, people check that out. And yet. If you have not listened before, it is spelled as a pun, but it's pronounced through the years, but it is T-H-R-O-H, the years. So, people check that out. But yes, Hall of Fame, which Dave Dave got it done in a week. I'm assuming he has someone new helping him count ballots. He put that Derek Sabato to to work hard, I guess. (laughs) Is, is, Is it, would Derek be doing that? I don't think he is. 
I mean, he's involved with it, so I don't know. He might have. Front of the show, Derek Sabato. Yes, we we gotta have him on at some point. I don't know what would be the right week. I should, we should ask him. But, but yes, the re- results are out, and um, an interesting list, to say the least. Um, mainly for the fact that the people that didn't make it. Yeah, you know, more the, uh, the issue. More than anything else, because um, the Young Bucks didn't make it. Roman Reigns didn't make it. CM Punk didn't make it. Um, I mean, none of the Brits who were on the bubble got 50%. Yeah, they all got knocked out. All right, the results were Rock and Perez. Antonio Rock and Miguel Perez, they got 63.2% of the vote. They were the highest vote getters, percentage-wise. Uh, the Beauty Pair, they got 63% of the vote, which surprised me. I, and, and you know what? I'm glad they got in. You know, I didn't vote for him, and I just, I, I just had my other people I was picking, and I, you know, I did, we did the show, and we talked about this, and I was surprised. I was very surprised that, at the that the turnout they got, but they deserved to get in and got in. And that is what a first ballot for someone who should have really gone in at the beginning should look like. Sergeant Slaughter got in at sixty point nine percent of the vote, and I didn't even vote for him this time. Not me neither. Jack and Jerry Briscoe got in at 61.3%. That was an interesting one, but I get it. I mean, we so, I think we both agreed on the Patreon show that they were deserving as a team. Yeah, but I just didn't vote for them. Yeah, no, I didn't either. <laughs> and Jack's already in, but this is the way to get Jerry in. Um, here's the one that was a polarizing one in a way. Tomohiro Ishii, 60.9% of the vote. He, Up big I mean, from last year, too, because he did he, – He's the only one that was like a big gain from last year that went in because he was 38 percent last year. So I think I think we need to chalk this up at least to some degree to uh, what John Muse wrote. Stumping for him. I just I love the guy as a worker. I watched him for 20 years, but he's definitely somebody that got in because of work. And, you know, we talked about this on I called it the Patreon show. I mean, the Hall of Fame show. Um, Yeah. We talked about this, and I said, and I think you agreed with me, based on this year's ballot at least, and really the last few years, if you're going to vote for someone in Japan based solely on work, it should, Mako Satomura should go in before him. There are other ones. Shima. But, I mean, of... Hayabusa. No, Fujiwara. Even then, like, Mako Satomura has been consistently one of the very best wrestlers on the planet for a quarter century. There yes. aren't a lot of them. So, you know, and also, like, I felt like just not just in that region, I felt like you could argue the Briscoes have a better work case as, you know, the like your longest tenured great working tag team in wrestling history. So, yeah, I mean, he look, the guy has had a very unique career arc that took him to this point, And, you know, unless you just really don't like his style of match, which I know we have. Certainly have some friends of the show that don't. But he's still, you know, anywhere where there's a consensus, though, his match, you know, whether it's cage match, grapple, whatever, not just Dave star ratings, but places where people vote. He's someone who has all these very highly rated matches all year for, you know, the last decade or so now. And I get it. I don't think he's unworthy, but I think he... (sighs) 
I think he should have been well, a lower priority than other people who didn't get in. My my argument with, with that when you did the show was what is the criteria? Do you want me to read it for me? No, I, no, I'm just saying no. You don't have to. I'm just saying the criteria is a you know really talks about drawing power. You well, know? No, I, well, okay. Here's what Dave writes. Uh, okay, the criteria for the Hall of Fame is a combination of drawing power, being a great in-ring performer, excelling in one's field of pro wrestling, as well as having historical significance in a positive manner. A candidate should either have something to offer in all three categories, or be someone so outstanding in one or two of those categories that they deserve inclusion. Well, I mean, and, and so that's where he, people that, that are his backers for this, that's what they can use as their reasoning. Yes. And he is a hell of a worker, but I, if we're going to put, I mean, if he's going to be in there, there's a whole bunch of other people that should be in before him. Yes. That's the thing. It's, <laughs> he's benefiting from, and it's understandable, this, I don't know if we even call it his prime, but this, 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 you know, great match prime of his coincided directly with New Japan becoming easy to stream and all the shows being available. So that's why that happened. I mean, I think Hase, you know, who had a similar case because it was mostly work. I think Hase was probably a better candidate because he also had the booking influence, you know, during a time where the company was drawing so well. But, I mean, it, you know, it's always weird to try to cite, you know, if X went in, then should Y go in? But, like, if you're using Hase as a precedent, then, yeah, I, th I think it's fair to put Ishii in. Hase, though, a lot of his situation is was of his own doing. Oh, as far as not being a main eventer, yes. Yes. He deliberately booked himself that way. <laughs> yes, as Choshu's assistant booker. Um, yeah, but yeah, like, I I don't think he's unworthy, Ishii, but I it, I just think there are a bunch of people who really should have gone in ahead of him on similar types of cases. Yeah. You know, like, I saw some people even say, like, even among other current New Japan guys, and I think this is a reasonable argument, that Shingo Takagi should be going in first, because not only does he have a great in-ring resume, and, you know, great is probably understating it, he also has a sneaky good drawing record from when Dragon Gate was the best drawing promoter well, he in the country. Would, he would, because he was one of the top stars. Ishii's never been a top, the top star in, in the company. No. I mean, really, he's but, never even been pushed at Hase's level. No. So, I mean, I get it. I understand... And I love the guy, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, Blue Panther finally got in at 60.6%. Yes, first year back on the ballot after having dropped off for, it was at least a few years. And, and, this year is, and, and this is all because of Brian, basically, talking about him. You, know, people you think that's what put him over the top? I mean, he yep. always did well. That's what put him over the top. That he That's what... evangelized for him so much in interviews last few years, and the idea that this is like his big dream match that's left. Yeah. I, th I think and, that definitely had an effect, yeah. And George Kidd is 60%. Yes. Up from 51 last year. So like I, yeah, like I said, like the ones that were on last year, none of them saw huge bumps other than Ishii. 
you know, uh, the Rock and Perez went from 57 to 63.2. Slaughter went from 57 to 62.9. Jack and Jerry Briscoe went from 53 to 61.3. Uh, Kid went from 51 to 60. And like I said, the big one was Ishii from 38 to 60.9. Um, I mean, look, it, these are all candidates, though, we said on that show we did that we feel are deserving on some level. So there there are no bad inductions, but it's just, it's the issue of, like, priority thing. It's like, it's not that he's undeserving. Like I said, it's just, there are others that should have gone ahead, in ahead of him. Now, as far as, okay, so do we want to look at 50% or more or 45% or more? 50. Okay, I mean, it only adds a few people. So closest to getting in without getting in was Los Hermanos Dinamites. 56.8% last year was 57 although he's not he's not doing a decimal for last year so it's pot, so it's basically same as last year uh Paul Orndorff did 55.4% up from 50 last year which makes sense it feels like people have been advocating for him more strongly me not just you but yes uh young bucks first year on the ballot 55.1% uh Bobby Davis up from 45 last year to 52.7 this year. Uh, Roman Reigns, up from 31 last year to 52.4 this year. And yeah, that's the end of the 50% plus uh, for this year, which I won't give the percentages, but the ones that went over 45 were Jackie Palo, who's off next year because of the 15-year uh, uh, 50% rule. British Bulldogs, who were down from last year. Uh, Johnny Rougeau, who was up from last year. Jose Torres, and Big Daddy, who's going to be off next year. So. Most of Alan Block's lost dismay. Yeah, I mean, that's a controversial one. And apparently, Dave said that Hallow, and I. Yeah, I don't think Nagas Kendo Nagasaki did well enough, but that Jackie Palo would have made it past 50%, if not for the Americans who came into the category to only vote for Big Daddy. That's weird. <laughs> Which, I mean, we both voted for Big Daddy, but he wasn't the only one we voted for. But that's weird. How The, the, the way that metric is, I, I don't like it. What do you mean? So, so the fact that you voted for one guy hurts this other guy. You think it should be yes or no, like the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yes. I think the idea is there's supposed to be a higher bar of inclusion or whatever, but I, I'm i curious how many people would get in on the first year if they've switched to yes-no. Yes-no abstain, I guess I should say. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, that's just... I mean, look, and none of these people are gone forever. They can be brought back with some, you know, support. But... Well, you need to mention who's going to be on the ballot next year. Oh yeah, the let new- me. I think there might have been some he left out, right, or in the actual issue. But the ones he listed here were uh, Kana slash WWE Asuka, Zane Bresloff, Psycho Clown, El Dandy, George Gordianko, Gran Hamada returning to the ballot. Uh, Gordianko is also returning. I don't remember if Dandy was on before. Uh, Samoa Joe, Kento Mihara, Cody Rhodes, Yoshihiro Takayama, Kevin Owens, Zack Saber Jr. Original Masquerita Sagrada, The Usos, Volador Jr., returning to the ballot, uh, Koichi Yoshisawa, 
Bray Wyatt, Sami Zayn. And of course, more could be added, but those are the ones that are definitely. There, next year is going to be very interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of current stars that's getting on there now. Yes. And I mean, Japan and Mexico are going to be interesting too. Um, you know, especially, well, I'm curious because I could always see both argument, both arguments. Do you put Hamada in Mexico or Japan? Because as a draw, I mean, it's, you're supposed to count the whole career. It's just, you put him in the category where he's strongest, but I'm not sure which is actually the strongest for him because the drawing record is in Mexico, but the influence and all that is in Japan. Yeah. I mean, he's a special case with that where again, and it's, you're, again, you're supposed to count the whole career. It's not that you're not supposed to, but it affects how many people are going to end up voting and how easy it's also it is to fucking get in silly. and all that. Yes. It's so fucking silly. But, I mean, he's someone, it depends on what category he's in and who he's against. That You know, as far as me voting for him, I certainly think he's worthy. Um, I kind of think, we're. I think we now should be to the point where Dave should revamp the categories. And just go straight yes, no. I mean, do just historical and modern. Oh, that it should be by t- oh, that time period. Well, okay, yeah. I felt that, yeah, that with some of these, it's really unfair. That's what baseball have... does. Well, no, well, I mean, specifically, though, for the international categories, I feel it's kind of unfair, like, to have, like, your 50s, 60s, early 70s Lucha candidates being voted on alongside your, you know, late 70s to present candidates. Um, you know, same with Japan. Like, so, there definitely needs to be an overhaul. I mean, rest of the world, if nothing else, needs to be broken up into at least, like, a Europe and an Australia-Asia category. Like, that, that is the one thing he needs to do, like, if it's continuing at all like it is now. Um, as far as some of the others on here, I mean, Zane Breslov obviously is a very strong non-wrestler candidate, you know, of current luchadors, you know, as far as a draw, Psycho Clown's a very strong candidate, as a star and a worker. Just to give you the gist of, um... How baseball does it. Mm-hmm. Um, their contemporary era begins in 1980. And the classic is prior to 1980. So they don't so, do a specific number of years like Dave does it with North America. Well, with U.S. and Canada. Exactly. It's, okay. It's, they, they pick a cutoff point that changes as time goes on. Okay. Yes. Um, hmm. Like based on what? Like milestones around things that change the nature of the game, basically? No, or, it's their career. No, when, I mean, when, specifically when, 1980 is the, what I'm trying to understand. I mean, that's they count that as a the mod. I guess the modern, okay, the contemporary contemporary era. Okay. Um. But okay, what was I saying? Uh, George Gordienko, I'm gonna want to look into more as far as like the actual pro wrestling side of his life because I know Phil Lyons has done some research on him and how much he drew in Europe. That is fairly strong in terms of his case so i'm curious to learn more about that um you know hamada should be in you know it'll be interesting to see what categories and like i said 
Joe is an interesting one, especially going back on now, because I think he was on before and dropped off, right? Yes. And I feel like a lot has changed. Like, he's looked at more now as kind of this legendary figure. Well, obviously they're doing something with him and MJF, too, so there's stuff that's going to be going on that could very that could influence that highly. And I think the AEW run has helped regardless because he's shown that, you know, he's not going to wrestle every week, but he was, I think everyone thought he was shot and he's not, you know? Um, yeah. Kento Miyahara is basically a pure work case, right? I mean, it's modern yes. old man. Um, yes. I know in by rip, I, you know, I really haven't watched much of the modern old Japan, but I know it's supposed to be quite good. Cody is a very interesting one. Yeah. Because you got the AEW stuff, and you've got his role in the WWE turnaround. Um, I'll ask you this. You know, now that they're both going to be on the ballot, you know, and it's on the same region, if you have one spot left and you want to give it to one of them, do you give it to him or the Bucks? Neither, because I don't vote for current wrestlers. Okay, who do you consider the stronger candidate then? Fine. <laughs> Put it that way. Cody. Because because of the WWE turnaround? I mean, the guy, because Cody is a bigger draw. See, I, I value drawing power. Uh, I mean, uh, and, and stuff like that. And Cody is a bigger draw. Has been a bigger draw. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, there's no all elite wrestling on Cody Rhodes, too. Yeah. Think about yeah. that. That I mean that that that's one of the biggest parts of his case, right well, there. Well, that's the thing too is all in is specifically Cody. Yeah, but More they so don't get the it. They don't get a TV deal without Cody. Possibly. Nah, more than that. <laughs> You they don't. They, they don't get the team. They don't get the. They, let's just say. All right. They don't get the TV deal they have right now without Cody. Okay. Fair. All right. Well, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go to the U.S. now, and uh, we start with uh, Jerry Blackwell sad, and the sad story, as uh, Jerry Blackwell's latest in a long list of bad breaks was on November 22nd when his house burned down. The wrestlers, most of whom had left Blackwell for a rival group, got together on November 26th and did a benefit show in Alpharetta, Georgia, which did a $1,000 gate, and all the money was given to Blackwell, so the wrestlers were for free, and Gordon Clements, who owns the auction barn, gave the building for free. Okay, the rival group was what? That was um, George All-Star. So, okay, so I had not realized that. So George All-Star... Was explicitly a separate rival group. It's just considered the one that's most directly a continuation of Southern. Well, because the talent left. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think I realized that because. Yeah. Didn't did they didn't they take over some of their TVs too? Well, the TV show turned into George All Star Wrestling. So basically, Pettacino went from Blackwell to. Yes. Pettison and Gordon Clements, yes. Okay, gotcha. But, but Blackwell had all of his health issues, had some other yeah. issues. I mean, his his talent left, and then this happened. It's just... 
Yeah, and- it was a, a lot of bad things happening to to Jerry. We've covered this stuff in in, in other shows from this era. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just a sad, I mean, this is all the time where, you no, know, Randall Brown and all that stuff was going on. Oh, so, geez. yeah. By the way, I mean, I'll use this as an opportunity to say, just like as a reminder of people, yes, I know homeowners insurance can be expensive and obviously you should have it if you can afford it. I don't think people realize sometimes renter's insurance is cheap. Like seriously, whether it's a, like a more big name carrier or using something like lemonade which is who i have my renter's insurance with you can get a decent renter's insurance for like 10 to 20 dollars a month so i know rent ain't cheap <laughs> rent ain't cheap but renter's insurance is surprisingly cheap yeah you know there's been a lot of stuff in atlanta lately where these big uh apartment complexes we've had, had fires and uh I just see that and be like, man, that's that's gotta suck, you know. Yeah, I mean, as someone who lived, I mean, that you know, my parents, you know, homeowners insurance because that was a co-op, you know, when I was what was I in seventh grade or whatever, like that, you know, that took care of a lot. Um, and because I mean, the thing is, is that you know, you're you're living in this apartment or complex or, you know, these condos or whatever, and something happens that's beyond your control, but you're, but you, you suffer the, the problems from it. Yes. That's the thing. And something like the, keeping... there was, uh, there was one right. in Atlanta, the one in Atlanta that, that's been going on lately was there was this big high rise. Uh, it's got businesses up under the, the condos and stuff. So some, these two people went up to the top of the, the roof Mm-hmm. And shot off fireworks, and somehow, some way, they fucked up, and it caught the whole whole thing on fire. <sighs> and the people didn't live there. That's the thing too. The people that were that were interviewed on the news that lived there said, "We've never seen these people before. Why were they up on the roof of our of our complex? Oh, they didn't live there. Uh, our, no, oh. they found them and arrested them." Uh, you know they're they're in jail, but I mean it's like nobody knows why they went up there and who let them up there and all this other stuff. I mean that's been the big thing lately. And there was just a a big fire um, yesterday as we record this, uh, a, a big complex up there too. That was more of an electrical thing, but yeah, yeah. It's just that's gotta suck, man. Yeah, I don't think we knew each other yet. I know I've told you the story. Do you remember how the fire in my building started? No. I, I can't remember if I've told this story on the show before. I think it might have, but many years ago. Um, there was some kind of work that was needing to be done on the roof of the building that required something with propane tanks. I forget exactly what. And they left the tanks on the roof, and they caught fire. I mean, thankfully for us, we only had water damage because we were about halfway up the building, and... We were actually able to salvage a lot of stuff. Um, you know, other people were not so lucky. Um, there was one woman who lived on the sixth floor whose dog died in the fire who decided to walk before the elevator was back working, walk all the way up to the sixth floor and then had a heart attack and died when she saw her apartment destroyed. And basically what happened was... The guy who owned the construction company had 
try had given them everything to do it the right way, which is where you have the the uh, propane tanks on ground level, and you hook up hoses that go all the way to the roof, and they didn't do it. Yeah. Gotta be careful with those propane tanks, I'll tell you that. Yeah, and something else to add on the insurance tip, too. Even if it's stuff where the damage won't be covered, like, let's say your biggest concern is floods, the homeowners and renters insurance can still come in handy by covering your hotel. Even if it doesn't actually cover the damage. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, just wanted to get that little PSA in there, because especially well, when you- I was... Think about it when you know in the current apartment when I got the renter's insurance and being reminded how actually reasonable it is and also after that hell hellscape I lived in last time with all the issues there. But anyway, let, let's move on now to uh, the the uh, professional rest. Was it professional wrestling federation? Well, it's PWF, FCW, whatever. Yeah. They ran uh, the number twenty six at Orlando. Drew one hundred seventy eight fans. As Lou Perez went to a draw with Jumbo Beretta, two stars. Mike Awesome beat Bodyguard Mark Done. Bodyguard Mark? Mark. That's Mark Canterbury. Okay. Bounty Hunters, Powerhouse Tim Parker and Al Green, yep, the dog, kept their tag titles beating Tyree Pride and Brickhouse Brown by disqualification, two and a half stars. Ron Slinker defeated Florida Heavyweight Champion Steve Kern in a non title match, half a star. And Mike Graham and Bugsy McGraw beat Kendall Wyndham and Black Jack Mulligan by disqualification, one star. And it's noted that Mulligan has lost a lot of weight. Well, <laughs> this is the time in the era where they were uh, doing their jail time. or so, No, or that, not yet. No, well, they, they get arrested the a month they, later. Yeah, they were doing the thing that get, would get them jail time. Yeah, I guess counterfeiting money helps you uh, helps you lose weight. I'm stressed from doing it. Or Kendall, in Kendall's case, helps you put it on. Yeah. Um, I was going to say here, though, there was something I just got reminded of, and now I can't remember. Um, Billy Jack Haynes was in the territory. He left after only one week, telling them that he just got off from WF to return in January. Oh, no. Then out of nowhere on Tuesday, he showed up at a boxing match in Las Vegas and announced to the crowd, which booed heavily to mention of pro wrestling, that he was challenging Mark Gastineau, the, f- the new- former New York Jets defensive lineman who has made noise about becoming a boxer, to a boxing match. Lord, how, have mercy. How many fucking times did people prank him saying they were booking him to return to the WWF? Because that's clearly <laughs> what this is, right? Or, I guess, or he's or he's lying and just didn't want to tell me he's going to try to do boxing. Uh, but Mark I... Gastineau... Yeah, there's. I mean, there's that too, I guess. But but yeah, Billy Jack Kane. I got that. I got the TV that he was on here for for uh, PWF. Yeah. He does some squash match. I do a video, and then he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> Story of his life in pro wrestling. Um, oh, now I remember what I was going to say. Um, I was watching something. It might have. Might have been the best of Kevin Sullivan and Woman on uh, the Ultimate Classic Wrestling Network Plex channel, and it was some match. It was from ICW where Ron Slinker was on the Kevin Sullivan Army of Darkness team. That was in early '86, yes. And the announcer 
and this was not like an uh, this was not a New England accent thing. This was how he was pronouncing the name. Whoever the announcer was, it was not someone I recognized. It was not Steve Budd or anyone like that. Kept calling him Ron Salinka. Not <laughs> not like Kevin Sullivan being like Ron Salinka. He was he was enunciating the name as Ron Salinka. Like like it was pronounced S A L I N K A. Yeah, well, I mean, that there's your northern, southern uh, difference in saying names and words. I don't know. It's spelled Slinker, so... Slinker. Also, how about that we have we have Ron Slinker and we have Mark Canterbury, but we don't have Dennis Knight yet. Well, he's on... I mean, he worked here at the time, so he just wasn't on oh, the show. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bodyguard Mark. What a, what a, like, what a great name. Did Gabe come yeah. up with that one? <laughs> All right, let's go to Mark the body. <laughs> well, let's go to Continental, and uh, that means Steve Beverly. Much speculation continues either CWA, CWF, or both will shut down at the end of the year. Okay, there are no confirmations on either, but it's true that Continental has been running fewer towns and crowds are low. Birmingham remains almost dead with only Montgomery drawn respectively, along with adequate support in Dothan. Now we miss David Woods who was out of his office this week for a comment on whether Robert Fuller is or isn't leaving as the booker. But Fuller was openly touted as returning to the USWA on the KTVT Dallas show on November 18th. Okay. Now he does catch up with David Woods, uh, after our week. And, uh, that's the front page story about Continental shutting down. Pretty much. Yeah. Which I think we did cover in the past, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking to get that in show number. Let's see. No, we have not covered that yet. Really? Or, well, yeah. Well, we may have because we got a slight gap. Okay, so we this is November twenty second through the twenty eighth. Two twenty nine. We did December the fourth through the tenth. And what's the cover date on the mat wash? So you're looking this at the fourth through tenth Matt Watch, or it's something like that. So or is the the twenty seventh through the sixth? But we're looking at twenty ninth, thirtieth, one, two. Th- so we got a five day week we got to fill in on that one. So we, it, it, I know we talked about it. Oh, it's not the front page. It's it starts on the second page. But it's, we talked about it though. On now, it's on, the, on it is the, yes, it is the big story in the Matt Watch covering the fourth through the te- or dated the fun, cover dated the fourth through the tenth. Yeah, so we definitely talked about it. Yes. Like, look, oh, God, I forgot the, the headline on this. Continental to fold in January. Woods, quote, I just ran out of money. But the, the, the thing that he talks about here with CWA was at the time they were talking about that. He's talking about the Memphis part of the territory was going to get shut down. Which was in all the newsletters. Which was in all the newsletters. Yes. The idea as it gets fleshed out. And I'm trying to remember if Jerry, before he died, or Jeff on his podcast have talked about this at all, how much credence there was to it. I don't, I don't think Jeff has. I don't know if Jerry did. Uh, was that, at first, the speculation is that the Memphis end will shut down. Th- that eventually transitions into being that Dallas will become the priority, including the taping for KTVD on Saturday mornings being carried live in syndication and that the Memphis ta- circuit towns will be hit once a month, basically. And yeah, be- 
because the because Memphis TV only aired in Memphis and maybe Nashville, but Evansville in the only and, part of ninety. You mean. Evansville and Louisville was a a show that aired clips from Memphis TV and Dallas TV, hosted by Michael St. John in the studio. But part, like, in, in, like, in the production studio, not in the control days, room, in the editing control day. room. Yeah, yeah. And went for months. And it was primarily it was primarily clips from the KTVT show, really. Yeah, but they they but they blended in, making it seem like all this was going on in the same place. Well, not uh, yes and no. The, oh, same time, same time. Well, yes, the episode at the beginning of ninety where the quote unquote merger is announced to absorb the CWA into the USWA. And again, this only airs in the towns on the loop. This does not air in Memphis. Most of the WMC stuff is only seen in Memphis during this period, and it's almost a B show. Would explain more in a minute. Um, what happens there? And I don't know if this is after the. Well, no, it starts before Nappy, so it's when they still think they might be doing this actual live show, and maybe this is why. Uh, Michael St. John announces, and yeah, you know, with with uh, Eddie Marlin with him, finally. All the other cities in the territory are going to have live TV wrestling every week. And the conceit ends up being that Michael St. John is throwing to live action from TV5 and the Sportatorium. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously not true. But there's even, like, there's at least one show where Bill Dundee wrestles a match... And then does a promo, quote unquote, immediately after with Michael St. John. Yeah. In the control room. And it's so obvious bullshit. I don't know why they were trying to do it that way. But that was the idea, was that all of this was happening live. Now, was the idea if they got the KTVT show on satellite to actually do any of that live eventually? I don't know. That's not something that ever really got talked about in the newsletters. But for, what is it, about the first six months of 90? At Five, least. At something least. like that. It's something like that. For about the first half of the year, that's what everything was outside of Memphis. And Memphis just gets the dregs. Like, all of the green guys are just con- confined to Memphis. You get, like... Jerry Lawler versus Green Mike Awesome main events and stuff at the Coliseum. The reason, anyway, that this whole thing doesn't happen, which is, you know, obviously Jarrett would have wanted, um, he would have wanted the KTVT show to take over in Memphis, was that he had his contract with WMC that they had to have an original show from the studio. Yeah. So that's that's what this is all talking about, but... For that reason, and because there ends up being little to no interest in the live show idea at Nappy, he ends up going back on it. But he, you know, he keeps up with this whole "oh, we're live" blah, 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 idea at first. But then, yeah, things things normalize as the year goes on. Um, yeah, looking at some of these main events, you know, you've got the Jerry Lawler King Cobra feud at the beginning of the year, switching the title back and forth. We've got Shows with no Lawler, um, you know, some some decent stuff here at first, but then like 
Also, they're running a skeleton crew, too. I'm looking at this by Memphis standards. Like, February 26th, five matches, King Cobra over Soul Taker by DQ, Dutch Mantel over Rockin' Randy, Tony Anthony and Robert Fuller over Simply Divine, Jared and Dundee over uh, Terrence Garvin and Billy Joe Travis, and Johnny, Johnny, Jimmy Valiant over Jerry Lawler. And, you know, none of this stuff is acknowledged on any of the Dallas-based TV, which gets confusing because all, you know, the Dallas syndicated show airs in Memphis and elsewhere in the territory. But yes, so now back to Continental, there's also, of course, there end up being rumors of Jarrett wanting to get the Continental TVs. Yeah. Which doesn't happen. But yeah, so that's that's something we need to think about that's in the like in the wind at this time. Plus, also, we know Stampede's closing, and I'm sure there are probably some rumors going around at this time. If you're a wrestler trying to make a living outside of the Big Two in the U.S. at this point, you're sitting there thinking that three of the territories that are left are about to close. And two of them do. Yeah. And look at what we just (laughs) talked about with Cactus Jack a few minutes ago in the, the international segment. But the wild thing is, though, is we're about to enter a year where more new wrestler promotions start up than it had done in many years. Including attempts at territories. So. Yeah, it's weird. It's, like, it's, 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 it's like doom and gloom in tor- as 89 comes to a close. And then as 90 gets going, then it's just t- promotions sprouting up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess the only one that's any kind of replacement would be what CNWA. Yeah, pretty much. And even then, I think were they even running house shows or just the TVs? Just TVs, basically. Right, because it was it was the Stampede TV producer uh, Fred Mayford. For, uh, no, wait, was it Fr- Mayford Productions? Was his company, but it was Fred May, right? Yes. He uh, he needed something for the TV slot, so he started a promotion. That taped at the uh, beautiful Silver Dollar Action Center. Yes. Great chicken fingers, apparently. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, so what what's going on here is Continental's last television show airs on November 25th. Yeah. Yes, on November 25th. And Steve Beverly talks about the big angle on the show. Well, I understand from the CWF has almost as much taste as the aborted one involving Linda Street. Talking the, about the uh, the Linda and Adrian against Beauty and the Beast feud? Yes. Yes. Okay. Ron Starr and Caddyshack Manson, one of my favorites, got into a brawl on the CWF show. Explanation was, Robert Fuller contended that Ron Starr many years ago had an illegitimate son, and when the son tried to break into pro wrestling, Cactus beat him beyond recognition, prompting a revenge try by Starr. One source told Steve that an idea had been tossed out that Manson would be that Manson would be the illegitimate son, barring from Johnny Cash's older boy named Sue theme, but the song had a lot more humor and taste. What? <laughs> I yeah, I know. So we got the the uh let's go to the promos here to uh build up this this match, shall we? There's nothing hinted at though as far as Ron Starr and his child, though. Uh this is, I mean, Fuller does the thing on the, on, they, they talk about the, the son thing on TV. Okay, they, they introduce the concept of there being a son. Oh, yes. 
that yes. Cactus Jack had driven out of wrestling. Yeah, you're about to hear about that. Okay. <laughs> so, wait a second. Okay, I'm trying to think who would have been around. This feels like it's, like, yeah, this feels very, like, Russo-like. It's you know, like Reno and Vito are brothers, you know, Abyss and uh, Messias are brothers kind of thing. It's Robert Fuller, who's, <laughs> let's just say, uh, imbibing a lot in this era. That's not the right word, Chris. Imbibing has a very specific meaning. <laughs> he is enjoying himself. Not the way he normally does, but um, he, he he's very of the season at the time with all the snow and whatnot. Yes. The light is just, the sunlight is just bouncing off the snow that it's hurting his eyes to the point he even has to wear sunglasses indoors during TV tapings. And he gets him so excited. Well, not too excited because that wouldn't be allowed on TV. With Ron Starr uh. and Johnny Rich. Some of you people may not know this guy, and a lot of you people do. I know myself, I've met him in the ring before, and he's a bad dude in the ring. And uh, but it seems this time, Ron, since you've been back, uh, the people have a different viewpoint of you. You know, I don't know what it is. You go out and the people cheer you. I know before they didn't exactly cheer you, but uh, this time they seem to be behind you. I don't know what the change is. Well, Johnny, you know, I tell you, there's been a lot of things happening all over the world of professional wrestling. You know, it wasn't but just a few days ago, WWF contacted me about coming in for them. The NWA, really? Calgary Stampede, West Coast, East Coast promoters all over the world. Well, one of those probably did. Star, but I got something to tell you, Johnny. I'll tell you why the people are behind me. For once, I've crossed over that fence. You know, there's a fine line between a quote-unquote good guy and a so-called bad guy. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's a gentleman running around here by the name of Cactus Jack Manson that I got a bit of a score to settle. I'm not going to sit out here and bore you with all the details. As far as the people cheering for me, maybe it's because I'm coming out and wrestling low-life scum like Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden in the stud stable. But like I said, Mr. Cactus Jack, you're the one. I've got no qualms with anybody else. Dennis Condry, nobody. It makes no difference to me. The only thing Ron Starr is here for is to get a match with Cactus Jack. And once I get that match, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to promise everybody out there watching TV, and especially you, Mr. Cactus Jack, I'm going to stomp a puddle of blood in the middle of your head, and then I'm going to walk it dry, mister, and you know why. You know exactly why I left Canada and went to Dallas after you. As soon as I got to Dallas, you turned tail and run right out here. Well, I'm here now, and every time you turn around, Cactus Jack, I'm going to be on your back, and I'm not going to stop until I get him, Johnny. And that's all I'm going to say about it, brother. Well, Ron, I tell you, from here, it's good to have you back, brother. It's good to be back, man. Ladies and gentlemen, this event one for... Okay, so nothing right. about the sun. Yeah, I thought, uh, the Fuller promo's not there. On, I think the Fuller promo was on a previous episode. Okay. Or, but anyway. All right, so let's go to the next clip then, which should be of the match. Okay. And then I would like to talk about Ron Starr. Oh, yeah. This Jack Manson in, follows up with that down. Whoa! Uh, he, uh, Cactus just took the craziest version of the Harley race bump that I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, he was he was wilding out here. He flew. I gotta see that. Whoa! Yeah, oh my God! Ron Star takes Cactus Jack Manson and throws him. What was his wording about the bumps he likes to take to Stu? What a brawl we have going here! I don't even remember now. Into the turnbuckle goes Cactus Jack Manson. Ron Star. 
Ron Starr is exploding here in the Montgomery Civic Center. He has a score to settle. I think I've seen this before. It turns into a little brawl, right? And now begins to throw those right. The first place I saw it. first way I saw it was from you. And I believe I got it from... Where will this one end? It's Continental. I think I got it from Tim Knoll. Manson. So, I mean, the first place I saw it was the original airing. Yes. Because it aired on Atlanta. By Ron Starr. This one could end up anywhere. This one could end up anywhere. Again, head first in to the ring goes Cactus Jack Madsen. This match certainly uh, no guidelines for it to stay in the ring. <laughs> Backdrop over the guardrail after Star knocked over part of the guardrail. Of the roped off area, Ron Star. The lighting is your uh, trademark. Uh, He's down on the floor. Woods lighting. If we can, let's follow this. Mark. It is out in the crowd. The ring is lit okay. The rest is not. It is out in the crowd. And Star takes it into the chairs in the arena. And who knows where this one will end up. They're going up top. They're going up top in the bleachers. Ron Starr comes out a madman against Cactus Jack, throwing right, throwing left. We can't follow all the action. They said this, uh, yeah, ring the bell because about three seconds of this match took place in the ring and the rest of it has been all over the Montgomery Civic Center. What will Ron Starr do next? Good chop to the upper chest area of Cactus Jack Manson. And it's right and left. Swapping blows out on the floor, going out the, to the main lobby of the Montgomery Civic Center. Where will it end up? Nobody knows. Oh. And, well, we we can only follow it so far. It's in the back of the, in the front of the Montgomery Civic Center right now, moving down one of the walls. And it's hard to see what's happening here. It seems like that uh, Ron Starr has things pretty much under control in this match. Hard right by Ron Starr. And uh, there goes our monitor into the <laughs> desk. Goes Cactus Jack. And I think I'll just uh, ease over here on this side. It's very ECW. I'm over yes. here in the uh, crowd now. And back in the ring it goes finally. I tell you, these two are taking it. Oh, man. To the extreme. Cactus Jack, a mass of blood. Out of the ring he goes. Jack no wonder Paul wanted to start the consortium off of this. And well, I'll have more on that in a second. Oh, right and left, right and left. Star takes his head first into the head of Cactus Jack Madsen. It was an actual safe chair uh, to the head, though. If we can gather what we have left together here, I'll tell you what. This is fantastic. This one has gone everywhere. I think Madsen has gone one star. As you can see, our crowd favorite after that melee. He is a tough one. Well, if, uh, if Cactus Jack Manson don't know his number has come up, uh, he needs some help, I guarantee you. 
Charlie, that is a fight right there, brother. That's the kind of fighting that's going to be in all the arenas all over the country, Charlie. So you people out there, well. look for, for Cactus <laughs> Jack Manson and Ron Starr to be fighting everywhere. Uh, Ron Starr has a big score to settle with Cactus Jack Manson. And uh, round one was here in the Montgomery Civic Center. And uh, I think, without a doubt, round one goes to Ron Starr in the Battle of Cactus Jack Manson. I, I have no... It certainly ain't over, Charlie, by no means. I'd like to remind everybody that tonight in Dilton, Alabama, the Houston County Farm Center... All right. Um, is Ron Starr the greatest journeyman in, if not the entire history of the territory system, then at least the latter days of the territory system? I love Ron Starr. Uh, pretty much. I mean, and the thing is, is that... Uh, you look at where he mainstay worked, okay? Um, Stampede, he would go in and out of there. Double C, in and out of there. Alabama. Uh, the, the Maritimes, he worked in and out of there. Uh, he worked for Tomco in Vancouver. Uh, he did a stint in Southeastern 84. He worked for Ole in Championship Wrestling Georgia in, in 85. Um he mentions it here. He works in USWA in Dallas. Briefly. You know, but it, it, briefly yeah. 89. Um, but he, he, was just, in, he was in WOW, too, for a bit. Well, he, he worked WOW for a, a, a bit. Yeah, I mean, he just worked these te places that were a lot of similarities in the te in the places. Smaller territory. I mean, small. What were considered smaller in terms of reach and money territories. But it's, it, I mean, I, I wonder why he didn't have a run in Memphis. He'd been awesome in Memphis. Now he did work New Japan, though. He worked New Japan. In the latter part of his career. He, yeah, eighty nine. He had at he least two on, tours. He, was on and Sid. he worked. He, he was, worked there in eighty eight too. He was a tag partner of Sid. Um, to be a vicious warrior. Yes, but but yeah, Ron Ron's awesome. I mean, just an awesome, awesome wrestler. Um, usually as a heel, but man, he was a kick-ass babyface here. You know, yeah. How much? How much of all this is by choice, and how much is that certain promotions may have kind of shunned him over the Royshire lawsuit? <sighs> there was probably some stuff to that, yeah, because he was involved in the whole Royshire kayfabe. This, that, and the other. Uh, because he, Ron was a star in San Francisco. He was the U.S. champion in San Francisco when that, when all that stuff was going down with Shire. And he worked at, oh, can't forget, Ron was a star in Portland. Yeah. For a stretch. Well, so for those who don't know, the thing that would have made him potentially someone who would be, if not blackballed, then at least kind of been prone to being shunned by the bigger territories after that was that the lawsuit was explicitly he was promised a U.S. title run or well no but you said he got the U.S. title so whatever it was there was some kind of specific push he was promised that he didn't get and that was what the lawsuit was over he also was a NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion with McGork yeah and so, he, did, he worked Los Angeles as well in the league. Worked right? Los Angeles, absolutely. Which at that point is a smaller territory, really. And even San Francisco, when he was there, it's a big market, it's but it's, it was it's not end. really a territory anymore. Yeah. But So he only worked these smaller... 
Like, I am saying he did. I mean, again, he worked St. Louis, but that's not a territory. He's not working they were Central State. Big territory. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's there because he's in Central State. Oh, he had older New Japan tours, too. He worked there in 80 and 78. Like, but Yeah, he, he had time there, yeah. He's a guy who, like, he's a great wrestler, and it comes across in a lot of the footage that's available. Because he's got a great variety of opponents and different styles and stuff. Yeah, he's a solid talker. Yeah, that promo was just really solid. Like, he... <laughs> But he's someone who, on talent, could have easily been a much bigger star. Yeah, but he had. But th- by this point in time, he had a look that wouldn't have worked. By this point, no. Um. Oh, he was okay. So he did work a little bit of bigger territories earlier on. He was Steve Kern's tag team partner for Crockett. Yeah, he, he, when he was younger, yeah, he did work in places. Uh, yeah, but even that, I'm looking at its main. It's still, I mean, so I guess, yeah, Pat. I mean, that would, uh, yeah, he did work championship wrestling from Florida. Yeah, he works the major. Okay, so I mean, that might be some fire to the smoke of the Shire thing, though, because it's really in the late '70s when he starts to not work major territories anymore. Yeah, but. If you're a smaller territory promoter, do you necessarily care that the, that he filed this lawsuit that kind of exposed the business, but against a promoter that everyone else hated? Who's was, out of the business? I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And he was great in Portland as a babyface, too. Yeah. So, both of us love but, Ron Ron Starr. If, like, if there is a... If there is a hall of like there's the term hole of very good and I feel like that would be too condescending for him. He he is a Hall of Famer of being he is he is the journeyman Hall of Fame, I guess is the way to put it. He um yeah. Um also this is how like I said this is how Continental ended on television. Because they were supposed to have another TV show the next week. That was going to be like a best of show. And it was Robert, a rerun. Fuller, yeah. Robert Fuller never showed up to edit the show. Oh, I wonder why. They waited and waited and waited on him and he never showed up. Of course. Um, so, yeah. So that this is the end of Continental. Um, it was reported in Matt Watch, shockingly, shockingly, that when, you know, if Continental wasn't going to have any more television – that ICW would be glad to take their time slots on uh, in Atlanta. The Paul Heyman booked ICW, no less. Which just started, right? That he started yeah. booking there. But he's one. He's wanting the TVs in Atlanta, which he does get. So. Oh, I see. That's when ICW gets on the Atlanta block. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it takes over Continental slot. Yep. But it doesn't take over any other Continental slots. No, just in Atlanta. But this is when he start. Well, this is also when he tries to start the consortium stuff up with Eddie. Yeah. So because Continental closes, so you know. Plus, all, there's all that weird older Continental ICW history too. That makes yeah. it even more interesting. With how I don't know if it was one of the reasons they used solely at the beginning, 
but they ended up after Soli had started with Con. Well, no, it was but before Continentals became Continentals, it wouldn't have been the reason where they tried to use the ICW TVs with Soli in Alabama to run opposition while Soli mm-hmm. was there as the host of Continental. Mm-hmm. To the point that Soli actually had to go on Continental TV and explain that these were old tapes and he didn't work there anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, so there's that. At the end of Continental Wrestling on television with Ron Starr and Catfish Jack uh, brawling all over the building. So no Fullers, no Armstrongs closing out Continental. Ron Fuller and Catfish Jack and Charlie Platt and Johnny Rich, who was the authority figure on television at the time, uh, f- closing the show proper. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm looking at McFoley's book to see if there's anything I should be reading here. Um, okay, here's what he talks about. Here's what Mick says in his first book about the Ron Star thing in the end, at the end of Continental. Um, uh, okay. Yes, I had a good time in Alabama, but I couldn't completely ignore the fact that business sucked. The crowds were bad to the point I was starting to get buzzed regularly on a couple beers in the backseat of my car following anemic attendance figures at our shows. I even resorted to drinking a 32-ounce cold 45 malt liquor out of a paper bag on one trip. Think about this. This is Mick Foley that is saying this. Brown bagging it. Noted teetotaler Mick Foley. Continental was, however, the place where Cactus Jack learned how to brawl. Rotten Ron Starr was a veteran wrestler with a forehead that looked like pink taffy from all the years of bloodshed he had endured. He had come to the territory even though Fuller and Golden accidentally injured his neck years earlier. I had my first match with Rotten Ron in uh, Meridian, Mississippi, and we clicked right away. Ron had cut a great promo. Oh, excuse me. Rob had got a great promo about Star, saying he was hot at Cactus Jack because Cactus had done a number on Star's, quote, love child that he'd had with a little senorita around El Pat down around That's El Paso. That's exa- the exact wording. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. It may have been a ridiculous premise, but Star played it up big to the point that he came a- across like one mad SOB when he tore in- into me in Meridian. It was a true give-and-take match, with Star giving out punishment and me taking it. We fought in the ring and outside it, up the bleachers and back down, and when I stumbled off into my dressing room, Star returned to the ring to a huge ovation. The next day, Star, excuse me, Ron was putting me over big time and concluded by saying, Do you know who you remind me of, kid? My mind started racing. Who? Harley Race? Terry Funk? Ray Stevens? His answer was a bit of a letdown. Mike Boyette, he said, beaming. I only knew Boyette as the guy who who had run off over 100 straight losses in Bill Watts' Mid-South group, and I guess Starr could see my confusion as he let me in on the fact that at his peak, Boyette, the California hippie, was the premier bump man in the sport. We took our match around the loop, always ad-libbing, and always creating new twists along the way. Our run peaked with a memorable and bloody TV brawl at the Montgomery Civic Center that left Star as the unlikely biggest babyface in the company. Our feud was short-lived, however, as we received word that the company would be shutting down right after Thanksgiving. After a year and a half of steady, if somewhat poorly comp- yeah, if somewhat poorly compensated work, 
I now found myself with the unsavory task of looking for a job. It was during this trying time that I heard the phone ring in our apartment, and when I picked it up, it was the voice of Shane. I heard... I. It was the... This, it, there's weird OCR because there's no official ebook at this. I think a word or two is missing. It was the voice of Shane Douglas saying, Hello, could I speak to Cactus, please? And that's the beginning of him going to WCW. So, I mean, when he says it's where Cactus Jack learned to brawl, not that he was bad before this, that Ron Starr match we just watched is really the earliest you can see what we would know is a Cactus Jack match. Yeah. You know, as his style of match. Yeah. So, I mean, there you go. Like, and he puts over Rotten Star Huge. Rotten Star. Ron, Ron, Ron Star Huge there. Um, so, just a shame, though, that they clo- had to close up. But It was the business at the time, although, you know, who knows what could have happened. But anyway. Yeah. And, I mean, we should note real quick, just, you know, listen to the other show we did to hear more about it but you know like wood said that also like building rent had gone up and stuff there were things well, were we talk about well. it, we both talked about it on the continental exile shows from years ago right things were not going well but there were also other factors too because just, Bo, Bo, Bo was you know doing his promoting for him in this time period so he was promoting spot towns as a teenager <laughs> as a teenager so he talks about it on those shows so yeah Sad times, but still, at least Ron Starr got to have that one moment there on American tele- wrestling television that he ain't had in years. So, there's that. All right, well, let's go to Memphis now. Jerry Lawler made the full-fledged heel turn on television November 25th. He did an interview with a copy of recent PWI Weekly, which he read a section where he talked about how the fans were turning against him in Memphis. He complained about the fans again for taking Dutch Mantel's side in their feud and kept on while Mike Davis and a New York brawler came out for a squash match. Well, let's go to the King with his PWI Weekly and Dave Brown. Yeah, the, the most recent time he uh, showed everyone a PWI Weekly, this was not the one. He has had some words in the past few days that, uh, about his fans or, as he said, so-called fans. His hair is magnificent in this era, though. Yeah. There's a few of them, you can tell, from uh, his walk around the ring, no doubt about that. There he is, King, with a world unified belt in hand and the crown in the other. Yeah, seems like I got it all right now, don't it, Dave? Well, yeah, it kind of does. Well, I do have, uh, of course, the crown and the belt that I've had for a while, but it seems that I got something else here that I want to talk about. Uh, this, I, I don't know if you can see, see what this is right here. This is a, uh, you know, you see the wrestling magazines all over the, every uh, newsstand and that sort of thing. Well, there's also, they, they now put out a thing called Pro Wrestling Illustrated Weekly. Mm-hmm. It kind of keeps you up to date on more current than the, the normal magazines and that sort of thing. And they have a little thing here on the, uh, the continued over here from the cover story. And just a little, a little article that I wanted to read just maybe the first paragraph of, and, and just I want to get this off my chest, get it kind of out in the open, see what's going on here. It says right here, now this, this is what is, is going around nationally. This is the kind of story that they're hearing all over the country. I mean, this thing's printed in New York City. It says, uh, bad blood between Dutch Mantell and Jerry Lawler has forced Memphis area fans to take sides. Right. 
three little dots. It's, it's got three little dots, and then it says, what does it say right there? It says, and they're siding with Mantell. And they're siding... I mean, there, you know, there's a whole long story. It goes in here to it goes in here to tell the story of how this took place. Uh, it says that Lawler constantly warned Mantell to stay out of his business, but Mantell didn't listen. Is that true? Said said told Mantell to stay out of the way no matter what happened. That's right. And he didn't. He continued to interfere in my matches. Bill Dundee continued to interfere in my matches. A lot of people have continued to interfere in my matches when all I did was simply ask them to stay out of my way. Mind your own business. That's a simple request. If I asked you to mind your own business and stay away from me, what would you do, Dave? You'd stay away from me, right? That's right. That's right. Well, why, why is it so difficult for guys like Dutch Mantell and Bill Dundee to understand it? I'm going to tell you why. I've got it all It's this right here. It's this World Heavyweight Championship belt, and I realize now that people like Dutch and people like Dundee are just like these other guys that I've been wrestling. They're consumed with jealousy. They're eat up with the fact that I have the belt and they don't, and it's as simple as that. But you see, guys, this is not a popularity contest. This makes no difference who the fans over here cheer for as far as this belt goes. The belt belongs to the better man. It's as simple as that. The fans don't win this belt for you. Oh, the fans might win you a popularity contest, but they ain't going to win you no world title. you got to do that in the ring, and that's what I've been able to do. And that's why Dundee and that's why Dutch Mantell are so jealous. Now, Dutch wants to claim that it's something about the fact that he's from Texas. Now, it's true. Uh, Texas is certainly not my favorite place. If they were ever going to give the world an enema, they'd stick the nozzle in Texas. Now, let me tell you something, Dutch. The See fact that you're supposedly from Texas, though, has nothing to do with mine and your problem. I just don't like you. I happen to coincidentally not like Dallas or Texas either, but Dutch, I don't like you personally, and you know why. It's because you can't keep your nose out of my business. Now, what I'd like to do for a second here, Dave, if you don't mind... Do we have? Do we have another microphone here anywhere? Oh yeah. What are you? What are you going to tell me? You got a match? Coming? Yeah, we got a match. Yeah, we've got another microphone here. Well, I mean, I guess this match. These guys are coming out here to wrestle. Well, yeah. I'm not through talking though. Well, that doesn't really matter, does it? I'll well, tell you what. If you got another microphone, why don't I sit down here? I'll continue my conversation while these guys wrestle. Will that be all right with you? That'll be okay with me. Yeah. Come on around. We've got a mic uh, here under the desk. So is this the beginning of Lawler doing commentary? Yes. How long do I need to continue for here? I mean, just let it go for a minute or so. Okay. We're not going to do the whole thing. He, t- he talks to the whole match, but yeah. I mean, we'll talk more about the term, but what I love about this is... Because it's tricky. They're taking something that... In Memphis, a lot of the time would be two guys feuding as baby faces and then coming out of it as baby faces. But because they drag it out for weeks with this slow burn, it makes the idea of Lawler turning from it land better and make more sense than it would normally, where it's the type of thing where you expect you would expect it to blow over after they fight. You know what well, I mean? Well, there's a thing that happens after a week where Lawler does something and becomes a babyface again for a week and then does the full force heel turn. He does a bait and switch. Oh. 
I did not remember that. Yeah, so they do that too. But you play this just a little bit longer. Hey, just as a reminder, by the way, he has not been a heel in almost a decade. In 1980, before his injury, yes. Yeah, he got, he had turned back heel in late 79. Uh, then he got hurt. Yeah, he'd been a heel for like six six months. When was the original babyface turn? Or was there ever actually a turn and was just, he just kind of evolved into a babyface? He evolved into a babyface in 77. And then he, and then yeah, he turned, he had turned heel. When in, was it in 79? When in 79? Like end of the uh, August-ish? Because the Freebirds debut, I think, in August, and he's a babyface. No, Freebirds are earlier than that. July? Okay. July, June-ish. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, August seemed right, though. So then, yeah, it's like five, six months, and then he gets hurt, and then comes back as a babyface, and he's been a babyface ever since, at this point. That we keep for spare in case mine goes out. That right there. Just grab that. Yeah, Bob, you got a chair for uh, just yeah. Bob's got a chair. Just have- who is this match? Uh, it's Mike Mike Davis and Lou Fabiano against Frankie the Thumper Lancaster and Ben Jordan. Oh, ben I think. Jordan. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wait, so oh, not Frank, not Frankie Lancaster, another guy. There was another Lancaster. Yeah. And Brawler. What was Lou Fabiano's name here, though? The New York Brawler. That's right. Okay. It says right there on the screen. Dude. It just says Brawler. It doesn't say New York Brawler. That's what I meant. Well. Uh, yeah. I hear that the tag belts are uh, held up. They are held up. We're looking at the new champions, and we're fixing to show you why. Uh, Mike Davis and the New York Brawler headed for the ring right here. They... And it's Lou Fabiano it, with his it, beard and, and hair and hat done up to look like Steve Lombardi. And, and, and it is Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. Okay. Why are they doing a Brooklyn Brawler ripoff gimmick? It's Memphis. They had an ultimate warrior ripoff gimmick in the same time period. I well, a year and a half, two years later, yes, but I think they did well. They did well. Kind of. They had something going on, but they're doing just doing ripoff gimmicks. I know, but it's not. It's not like Brook, the Brooklyn Brawler introduction was some hot angle and big feud. Like, yeah, one of is Dutch Mantel, by the way. Huh. Which is which, which is why the another reason why the Lawler turns going on is because Dutch is is trying to make himself the number one babyface, feuding with Lawler because he's the Booker. Came to the CWA Tag Titles. Frankie the Thumper Lancaster in there right now. Ben Jordan is his partner. Oh, and I take it this is close to Tommy Lane. They're beating on each other before the match started. It was a little unusual the way they get themselves psyched up for the match, I guess. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. What do you think is more important right now? Watching these guys wrestle, me talking about my situation with the World Heavyweight Championship. Well, I, I, I'm kind of interested in the match here, especially with Davis and the Brawler claiming they're uh, top contenders for Wait the. Wait a minute! Uh, what you, you're you're what you're interested in this match, Davis? Yeah. <laughs> Come on! The only person that would be interested in this match is the kind of guy that would think a six pack of beer and a bug zapper is quality entertainment. Now you're gonna you're gonna tell me that 
you're interested in these guys wrestling? Well, you got Mike Davis in here, former rock and roll RPM, and on the other side, you got uh, Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. Yeah, Both of them yeah, known but, quantities. Yeah, but you got no competition. I mean, look, who is this other guy in the ring? Well, that guy with the long hair there. That's Ben Jordan. He's out of Nashville. Ben Jordan ben, in Nashville. Yeah, Ben Jordan. Weighs 195. Not very big, but with... <laughs> These two guys in there now can go, no doubt about it. A monkey flip out of the ring, out of the corner by uh, Frankie Lancaster, and Mike Davis finds himself on the mat. Well, can I continue talking about my situation? Or do you want to go ahead and talk about this? Well, go ahead. We'll, we'll yeah, try to try to do both here. If something exciting happens here, we'll comment on that, right? All right. Well, I, I can go on uninterrupted then. Let me just talk for a second, if I can, about the situation here involving the fans, Dave. I have, I, you know, I have said over the years, I've had people come to me and say, Hey, King, what's the deal? One place you wrestle in Texas, you're a bad guy. You wrestle up in Tennessee or Kentucky, that area, and you're a good guy. And I tell them, hey, I always wrestle the same way no matter what. It's the fans who are the ones that change. It's the fans. When I walked out of the dressing room door in Dallas, Texas, the first time I was ever there, I was the same nice guy I am up here, but simply because I was wrestling against Kerry Von Erich, they didn't even give me an opportunity to prove to them what a nice guy was. They immediately started booing me. And now, though, I can understand a situation like that, but what I can't understand is how the people in this area can be so confused. Anything exciting happening in there yet? I'm not even watching. Well, not, not, not especially. Oh, okay, there you go. All right. Now, let me just say this. What I can't understand is how the people in this area can be so confused. How can they, after years and years of me giving, me, giving them my heart and soul, being the best wrestler to ever set foot in a ring here, finally winning the world championship for him, how can they then turn around and cheer for a guy like Dutch Mantell, who was just recently managed by this big fat slob, Ronnie P. Gossett, and now they start cheering for a guy like, who was it, uh, Chris Champion out here, he was just managed by Ronnie P. Gossett, Why, just a few minutes ago they cheered for the Soul Taker. Uh, there's some confusion here somewhere, Dave. Well, there may be some confusion. I must point out that somebody like Chris Champion came out here today to help out someone in trouble, and maybe that's the who famous confusion. Well, the dirty white girl. Well, who cares about the dirty white girl, and who cares about the dirty white boy? Who cares what kind of trouble they have between themselves? They're both a couple of sleaze bags, and they both, you know, they cheat every chance they get. Why would you be? Why would you care what happens to either one of them? You also have a good point. That's why I think the fans are confused yeah, because you're uh, right. They're confused, and I guess it's going to be up to me to show them the error of their ways. Listen to this here. Listen to this guy. Some guys over here hollering, "Shut up!" Well, he can't even hear what I'm saying. Wait, there's some confusion out here. I think the fact that you walked away from Dutch and the fact that you walked away from Dundee when they were in trouble and, and, and greatly outnumbered uh, against people who were who were teaming up on them, and I think the fans uh, rightly said, hey, wait a minute, is, is this what the king ought to be doing? Well, Dave, all I was doing was trying to show them how they should act. And believe me, I am not being two-faced when I say this. I would expect them to do the same thing if I had been in their situation because I had asked them to stay out of my matches, don't interfere, and I'm not interfering yours. So then all of a sudden, when I made that plane and tour, everybody gets mad at me when I don't interfere in their matches. Now, did they expect me to come out there and help them after I told them I wasn't going to? Did they? Well, I don't know. Well, why should they be mad at me? No, they didn't. They knew I wasn't going to help them. 
Honestly, what came what I came away with more from watching that clip than the Lawler promo was uh, Mike Davis and Frankie Lancaster had terrible timing as far as the territory system closing. Uh, and Davis had been around a while, but he well, Lancaster definitely. Lancaster definitely, but, but Davis, Davis had been around to, since 1980. He'd been around, so but I mean, I'm looking at him. He's still like the way he's able to work in this match, like. He's still got something left to give, and he does not have an oppor- good opportunity to do it going forward. He just works in places that, smaller places, you know? Yeah. Lancaster especially, though, he had a look. He could work his ass off, and kind of right around the time where he really should have been getting like bigger opportunities and pushes, there go the territories. Yeah. Alright, so um, Lawler kept talking while team announced Dave Brown tried to get him to stop so they could watch the match. Lawler wouldn't stop talking and wound up doing colors of heel during the match. After the match, Lawler went to two women in the audience, obviously plants, and asked them which one they liked better. Well, let's watch how this played out. Why do we get the feeling they might not, not obviously be plants? Well, All right, thank you, Michael. Sounds exciting. We'll be looking for Christmas chaos coming up. All right, well, the king is still here, and he says he wants to talk to some of the crowd over here and maybe find out what's going on. Let's go over to the king right now. I know I've said this before, by the way. It really is amazing how much of the gray hair changes your perception of Dave Brown's age. Well, like if he didn't gray- have the gray hair here, I don't think it would be surprising that he's 43. You know what I mean? He's younger here than I am now. <laughs> yeah. So wait, where would okay, so where would that put me on the Dave Brown pantheon cuz okay, I'm about I'm about to turn 39. So that would so, be September 85. Yeah. During the, during, yeah, during that era. Okay, so I'm 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 about the same age as Dave Brown. Uh, oh, great! During the uh, era of uh, top heel tag team Ron Sexton and uh, who was it? Coco. No, Ray. they then broke up by then. No, you're 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 the no, same. No, by age September, as... yes, but like during yeah, the you're summer. You're the same. It was Lawler Dundee. The Lawler Dundee angle. When Dundee. Well, Lawler back. Dundee's after he t- turns thirty. Oh, October. October. That's what I'm. No, but I'm saying it's. I'm not 39 yet, 
So you're t- you're the same age as Dave is during the Bota, the witch doctor angle. Or well, Lance would say Bota, the witch doctor. Well, I'm doing the Leslie Floyd Creechman Bota. Bota. Uh, right, speaking of King and his uh his friends here. Leslie Floyd Creechman was around today. I really hope no promotion would bring him in right now. <sighs> Could you imagine? Well, okay, I get I Billy would do it. <laughs> yeah. Alright. Can, can you get a shot of these people right here? These two that's a young lady right there. What are you, boy boy or girl? <laughs> I can't tell. I can't tell. Just just stand stand up here for just one second. Now all I want to know, what's your name? They're not plants. Lower just made a beeline for the first group of white fans he saw. <laughs> And also, girls. So he can, he can get that line off of how you a boy, girl, or girl. Which I guess he was going by a haircut or something. I'm not sure even which one he was talking to, but Misty. Misty. Okay. All Misty. I want to know is this, Misty. Now, you, I guess in this match, what I I take it from your. Uh... Oh no, probably not <laughs> because of the haircut. Yeah. Yeah. He does have very short hair in an era where that wasn't the norm for young ladies. These days, it would, it's not quite, but these days, it, would, it wouldn't it would be that far off from, like, a pixie cut. Yeah, but in 1989, you didn't have a whole lot of ladies with that kind of haircut, no. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be pulling for... In this match, what I, I take it from your um, actions here, you're going to be pulling for Bill Dundee? Yep, I sure am. Can, can, can you... Can, Tell me why that is, Mister. Because he's better than you. What? What was that? You can whoop your butt in a minute. Now, is this? Is this, I mean, do you not realize? I mean, were you for Dutch Mantel when I was wrestling Dutch? Sure was. Did you not? Did you hear me tell those guys to stay out of my business? Yet they still interfered. Did you realize that? They was trying to help you. Did but. That does not matter. Did you realize that before they tried to help me, that I asked them nicely not to interfere in my matches? Did you hear me say that? I heard it, but they was trying to help you. See, you're missing the point here. You're missing the entire point. I asked them not to help me. When somebody asked them not to help you, you shouldn't help them. So why did they interfere? They wanted to. Uh, uh, uh. No, uh. Just say this to you two. You might ought to put a helmet on your head because I saw a woodpecker flying around in here. Both of you guys. A little con- they're a little confused here, Dave. Well, as we talked about it. See, that they don't even know. It's like I said, it's confusion, Dave. They don't know what they're saying. She's standing there. She's at a loss for words because she knows I'm right. They know I'm right, but they, they just, you know, they don't know what to say. Well, they also know that uh, the Dutch and Bill were trying to help you, I think, is what, is what they were saying. I didn't want their help, and I didn't need their help. I understand. There's Keith Eric. Okay. If she was a plant, I think it was only in the sense she was pre-selected. I don't think she was, like, a plant plant. Well, the... She was pretty sassy with the king there too. She was, but maybe they maybe they asked some of them 
for their thoughts before the show and went with whoever had the best answers and the best personality. All right, so what do you think about the king's rationale here regarding his feelings that, you know, why he's upset with these guys? Because he told them, I don't want you to be involved in my, my stuff, but they still want to do it anyway, and that's why he's mad. It's been a rationale for plenty of heel turns over the years. Um, I feel like it only really lands if it backfires, you know, if they cost him the match. But in this context, because he keeps asking and they keep defying it, I do think it gives him a good internal logic, yes. Plus, it's also two guys who he's feuded with on and off for years. Dundee and Dutch. And Dundee being the one that tur- has turned on him. You know, when he turned on Dundee too. They turned on each other. And then you got a situation with the female demographic. Dundee's main fan base was women. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing too is if you're going to do this type of deal where you're going to interview fans, you know, that's that makes sense interview a lady because they're going to be more prone to cheer for Dundee. Yeah. As Dundee himself would put it, you know, cute little Aussie looks a little bit like Elvis. (laughs) But, all right, so Dave Dave was talking about uh, he asked if one was a guy or a girl and after they said they liked Mantel better, Law was starting insulting him. So then we get heard Chris Champion's music. It wound up with Lawler doing smart-ass commentary during the cha- Chris Champion squash. Lawler kept asking rhetorically why the fans want to cheer for him, who Champion's actually the most overbay face on the promotion right now, since he had greasy hair and worshipped the devil, which is actually true. <laughs> well, Champion uh, decides that he wants Lawler to do something about it. So let's go to the clip. <laughs> Chris Champion, two minutes, seven seconds, get the win. Boss winners teamed about it. Jerry, let me get out of here. Hey, let me ask you something right now. Hey, do you people, do you people remember? I just want to make one more point right now of what I'm trying to say. Can you see this? Can you see this boy or girl or whatever it is right here? Now, now she's throwing kisses again. at Chris Champion. Now, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. This is a guy. This is a guy who just... He was kissed, though. Here's a... Now, here... I, for one, am shocked that Chris Champion would uh, touch a presumably underage female fan like that. <laughs> she was all for it. <laughs> yeah. Now here's the guy. Did it really? Now here. Now here's the guy. Did it really? This girl to him. Okay. All I'm trying to say is. Oh, felt like a girl to me, or looked like a girl. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's a guy who just a few short weeks ago came out here with this big snake. He had his brother. They cheated every move they could cheat in the wrestling ring. Wait a minute, wait, wait, just... Hey, let me say my piece. Let me say my piece. Let me say my piece. Now, you, look, you know... Do they ever give a reason 
I since I for, I had forgotten that they were acknowledged as brothers. Do they ever give a reason in Memphis why they have different last names? No. Even though they have the same last name in real life. Yeah, but Mark Starr is Mark Starr, Chris Champion is Chris Champion, and when they, neither one were using their real last names. So no. When did when <laughs> and they just he was Chris Champion because he was already established in wrestling as Chris Champion. Yes. And Mark Starr was already established in the territory as Mark Starr. And hadn't been working anywhere as Mark Starr, yes. But they they acknowledge them as brothers from the beginning of the Wild Side gimmick, right? Yes. Okay. That's true. He's got this long, stringy, greasy hair. Here's a guy. Here's a guy who got. Here's a guy who got fired from a construction job because of his appearance. Now here's a guy who was managed by Ronnie P. Gossett. That's and a joke. every one of you people, I know. Each and every one of you about three or four weeks ago booed him every time he stepped in the ring, and you know you did. You know you did. And now here today, now here today, you're cheering for him. All I'm saying is, you people are confused and you need to get your head screwed on right. And there's the king, 
fought his way now through the curtain, and he says the fans are confused. Boy, I think we're all sitting here confused. We'll take a break. We'll return with more CWA Championship Wrestling. It's just Lawler's rationale. Another thing is so interesting. He's always he's asked about the fans. Well, these these people were just big time heels a few weeks ago. You know, a few weeks ago, and now you're cheering for them because they've had a situation where they've had a change of heart. I don't understand you people. That's another layer to this whole thing too. There's layers here that is that is storyline. It's very interesting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not the one that's changed. You're the one that's the fans are the ones that's changed. Very just interesting stuff. How they do this whole angle. Um. So anyway, um. Yep, the Soul Taker held Dutch all enough from behind with a chair. So there's your big shot of the TV show right there of that. But we'll have more TV in a minute. Um. Well, no, I'll go ahead and pump it up. I'll move this down. I'll move, I'll move the TV stuff up. Uh, and the rest of the TV stuff, because I had it buried a little bit further down. So, let's uh, move them up in the notes. For some okay. reason, I, I'm doing that now. Alright, so... Kevin Dillinger. Cowboy Kevin Dillinger. Um, the Alan Martin, who's... Uh, not yet a member of the RPNs, but he's Cowboy Kevin Dillinger, who's doing the Jack Hart loser gimmick. Came out this week with manager Boss Winters. Wait, Boss Winters managed someone else? Well, he's managing quite a few people here. Uh, had a name of every CWA wrestler in the fishbowl and was going to pick a name out, uh, out of his opponent, uh, pick a name out for his opponent who you vowed to beat in his winless streak. He claimed he had a new gimmick, which would enable him to win all of his matches. And he came out wearing face paint and claimed his name was the Ultimate Dillinger. Dix. That's what I was talking about. So let's go to this, shall we, and see whose name he picks out and what happens. Well, 10 minute time limit match schedule here, or should I see half of a one fall 10 minute time limit match schedule? Kevin Dillinger still trying to climb the ladder, hasn't won a match yet, but uh, Boss says. Uh, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, let me thank you, let me thank you for your cooperation and the win a date with the Ultimate Dillinger contest. I just saw another big band out back dumping them letters and cards out. These ladies, it's crazy to go out with this fine-looking man. Let me thank you so much for your cooperation, Charlie Brown. Uh, you're very welcome, there, Boss. And... What cooperation has been? What is? It had been a while since I'd actually seen any stuff where he was. Still, Alan. Well, actually, wait. Did he have the dark hair or the blonde hair in Continental as Mr. Alan Martin? He had a lighter hair color. So, yeah, this is the first time in a while I've seen him with the dark hair, and he looks very different. And the the face paint, too. Yes. And also, in the context of Memphis, he looks a lot physically bigger than he does elsewhere. Well, of course. You know I'm evaluating my man. You know I'm checking him out. I got He is going to be a great star. He's going to make me a great star. And right here so I can see. We don't know his opponent. Well, I'm tired of these hand-picked opponents, Dave. I want you to reach your little hand in here. Every wrestler in the CWA is right there. They're waiting in the wings. By the way, if it wasn't obvious who the booker is at this point, it would be from how obvious it is who is coaching Boss Winters on his Brobos. <laughs> it's very Dutch. <laughs> very Dutch sounding. 
like ridiculously so. Like, yeah. I can't say I ever heard anyone do a Dutch Mantel impression in a promo before. <laughs> but that is still very obviously Boss Winters doing a Dutch Mantel impression. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He's even changed up his look a little bit to look more like Dutch. The way he's uh, quaffing his facial hair and everything. Huh. Yeah. And to see who's unlucky enough to face this man today, just reach in, draw it out. We'll beat the brains out of anybody you pull out of there, baby. Who, whoever comes Kevin out of here. Kevin Williams bodybuilding. Well, this should be interesting here. Anybody. All right, baby. Who you got there? Who you got there? Jerry Lawler, bring him out. Jerry Lawler? No, this is huh? Jerry Lawler. Huh? Bill Dundee, the midget, bring him out. <laughs> Not Bill Dundee. How about Dirty Dutch Mantel? I'd like to beat his brains out. Bring him out. It isn't Dutch Mantel. Well, who is it? Davey, bring him on out. God, this will be great. Uh, Maybe it's yeah. Frankie, the thumphead Lancaster. You sure you want to know? Yeah, bring him out. Who is it? Bring him out. Who is it? Come on. It, it's the soul taker. Drop to his knees. The soul taker. Soul taker. Hey, hey. Uh, uh, no, no, man. <laughs> the soul taker out here. Kevin Dillinger. Having his opponent selected here at ringside, and it turns out to be the Soul Taker, is Nate the Rat. I told that boss winners that the Soul Taker was the number one man in the professional wrestling business today. We on a comeback. Boss winners have got to be crazy to put that man right there against the Soul Taker. I am the number one man in professional wrestling as managers goes in this area. I am the man. That's Nate Whitlock, capital N. Well, he just did pin him. There's no doubt about it. The Soul Taker in 29 seconds of action. The Soul Taker has pinned Kevin Dillinger. Well, Soul Taker and Nate the Rat over here. Clean shave and Nate the Rat. 29 seconds of time on. Dirty Dutch Mantel. I've been hearing voices. It's something about you I just don't like. Well, the time has come. I'm going to do nasty things to you. There is no law. I hear the voices. They're telling me to do bad things. Jerry Lawler, I haven't forgot about you. But I want Dutch Man Tim. Dutch Man Jerry Lawler, they all going down. They We on a comeback, they going down just like they ought to be on the ground, just like that Kevin Dillinger right there, every one of them. Wait, 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 boss. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute, Nathaniel. My good friend, Nathaniel. What do you want? There's only one thing I need in this life. If I had this big guy, he would remain a champion. With me, baby, you could be a champ. Let me just whisper a little figure in your ear, tell you what you can get for this man. Huh? Breath stinks, boss. Hey, no hey, I'm serious, man. I want this guy. With me, baby, we can go to the top and you can stay there. With this guy, he ain't going to keep you at the top. I want this man. Nate, you can take the money or you can not take the money, but I'm taking this guy. It ain't negotiable, baby. Contract's not for sale, boss. Simple as that. The contract is for sale, Nate. If I had to take hey, the money. Glad Nate brought up a contract there, because otherwise, it's about to sound like the guy doing the plantation owner gimmick was <laughs> buying a black man. Great. <sighs> right. Hey, 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 I'm coming. 
telling you, baby, if you want to wrestle for the guy, if you don't want to take the money, I'll beat your stinking rat-like brains out and take the man. I need a couple of weeks. You want to fight? I'll fight you. I ain't worried about you, boss. I can whoop you if I had the flu. So don't you ever put your hands on me. Well, I ain't scared of you, Nate, but I need a couple of weeks to work out, baby. I got to get this body back in shape. I ain't scared of you. I'll beat your brains out. I need a couple of weeks myself, but that's okay. We can just sign the match, get the promoter. I don't care. Well, just book it. If I beat your brains out, he's fine. All right, good enough. All right, well, the two of them want a match. Is that what I understand? Right. You against Boss Winter? Right there. Wait, wait. He put his hands on me. He's out of line. That's exactly what it is. And the Soul Taker's contract's going to be on right. the line? For the contract. All right, well, you heard it. We'll talk to uh, talk to the promotion, see if we can uh, get something signed there. Yeah, get promoted. <laughs> that, that should be interesting, to say the least. When we return, we'll be looking at the Dutchman. <laughs> So, yes, we have a, uh, a feud between Boss Winters and Nate the Rat over the Soul Taker. Yes. So, that's going on. All right. That happened uh, before the Lawler thing, because that's what Lawler's referencing the fans cheering for the Soul Taker. Okay. Because he's still a heel. Yeah. He's still a heel, but they wanted to see him beat the shit of Ultimate Dillinger. Yeah. Okay. So, a couple things I wanted to say about this, though. Um one is that for you know whatever we want to say about Dutch these days, you know, and he gives himself a lot of credit for this stuff, but he kind of desert like he talks about the guys who sat under his learning tree and stuff. No, none of these other guys ever took an interest in doing something with Boss Winters, and here he does it all of a sudden. All of a sudden, Boss Winters can talk, and he's actually cutting decent promos. Yeah, you know that is absolutely a credit to Dutch. And his mind for the business and his ability to teach guys. Like, 110%. Because, like, any other time we heard Boss Winters talk, it was like walking by the commentary desk for five seconds and just rambling something off that you could barely make out. Yeah. But here, and he's doing this clearly off the cuff. He's, he don't got notes. This is live TV in 1989. Like... Yes, he's very obviously doing Dutch for most of it, but all of a sudden he can talk. You know? Good yeah, for him. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that, especially with the, the increasingly uh, changing demographics of the fan base, or at least the shift in the demographics, I would say, both in the studio and at the Coliseum, and the way they react here, especially, you know, they would do well with a blacktop babyface. They could have had something with the old Sir Charles there as a babyface if they wanted to. Yeah. But they don't do it. No, they don't. All right. Um, Dirty White Boy and Dirty White Girl nearly got into it on television as well. White Boy was about to hit White Girl when Champion came out to save her. White oh, Boy right. didn't attack Champion, but they got in the ring. Champion and Super Kick to run him out of there. All right. Well, let's go to this. Okay, just to be clear, where in the chronology of this feud are we? It's just now really getting going. So the, this is pre, uh, I'd like to talk to Tom Knockoff. Yes. Okay. Kelly, and he could have done it a lot earlier than that. I've got an interview scheduled here. A dirty white girl, and uh, I don't even want to get into that. Uh, you no longer have the championship belt. I'm well aware of that. Superstar Bill Dundee. <laughs> Boy, don't think for one minute that I forgot anything about you. 
because you stole something that belonged to me. And that's that CWA title. And no matter what it takes, Dundee, I'm going to get my title back, brother, because it was a fluke that you wanted. And I get, you got any mail for me? I don't have any mail today. Well, it's about time. I'm getting hey, sick boy, of boy, what was in those letters anyway? Did that thing, no, shut up. Did that thing say anything about dirty white girl on it? I don't know. You snatched it out of my hand. It never had your name on it. It was addressed to me. So the best thing you can do, woman, is mind your own business. And besides, besides, woman, besides, you are the reason that I don't have that CWA title. It's all your fault. And don't, don't you, don't you even. I'm talking about, hey, you mind your own business. It's your fault, woman. You understand me? It's your fault that I lost the title. Don't you talk away from me. I'm not your brain. Hey, man, there ain't no way to put your hands on her, brother. Come on now, let's calm down. Hold it here a second. You know, you can talk to Hey, no, shut up. Is this your old lady? No, it ain't. That's right. It's not your old lady. Do I come to your house? Do I tell you how to run your old lady around? Do I tell you what to do, what to make her do? No. So the best thing you can do, Chris, champion, is stay out of my business. Hey, listen, my boy. I got no qualms with you, man. You got no troubles, man. But that ain't no way to treat no lady, okay? Well, just like I That's said no before, way, okay? you mind your own business, punk. That's the best thing you can do is just stay out of it. And as far as you're concerned, one there's champion out of here. Now, into the ring they go. Chris Champion, dirty white boy, dirty white girl out here watching this one from uh, from the floor. Champion. I'm back with the boot. And the dirty white boy rolls out of the ring. Boy. A super kick by Chris Champion, and a dirty white boy comes out of the ring. Now there's a dirty white girl. Oh, come on. Grabs dirty white girl by the hair, and they head out of the area. Now Chris Champion out to, to try to help. Uh, a nice, nice move by Chris Champion. He did get rid of him anyway. Hey, what? There's someone coming back to the CWA. Take a listen to the master. All right, so because we're about to talk about that too. Um, so this is the beginning of the, the Chris champion angle right here where a dirty white girl is smitten by him, saving her or trying to save her in this situation. They just continue. But well, yeah. So anyway, there's a guy who had been in the area left and now's coming back and he wants a piece of Lawler and the soul taker. The master of pain. Let's go to the clip. You didn't have you didn't have that clip in the notes, or is that just what's next here? Pause. I'm pause. Oh, that's what I was asking you. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Master of Pain, last known resident <laughs> Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, Atlanta, GA. You know, it's been a while since I've been in the CWA, but I'm fixing to make a return. I'm fixing to make a return. See, I came back. I was going to take care of one man named Ronnie P. Gossett, but I see somebody beat me to the punch. Chris Champion, hey, more power to you, brother. That's the way this business goes. But, you know, I was looking around the CWA, and there's a couple other names that really bring a lot of interest to the Master of Pain. One is six foot seven and 325 pounds of Soul Taker. Soul Taker says that there's no law that he obeys. He obeys or he goes by no law. But let me tell you something about law. 
because I broke more of them than you'll ever see. But everybody has law. Hey, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to make an arrest on you, all right? A citizen's arrest, if you will. All right, once I drop the big man, there's somebody else that has a lot of interest, somebody I never did see quite eye to eye with, and that's one Jerry the King Lawler. You see, Jerry, we're on the other side of the fence now, it looks like. But, hey, you got something that I want real bad, something I had for a while, and you know what it is. So once I drop the big man, you better be looking around the corner because the master of pain's coming, and he means business. And then they get a video of Dirty D's done dirt cheap with the master of pain. So, yeah, he's making it. has been muted on YouTube. Yes. Yeah, so... Um, he had been in Dallas working under a mask as the Punisher, and he's coming back to Memphis as a babyface, and then turns heel and joins with the Soul Taker. Hmm. So he does a heel turn in, in you know in in Memphis. I think he turns on Dutch. Yes, because him and Dutch were aligned. Him and Dutch were aligned earlier. Yes, and this is the debut of his luxurious long hair. Yes, he now has long hair now. But an early promo from uh, Undertaker. You know, and you could hear hear the uh the beginnings of that style here. But uh so yeah, yeah. it's a different style of promo from what he was cutting previously cuz of the babyface tone to it. Yeah. All right, so Miss Coliseum on the 27th saw King Cobra pin Blackjack. Tommy Gilbert, other other bass gimmick. He had a lot another, of not just another, yet another in the long line, but also he's also Freddy at this time. Freddy's done by this time. Wasn't there a but, result in here from Fre- Yeah, there's a Freddy result later on. It's kind of done. Up as it's kind of yeah. He's it's not really pushed anymore. Well, because Lawler's not booking. No, it's not booking. Yes. Uh, New York brawler pinned Tracy Smothers dude outside interference. Nate the Rad, who has to be contender for the worst manager honors. Dave said. <laughs> Dirty White Boy Vickers champion. Dirty White Boy thought he was going to punch Dirty White Girl. Champion tried to save her, and White Boy credit from behind. Ricky Morton and Todd Morton beat Bobby Fulton and Jackie Fulton. That's an interesting match. Well, <laughs> yes, you have, so you have the real brothers against. I forget, was Todd supposed to be Ricky's brother? or No, I don't think cousin? he was supposed to be. Fake cousins. Yeah. yeah. But Fantastic Storm working heel here. Uh, Dutch over Soul Taker by DQ when Nate interfered and afterwards boss winners attacked Nate in the main event saw Lawler beat Dundee by count out when after a rep up Lawler pile drove Dundee on the floor after hitting him with a chain Dutch ran in after Lawler but Soul Taker attacked Dutch and Lawler and Soul Taker both did a number on Mantel crowds have picked up a tab with Lawler as a heel uh, Snow this Smothers fantastic match pain all head back here pretty much full time not for long Thanksgiving in Jackson, Tennessee, drew 1,100 as Freddie beat Rooster Cogburn, not John Wayne. Uh, Todd Morton and Frankie the Thump over the ultimate Dillinger and New York Brawl in a death match. Good match, all worked hard. Chris Champion over Mike Davis. Soul take over Trey Smothers in what was said an awful match. That's interesting. White Boy over King Cobra and Lawler over Dutch by DQ and the ref caught Dutch using the chain that Lawler had brought into the ring. Well, for now, it was a turkey battle royal. Last man in, it's called the Turkey of 1989, and Dillinger was the last man in, and was tarred and feathered. So what was it, like a pinfall, eliminate yourself battle royal, I guess? Something yeah. Like that? Yeah. And uh, I just checked, at least in Memphis, since those are the most easily available results, for quick reference, uh, 
Freddy's last match at the Coliseum was on November 6th, defeating Imposter Freddy, and then Black Jack debuted the next week. Wow, how about that, huh? Amazing. It's funny that he was Black Jack after he was the Ace of Spades under a mask in 1983. A lot of uh, interesting mask gimmicks for old Tommy Gilbert over the yeah, years. Mr. Wrestling. Yeah. Let me see if right, we get a full list. Wait, Tommy Gilbert Cage match. Let's see real quick. Uh, what do we got here? So there at least they have Tommy Gilbert, Freddy Krueger, Nightmare Freddy, Wrestling Machine number one, Ace of Spades, Johnny Star, Johnny Star with one R, Mr. Wrestling, Blackjack. Let's go to the Dallas side of things. The annual Thanksgiving Spectacular drew this one in crowd of 600. Ooh. To the Sportatorium as Matt Bourne pin Sheet Braddock. Ken Von Eric over the Punisher. Master Payne. Building the other dog of war. Jeff Gaylor over Jimmy Jack Funk. Scandal Ratbar and Tojo Yamamoto won a handicap match over Cousin Junior, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, excuse me, over Wait, Cousin Junior. To- won a handicap yeah. match over Cousin Junior. Jeff Sorry, Jarrett beat PY too high in a bar. Yeah, match. yeah, I missed a period. Look, a com- it is a comma, Biggs. Look at there. It's a list of results, yeah. Yeah. Scandor Akbar and Toji Yamamoto won it. Tojo Yamamoto, sorry, won a handicap match over Cousin Junior. Jeff okay, Jarrett yeah. beat PY too high. Yeah. In, in a bar bar match, he got the lash him <laughs> 10 times with a leather belt as a result of winning. Gary Owen double counted with Dustin Rhodes. And a man that saw Billy Joe Travis beat Chris Adams by disqualification. Eric Emery was the referee, and they teased the turn, but didn't actually do it. Embry totally favored Adams all the way, and finally Travis punched Embry, who punched Travis Bat, and then raised Adams' hand. Tony Falk, who in reality is Embry's best friend, then came in and reversed the decision because Embry was acting so biased as a referee and because he had Travis. Adams started arguing Embry because he had caused him to lose the match by punching Travis. It was even madder because Embry wouldn't stand up for his original decision and allow Falk to overrule him. Well, they wound up shaking hands when it was over and agreed to form a tag team for the tournament this coming Friday for the USWA tag titles. And that leads to the setting up a baby face feud that doesn't go anywhere because I'm really. Yeah. Around like er, mid January, I guess. He goes to uh, Puerto Rico. Yes. And uh, Dog of War here is Buster Buster Fowler. Yeah, Buster Blackheart. Yes. And then uh, because Butch Blackheart is not around yet. There are no dogs of war, just Dog of War. USW lost their television slot on Channel 21 for the syndicated show. <laughs> Apparently, in part, because of the complaints about Tony Adams' angles. And this is before Jeannie. This is they, the uh, Billy Travis spanking her era. Yes. They still have the key local two-hour show on Channel 11, which is one of the highest-rated shows in the country on a local basis. Killer Tim Brooks lost his TV on Channel 39. Apparently, because production costs were higher than expected. I didn't even realize Tim Brooks had TV at this point, much less that it was on Channel 39. Yeah, he did. Um, and this is North American Wrestling Allegiance. In AWA. Yeah. The, the only yet, promotion I can remember ever that ended in Allegiance, but go ahead. And, and, and what Billy Joe Travis does is he pull, t- pulls up Tony's dress and she's wearing underwear. And, uh, I think she's wearing like, uh, garters too. Yeah, and uh, okay, he, spa- he spanks her. He spanks her, and it's not blurred or nothing like that. In syndication, it was blurred, I believe. Not, but maybe 
well, this is the local version of the syndicated show, so maybe, maybe not. But it wasn't. Okay. Well, anyway, that that's now, what we're talking about, though. What was Channel Twenty One? That was what aired. Um, like like you said, the syndicated show. So did SK, they lose SKTXA? So I I take it they lost thirty nine when they cut ties over the production syndication of the TV. You talking about ninety? No, I'm saying they lost. Cha- I'm saying Jarrett lost Channel Thirty Nine. In you know, or actually, would it have been Jarrett yet, or was it, or was it pre Jarrett when they stopped when they changed who was producing the show and syndicating the show? When is the mm-hmm. switch to Max Andrews and Video Bob producing and all that? Um, I mean that's already happened. That's what I'm saying. So but they never that... lose. I mean, they never lose thirty nine. They had thirty nine until the end, until the, the until John Tatum superkick Tessa. No, that was Channel Eleven. Channel thirty nine is KXTX, the Christian Broadcasting Network. Oh, oh started I'm, World I'm, Class. Yeah, I'm thinking KT, KTVT. KTVT is the two hour championship sports show. Yeah, that's what they lose because John Tatum and Tessa. Yes, and which was important because it was a superstation throughout the Southwest. It wasn't just a big deal in Dallas. They promoted all the spot towns throughout Texas and Oklahoma off of that TV. It was it was part of why Fritz and Watts had made their deal because it went into Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Yeah, Channel Thirty Nine. I don't really know. I, that's got to be part of it. That because Channel Thirty Nine had produced the TV, so I'm guessing they've been on Channel Twenty One since whenever the split was, and just long time independent station. It looks like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Carrie Bonnet was on a Dallas radio station two weeks back, and the host asked about Ric Flair. Carrie said, I beat him. When asked about Hulk Hogan, Carrie claimed that Hogan thought he was hot stuff. But when they wrestled in Tennessee, that I taught him a lesson and beat him. Okay. He claimed his father was the one who taught Dusty Rhodes and Bruiser Brody how to wrestle. I mean, that's, that's less of an exaggeration than a lot of things could be. Not Brody. Where did Bro- who broke Brody in? Um, he learned in Amarillo. He was a Fonts guy. Okay. Because he well, was at West Texas Dusty State. didn't break in in Dallas. Full, like, that's not where he first wrestled. But it's still, it's like, he, they got their polish in Dallas under Fritz. Like, it's not, that's not terrible. Brody didn't wear Fritz till after, uh, after WWF, if I'm not mistaken. Until he was Bruiser Brody. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, said Frank Deuce was gone because he got beat up in a locker room and just went away. What? When asked about Japan, Kerry said it was easy money because the little Japanese just kick and scream a little. And if you hit them once, you you can knock them down. <laughs> what a what an interview here from Kerry, huh? Uh, okay. I will say, besides that it's Kerry and he's got his issues and all that, in fairness to Kerry, remember... It's kind of canon on TV because of the way, you know, Lee Marshall was putting stuff over at Super Clash. In storyline, he has been all code. Because remember the commentary where Lee Marshall's like, what is it? It's like he says about Lawler and Kerry that all, both of them have beaten Hogan, Savage, and Flair, the only guys they haven't beaten that are world champion caliber or each other. Something like that. 
Even though Kerry had never wrestled Hogan or Savage. Correct. <laughs> so he he is going along with something that they had been touting. Independent of just him. So there is there is that. I feel like that needs to be mentioned, but I mean I don't think this is all drugs. I think this is just a lot of this is just wrestler. You know. Maybe. Um why did Frank Dusick actually leave? Although doesn't he come back anyway? Or no? Nah. But why did he leave? Oh no. Did they have a storyline thing where he was written off and beaten up by a heel? Or? He, 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 if I remember, he just wasn't there. Hmm. I mean, maybe he did get beat up in the storyline, but I don't remember that. And he's basically MIA until South Atlantic starts, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's well after the beginning of the NAWA. Does he it's not when show it becomes, up until it's, it's called it South Atlantic? That's what I. That's when. He, that's when he shows up. Yeah. When they da- when they scale down from the original. Oh, actually, you know what though? I think I've seen some stuff on the Savoldi thing where it's still like Steamboat around and do six on commentary. Well, Steamboat's there at the beginning of South Atlantic, Biggs. Okay, so wait, is it still? Do they still have the big money like funding it and stuff when it becomes South Atlantic? Or is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. I I had thought that was the turning point. I thought this, the name change was when the investor pulled out. Okay. Yeah. Also, I by the way, I had not seen a lot of that in a while. I forgot just the degree to which Steamboat is giving checked out vibes in that run. Like, for those who haven't seen it, for a lot of his run in NAWA slash South Atlantic... Steamboat is not dyeing his hair and is growing a goatee. Yeah. So you have a graying, goateed Ricky Steamboat. Like, it is very obvious that he is just doing a favor for George Scott and getting some reps in. But there was a there was time, I mean, I, I just watched one from, like, September. That, uh, 90, where he's in, dyed his hair, and I mean, where he's black hair and, and no facial hair. Yes, and he looks more interested in what he's doing when he looks like Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, and he's, I mean, yeah, that, that's after what you're talking about, yeah. too. So, All right, uh, Eric Emery's still giving hints to stay in the Bayface for his upcoming match with Kerry. As on TV, he said that I need the title for my family, the Dallas fans. Aww. So, All right, Heritage Championship Wrestling taped TV on November 25th in Vicksburg, Mississippi, with mainly the same crew, including the Rock and Roll Express. Fantastics, The Bullet, Ken Massey, Buddy Landell, Mr. Olympia, and other local wrestlers. No one when television will start for this group. They've already got eight shows in the can for when they're ready to start the television. The show set of good action, mainly wrestling with very, very few interviews. Hmm. And they get they get TV, they get TV, which turns into five star. And is so. this is this your first? Let's try to restart Mid South territory. Yes. Yes. As far as a new promotion, you know, not counting yes. Continental expanding into there. Well, yes, so. yes, yes, yes. So, and it turns into Five Star? It is. Yes. Harris and that's what? Up. Grizzly comes in then, I guess? Grizzly's here and now. his people. Oh, Grizzly's already there. Okay. Yeah. So he's gotten fired by the WWF. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a story where he comes off great having to do with that. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so the, this becomes five star, and geez, like, how many different efforts are there? There's, what what's the Ed Falk one called? Um, 
it's in this era. It's in like ninety ninety one. I don't remember. I don't remember the name. There's that. There's NWF. There's you know New Mid South. There's Deep New Deep South. There there's a bunch of these in the next few years. Yeah. And this is honestly probably like Heritage is probably the actual best effort of the groups. Yes. Now. Susan All right, Bob Guy. Territories. Yes. Bob Geigel's Thanksgiving show in Kansas City drew 328 fans, included Rick McCord, Rufus R. Jones, Bobby Jaggers, Kiyosato, Curtis Hughes, and Steve Ray. Man, I saw Mike George defend the WA title against Bulldog Bob Brown by disqualification. So. Sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, other right. than I mean, other than Bobby Jaggers, everyone listed here. I mean, I guess Bobby Jaggers is a local, right? He's homesteading. Yeah. Kansas Jayhawks. So yeah, everyone here is a local. Pretty much. All right, AWA. ESPN won't be airing any AWA tapes during the month of December. So expect some changes when the contract comes up for renewal early next year, which could put another nail in their coffin. And no, the, they do run They do have TV in December. Oh, they do. Yeah, they sure do. How many? Um, I know they air it late in the month because they I think they have a a New Year's Eve show, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see. All right, 89, uh, ESPN, all right, so, yeah, they have shows on December 9th, December 17th, December 18th, December 19th, December 20th, December 21st, the 23rd through the 29th. Yeah, they aired throughout the whole month. I don't know where this is going. Okay, from. so you know what it probably is? They were burning off stuff that was already taped for the contractual oh, no. commitments. And... No, these are new tapings. But were they only for ESPN or were they for ESPN and syndication? Both. No, but when I say burn off, I mean, I'm guessing this is the contractual commitments with the number of shows they're supposed to run a year that ESPN is supposed to air. Because remember, then when we talked, yeah, well, like when we did yeah. the Patreon show, like, and I remember, I think it was more for ninety. They were contracted for, I think it was twenty six weeks, right? Well, yeah, but it but was this, the number I mean, of episodes. Yes, I mean these are new new matches and new tapings, but, but they're they're running they're running daily, basically. But I'm wondering if maybe what Dave is saying is that. Well, when were these shows taped? November, December. No, but what, it, would they have already been taped by this, this point? No. <laughs> well, one of them was. They have, because we had a taping right before our week. But they have a, the December taping here is in December. Okay. Hmm. Because that's the uh, Nikita stuff is uh, is during that. Okay. I'm All right. Uh, this is something to do with the number of things, confused. but Dave getting lost in translation. Or- Dave's being confused. Yeah. Latest on the NWA team thing is the challenge standings have Baramaraski's team in first place with six wins, one loss, two draws, 15 points. Sabisco's team, second, 5-4-1 record, 11 points. And Slaughter's team with a 5-5-1 record, 11 points. Of course, it's all bogus because how can there be three teams and none have a losing record? Yeah. Uh, Tor- Torch steps in. There will no longer be taking matches in the empty room because they were not happy with the results. Ah, uh, yes, the empty pink room for uh, security purposes, which uh, 
the okay correct me if i'm wrong the reason that these are so much harder to find is that these exclusively aired in syndication right yes and because the two shows had so much overlap most people were only tape that were taping the shows were only taping espn that is correct and that's yeah, also that... why it didn't air on espn classic yes the ADB is looking better now, talent-wise, and it hasn't a long time, Wade said. Hopefully, they can continue to take steps in the right direction and become respected again. Okay. I'm curious to see some results to get an idea of what the... Well, I mean, the Fantastics are there, Nikita's there. I mean, Fantastics, I mean Bobby and Jackie. Um, the Fantastic Fultons, yes. Um, you got uh, Destruction Crew... Uh, Nord, Zabisco, Hangman. Ringens and Patera. Uh, Patera's gone by now. But Ringens. Uh, Ringens, I think, could be hurt this time. Paul Diamond, um, The Trooper. They had different cast of characters. Yeah. Okay, so, all right, should I, to get an idea of just who's on TV at this should I go with the November 18th tapings in Rochester or the I just read, December I just read 16th? Just names. No, there's more, though. There's more that you didn't mention. I mean, they got uh, Blackwell was there, Red Force House burnt down, Duck Summers, um, Johnny Stewart. Well, yeah. Johnny Stewart's got those. Saito. I mentioned um, him. Uh, who else? Was there any. Uh, remind me who Dave Casper is? A jobber. But he won. But he was a jobber. Oh, he's I mean, one half of Brute Force with Ricky Rice. Yeah, I mean, but he was basically a, a job guy that got a small push. Okay. All right, let's, gonna, let's continue. They, they, they've, they've got... They have a crew, and a lot of them do stick around for a while. So, yeah. All right. Pacific Northwest, Portland. Uh, Salem, Oregon, first off on the 23rd on Thanksgiving... We had uh, Rip Oliver beating the grappler in a Canadian loggers match. Steve Dolliver, Sky the Body, in a coal miners glove match. Jonathan Holiday beat Beetlejuice in a no cheating match. Well, How is that different from a match? Al Madrill over Rex King. Brian Adams over Jeff Warner. It's J.W. Storm. Beetlejuice over Jonathan Holiday in a quit match. Billy Franks, Francis over C.O.B. Bergstrom. And Carl Stiles went to a Tyler draw with Jonathan Boyd in what was called a Thanksgiving special. And I should note the results, which I'm guessing these are your results, call no. the oh they're not because it calls them the Beetlejuice. This is wrestling data. Oh okay. All right, Portland on the 25th saw Steve Dalby Colonel De Beers, Sky divided over Carl Styles when Veronica tossed it in a loaded glove. Scotty then came out for an interview and was going to ask Ginger to marry him when Dahl attacked Scotty. In the ensuing melee, Veronica poured a bunch of beer all over Ginger. Red King won a TV title from Mount Madrill. Boyd over Francis by DQ over the top rope. Beale Juice over Jonathan Holiday with the winner getting a lash loser 10 times. Holiday ran out, but Styles and Dahl brought it back in for the whipping. And then Rip Oliver and Jeff Warner beat the grappler and Brian Adams by DQ when the the ref uh, ref DQ'd the heels when grappler used a load of boot. I think uh, our, our friend's OCR of the 1989 Observer had a weird little hiccup there with Carl Styles' name getting yeah, partially stop. transposed in there. Yeah. Wait, was Carl, Carl Styles was not the ref, right? No, he may have been. I don't know. Maybe it, uh, maybe it is ref Styles. It may have been. So, 
Uh, that's Portland. Yeah. So, you know, the wedding angle is coming up, so that's something. And then we go to Hawaii. A federal jury this week acquitted Hawaiian wrestling promoter Liam Ivey of Pacific Wrestling and business partners Larry Hainimi, Lars Anderson, and Adi Soto for attempting to extort $5,000 from rival promoter Dunbar Wakayama last October. The jury didn't believe it was Soho who left a threatening message on Wakayama's answer machine and believed that the $5,000 the FBI agents had videotaped Maivia wanting from Wakayama simply constituted as Maivia claimed a booking fee rather than attempted extortion. The jury believed there simply was enough evidence for a conviction. The defense had maintained that Sam Sampson, one of Maivia's referees, had left a threatening message on Wakayama's machine, although Sampson denied the allegation on the witness stand. The jury heard the tape over and over again and heard both Solo and Samson testify. The jury said they didn't believe Solo left the message. The trial lasted nearly two months, jur- deliberated for two days before coming in with the verdict. The threatening message, by the way, I believe, was threatening to sexually assault uh, Wakayama's son. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Based on the coverage we read, we did, you know, we did that show where, what was it, was it the week of the arrest and the indictment that we did with Bo, and then we started digging through the rabbit hole the, of the newspaper articles? Yeah. I'm trying to remember, was the recording of the, of the lunch that led to the bust admitted at trial? I don't know. Because I feel like it, because I think it was... But I don't get how you can't convict when Leah Maivia is on tape saying, you know, give me money because I know people who go bang, bang. Obviously, the jury didn't feel that was a threatening message. Yeah. I mean, if you believe Young Rock, then she was trying to influence the jury. <laughs> like, Young Rock, it, the, the way that show handles this is very weird. Have you seen it? No. You know, there's a stand-in for Wakayama, who, uh, what was, oh, Greg Yao, who's this big, like, ostentatious, like, obviously supposed to be the villain, but it's kind of self-aware, but then, like, she's constantly screwing up, like, and doing stuff that her lawyer and the judge tell her not to do. I think there's a thing of her, like, sending gifts or threats to the jurors, or one or both, maybe. So it's like, I don't I don't know what the suggestion of Young Rock really is supposed to be. As to what she actually did. Like, they definitely, they painted as something kind of shady going on, but it, they're also clearly not telling the true story, so... I don't know. I mean, I pulled up the Honolulu Advertiser article from the 28th. Um... Just for a couple quotes, uh, Leah saying, I think the jury believed there just wasn't enough evidence in the case. Um, I love the jury. God knows I'm a, God knows I'm a lady innocent. Okay. Uh, Lars said, uh, I did have my doubts about the criminal justice system, but it came out the only way it could have come out. So, who testified, never made the phone call. Uh, said he was upset it went as hard as it did. Could I almost lost my belief in the system. Uh, oh, no. It, the defense had maintained the professional wrestling referee Sam Sampson made the threatening phone call. Oh, Samson. 
Well, one says Samson, the other says Samson. Uh, he denied it on the witness stand. They heard the tape, listened to both So and Samson testifying. The forewoman said the jury didn't think it mattered who left the message after the panel determined that So wasn't the call. Okay, so that's interesting. That's something that I don't think ever gets mentioned in the newsletter coverage. The, jur the jury forewoman was like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> she, it, it, there, it, Samson works for them anyway. But they, so if that's allegedly the main reason they acquitted, but the jury said it doesn't ma it matter, something's not clicking here, right? That's not just me. I guess. Right, right? Like, if it doesn't matter, if you think it's one of them, or is it the idea that you're not sure makes it reasonable doubt, I guess? Um, prosecutor Marshall Silverberg said he was disappointed because he thought the evidence was enough, believed it was so, and the other defendants invoked his, so's name as, quote, a sword over Dunbar Wakayama's head, and they did it effectively. Uh, Maya Villa said she holds no grudges against Wakayama, quote, he knows he's wrong, but he's still a friend. It's okay. I forgive him. That's nice. <sighs> yeah, what, what a story. Like, she's not running shows at this point, right? Yes. Or was she? Well, there's a... I don't know if it was her, but, I mean, the Morocco deal... I think the Morocco deal is done. was in October. Maybe, so. but, I mean, there's a lot of shows in Hawaii. It's hard to say because we don't have results of that stuff in the newsletters. Yeah. And newspapers basically don't cover Hawaii anymore. So... You mean as far as results? Like we have all, we have the Hawaii papers, but they don't cover wrestling, right? Um, uh, they cover the Morocco deal, but that was it. But yeah, so that's that's the story. They covered know. wrestling back in the day, but they quit covering it. Um, about eighty, eighty one ish, eighty two ish. It's hard, basically hard to get. There's a, there's blips where you'll get results in in the mid '80s, but very rarely. So, like a lot of places that quit covering wrestling in newspapers in the '80s. So, yeah, a wild time in the Hawaiian wrestling history, right there. And interesting that actually uh, Rock actually covered on the show. I I wouldn't expect that. I gotta think he felt he had to. That it was enough of a news story, I guess. I mean, but who's, a, wa who's watching that show that wouldn't really know about that? I though? mean, I agree with you, but it's also it's. I'd have to rewatch it or read summaries to give you a better idea. It's just it's very oddly portrayed because he's not. He's certainly not portraying her as entirely innocent, which did surprise me. But it's also again, like I said, it's clearly not supposed to be the true story of what happened. So, I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation and Survivor Series 89. Well, or as the heading in the Observer says, Survivors Series 89. Well, Dave, Dave says Survivors Series for like the first three or four years of the existence. Oh, great. Yeah. Too bad Hush and Ryger didn't work on it before. No. Uh, we have the... Uh, Results here. Thumbs up was 50, which was 23.5%. Thumbs down was 117. 
54.9%. And Image Win was 46 at a 21.6% clip. So, uh, thumbs down or in between dominates that. And that was based on the reader phone calls through that Sunday night after the show. Dave's own response to the show is more of an in-between reaction. Baby shows are now too plentiful to expect something great or some major angle to transfer every time out. Now, how we have it, this show really added nothing of significance to the major storylines. If you miss the show, you really didn't miss anything major when it comes to the overall scheme of things. At the same time, if you saw the show, it seemed to be at least decent entertainment. The previous two uh, Survivor Series were two of the three best overall big shows that Titan has put on. The concept of elimination tag matches allowing guys ample t- rest time between their stints in the ring camouflage one of the key problems of so many of Titans wrestlers, the lack of cardiovascular conditioning. Today, the message he got coming out of this year's show is that Titan has a handful of the best wrestlers in the business, and we all know who they are. But even when cutting the number of participants down to 40 this year compared with 50 the two previous years, the number of top-notch wrestlers were enough to carry the eight-man elimination tags into being decent matches and even a few good ones, but no great ones. Real quick. I love seeing in the context of late 1989 that pay-per-views are now too plentiful to expect something great or some major angle to transpire every time out. Oh, yeah. Well... WWF, we have four. WCW in 89, we've had... Chi-Town Rumble, Wait. five. Or we're going to have five. The star of the show in Dave's book was Kurt Henning, who single-handedly made it impossible for Dave to give the show a thumbs down. His performance in the fourth match of the card, which from start to finish was the best match, made a close thing to a great match. Very close behind were Arn Anderson and Shawn Michaels at the finale, also a good match. The opening match was decent, although Tito Santana was limited early, and Rip Martell were the only ones who looked like top combo workers. The second match was on paper figure to be the carried by Bret Hart on the face side, and Randy Savage and Barry Windham on the heel side was a lone bad match of the show. Brett was still banged up from his rib injury from a few weeks ago. And while he was still the only top flight work on his team, he wasn't in much. It wasn't quite at the bar. Savage wasn't in enough to carry his side, which needed a bit of carrying, since Wyndham didn't appear and was replaced by the Canadian Earthquake, Big John Tenta. For some reason, it seemed like Dino Bravo was the workhorse of his team. And while Dino did try hard, he just doesn't cut it in the ring. Bravo's immense push remains one of life's great unsolved mysteries. While the third match builds the main event, since it featured Hulk Hogan and Zeus, was decent, thanks only to Ted DiBiase, as it would have been a dub without him. It seemed to be a big disappointment, and was the most criticized match of the show. Henning single-handedly made the next match, and Arn carried the Hill squad in the finale. For overall work rate, the car was one of the best of Titans four preview outings as far this year. Was the best. Where it fell short, in special comparison to SummerSlam, was the booking. Not only did nothing good reports happen, but the matches were painfully predictable. Far too many of the eliminations ranged from being cheap to being outright lame. While the fast eliminations of Zeus and Andre were the best things possible when it came to producing a good match, the way they were eliminated cheap in both of their matches. And Dave doesn't even want to bring up the Bad News Brown elimination. A summer rerun on Thanksgiving weekend. Everyone who was expecting to win did win. No major stars being pushed lost cleanly, even if they could have with some creative story writing. And there were lots of complaints about the three no-shows. The three MIAs were Akeem in the opener, the Winnemaker, Barry Windham, and in the second match, and then Tully in the finale. The problem, and this extends to every promotion in the U.S., is the way the fans are treated when advertised talent fails to appear. One has to suspect the injuries will occur on a fairly frequent basis in a business as rough as pro wrestling can be. 
even the WWF, which isn't as rough as some of the other promotions, just the travel schedule alone can wear someone's resistance down to the point where they become susceptible to injuries. Fans have no right to complain about legitimate in- injuries provided they are acknowledged and explained. But the promotions today, and this covers a lot of all the American ones, don't feel they have to explain the no-shows, which is a lot of spectators with the ripped-off feeling. This is one of the key things that killed the Von Erickson and Ganya promotions, and was among many of the factors that killed the Crockett's. The three no-shows on a pay-per-view show is excusable, especially considering there were legit reasons. However, not acknowledge the substitutions, nor explain them as, is it excusable for a show which has been so heavily hyped and lineups have been t- publicized for so many weeks? Dave's heard two stories on Akeem. One was that he was injured, and another that he had an ulcer flare-up. Either way, it was a last-minute deal, and it was too late to change advertising. As for Wyndham, he still hasn't returned from having the tumor removed in his chest. No explanation has been given, either at this show or any of the arenas. He's no show for the two months now, for his absence. None of these two are even acknowledged in passing during the show. Blanchard, as everyone knows, was fired by Titan three weeks before the show. As for Wyndham, Titan knew far enough in advance he wouldn't be there, but continued to advertise the media way. Dave doesn't know how many times people from Titan complained about how Vern Gagne killed cities by doing this, but they did the same exact thing. The NWA isn't angelic about this either. The November 20th issue of Video Review Magazine had an ad for Halloween Havoc's videotape, which was released in December, and the ad listed the angle leading up to Havoc main event and listed Flair and Steam versus Funk and Muda, but also had a, fun, a photo of Ricky Steamboat in the ad and listed Steamboats appearing on the card. Since the angle we were talking about didn't take place in mid-September, the main event was booked until earlier, early September, and Steamboat was gone by the end of the end of July. Some major explaining is due for some people over the content of the ad. Well, I got to... I got the answer to that. W everybody. And WF listed John Stesnick for SummerSlam more than three months after he left the promotion. Anyway, in the case of Tully, not only was he billed on television through the last minute, but on the pay-per-view show itself, his name and face was continually shown right until the moment Bobby Heenan stepped into the right, despite his being fired three weeks earlier, and no doubt the decision made to fire him occurred right well before that. One thing Dave always talks about is the... Uh, I mean, as we're doing these shows, it's talking about the constant no-shows and how promotions handled that. This is one of his big things he, he loves to talk about. And rightfully so. It is a problem. Yeah. And they should be dealing with it in some way. Um, I had thought they did change the advertising on Wyndham, but I guess not. I guess whatever I remember of seeing Earthquake in like, the promotional stuff is from the VHS packaging. Um, was he really out two months at this point already? Well, the TV was taped so far in advance that, you know, it didn't seem that way. No, but I'm just thinking, like, was I, he September that long? I think September is when he, he dipped out, yeah. And if I remember right, whatever he had removed was benign, right? Like, it was not a sign of, like, lymphoma well, or breast cancer yeah. or anything. If that would have been happening, he would he would have been out a lot longer. Yeah. Um, okay, last result for him, it's not quite two months, it's close, was uh, October 7th over Tim Horner in Boston. Yeah. So, yeah, he has been out for close to that long. His last match before that, TV squash of Mark Reagan in Toledo. Yeah. Who, I don't think I realized was still wrestling at that point, but... He wrestled later than that. But, yeah. He was, he was Bo Reagan in uh, George Scott's promotion a year later. When was he in All Japan? 
Maybe we're in Dodgers fan line, 93. Okay, it was that late. Okay. Uh, no, later. I just looked at Cage Match. His last All Japan tour and the last results listed for him were 98. Well, that's all, that's a favor from for Dick Byer. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and we did not work there in 93. Unless there are two Mark Reagan profiles. No, it has the also known as for the other the different spellings. So, yeah. Like, I thought it was there with Kurt Byer. Was there in 93? Mm-mm. Nope. Oh, well. Cage match has nothing for him between working WWF TV tapings and '98, and obviously but they would they, have the All Japan stuff. But they don't have the they don't have his run with George Scott. No, because he's Bo Reagan. Because he's Bo Reagan, not Mark Reagan. No, but I say that as far as All Japan, because we know they would have the All Japan stuff. Um, yeah, what a match! Giant Kamala and Mark Reagan defeated Takeshi Morishima and Timon Honda. Yeah, wrestling data doesn't have anything from past 90 to 98. But yeah, as far as no-shows, I know if you talk to someone who was working in time then, I'm sure they would tell you they felt like they were in between a rock and a hard place with the advertising and taping TV in advance and stuff. I'm sure that's what they would tell you. There's an excuse there, but only to a point, I feel like. You know what I mean? Well, I mean... You can edit the TV to reflect this somehow, especially this far in advance. Well, I mean, I, I guess to me it all depends on who the who it is. I mean, is it a major name that's not on the show? That's a big deal. That's part of a you know a big angle, a big push, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the only one that's the only one that's not really. I mean, again, it's like well, it was enough time that they had time. The only one that's not really justifiable, I feel like, at all, in terms of, like, also, like, how much effect would it have on the show is Tully. Because yeah. that was a heavily pushed match, and he, you know, that dealt, that came from an existing issue, and they also even kept it going during the show until the match, you know, went out. So, that one, I think, that... That's the one that is, I think, just by far the least justifiable because the others, the others don't change much. I mean, Earth, Earthquake for Wyndham honestly fits better into where the storylines were going. You know, to have them teaming with Bravo and all that. Um, and who replaced Gang? I don't remember. We'll talk about it, I guess, when we get to the show. Because it was Boss Man, Bad News, Martel, Honky Tonk Man. I guess Martel. Well, no, because Martel was feuding with. Uh, so, Honky Tonk Man, I guess? Or Bad News? Probably, yeah. So, anyway. I mean, anything else to say as far as... Uh, I didn't know if you had more to, I didn't know if you had more to go. But no, anyway. I was throwing to you. <laughs> Alright, Dream Team. Dusty Rose, Bruce Beefcake, Red Rooster, and Tito Santana beat the Enforcers of Big Boss Man, Bad News Brown, Rip Martell, and the Honky Tonk Man in 2201. The crowd, which was hot for the open, and pretty well died down after five minutes. As this is the case for most every match. There was no sustained heat despite the packed house, and even with at least decent work throughout most of the night. Martel pinned Santana with a reverse roll up off the ropes and holding the Titans in 9.15. Tito looked good, and when he was in there, Bad News kept nothing to tag, tag in, but finally uh, Rooster slingshotted him in. Shortly afterwards, Boss Man said he had Bad News, and Bad News simply walked out for a countout. Exactly the same thing they did in the same show last year. Second fall was 611. Third fall, S at 158. BK pin and honk. Gets a flying knee to the chin. 
Jimmy Hart was at ringside working harder with a megaphone than any of the wrestlers were in the ring. Four fall went 249, ending when Martel was using rose pin beefcake, but the ref kicked Martel's hands and beefcake caught him in a sunset flip. It took 47 seconds for the fifth fall when Bossman caught Rooster in the Bubba Slam. This left Bossman with Dusty and Beefcake, and Dusty pinned Bossman with a crossbody in 104. After match, Bossman hit Beefcake with his knife stick. Beefcake didn't see it coming and forgot to sell the first time. And it hit Dusty in the stomach. Slick and Bossman handcuffed Dusty to the rose and beat on him until Beefcake came out with the clippers. Dusty juiced. He must have one hell of a power to uh, be able to juice in WF. There was almost no crowd noise when the heels were on top, which was the case most of the way. Martell's best performer, Dusty, Honky, and Beefcake were all bad the worst, though Dusty did do a drop kick, two stars. You know, I wanted to queue up uh, to see the blood. Then I remembered, actually, with it being this show, we need to play the opening video and hear what everyone's thankful for. Because this is that show. All right. It's Thanksgiving night, and this is the happiest time of year for all the maniacs, brother. You know, me and all my little hosters, we got a lot of things to be thankful for. Number one, we're thankful for being happy and very healthy. We're thankful for having time to share with our loved ones. We're also thankful that Hulkamania is still the strongest force in the universe. And after the turkey's done, after the blessings are all done, I can tell you what the Hulkster's mostly happy about. It's Survivor Series time, and I'm thankful for my team of Hulkamaniacs. I'm thankful because I'm rich and you're not. <laughs> I'm thankful for having Damien and the DDT. You know what we're thankful for? We don't have to fight each other. Oh yeah, I am thankful that I am the only man worthy of being the macho king. Oh, yeah. Yeah! I'm thankful for the privilege of living right here in the good old U.S. of A. Tough guy! I'm thankful I've got that big earthquake on my side! Earthquake. <laughs> what I'm thankful for for Thanksgiving for my polka dot! I'm thankful for the justice I serve! I'm thankful for wrestling, cutting, and strutting! I'm thankful for my good looks. I'm thankful for having the most ravishing body in the WWF. He should be. He's fucking huge here. <laughs> this is the this is the biggest he ever was in this era. Good lord. He's like this is this is like end stage W end stage of his in-ring career WCW Rick Rude, but more cut. Yeah. He is big. Holy shit. I mean, everyone here should be thankful for their steroid stacks, because they are huge, though. Yeah. This is like peak, peaking here. I'm thankful. That was Rick Rude blowing a kiss at the... Yeah. To be clear. Well, because I ate Ricky Rude. I am thankful <laughs> for being the world's smartest man. That's all you're thankful for? Nothing, nothing else that you're gifted with, or anything like that? Okay. I'm thankful for being absolutely perfect. Yeah, we're thankful for having Sonny stuffing an out turkey tonight! Actually sounds like I'm thankful for good. spending Thanksgiving with all the members of the Heenan family. Thanks for giving every day, but especially this day, as the Warriors give me the intention to deliver the power at Survivor Series, it is going to be a war! The Survivor Series! 
Oh, and we should hear Vince, too. Warriors peak Barbara Mandrell hair here, too. Yeah. It's a Thanksgiving night tradition. The ultimate in team competition with Team Captain's Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant. Join fellow members, the Anvil, Jim Neidhart, along with Haku, as they join the Rockers and the Brain Busters. It's the Ultimate Warriors against the Heenan family. The graphic says Heenan's family. Yeah. But also, uh, but... Uh, also, Andre's mud and chops here should have their own zip code. Yeah, but there's Tully. Also, uh, this is during the second Bread and Nightheart uh, singles run. Yes. Team Captains Rowdy Roddy Piper and Ravishing Rick Rude join fellow members Superfly Jimmy Snuka and Mr. Perfect along with the Bushwhackers and the Fabulous Rougeos. It's Roddy's Rowdies against Rude's Rude. Team Captains Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Macho King Randy. What a picture of Duggan. Yeah. I can tell you were laughing before I even said that. Yeah. <laughs> Savage, join fellow members Rugged Ronnie Garvin and Greg the Hammer Valentine, along with Bret Hart, along with Dino Bravo, Hercules, and the Earthquake. It's the 4 5 Oh, that, that didn't sound dubbed in at all. No, it did not, did it? <laughs> but clearly it aired this way, so they did change this for the intro, at least. Yeah. Well, I guess that's your sub. Yeah. How late is this? They don't have him just revoice over the whole thing, though. I don't know. I'm busy, goddammit. Rick Martel, Vito Santana, the Hockey Talk Man. It's the Dream Team versus the Enforcers. Team Captain Hulk Hogan and Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase join fellow members Jake the Snake Roberts and Also, I just noticed, and I forgot this thing existed. This is from the DVD box set because it has the logo bug at a time that did not exist. Yeah. I completely forgot they did a Survivor Series box set. I re- and this this is also in Rosemont Horizon, Chicago, where Survivor Series this year is in Chicago. Yes, yes. For Survivor, Survivor, for Survivor Series, not at the Richfield Coliseum. Yes. All right, so uh, as we were saying, um, so... Yeah, I'll just see if we can see Dusty bleeding in the background. We don't need to hear it or anything. All right, the King's Court, Macho, Earthquake, Dino, and Valentine defeated the 4x4s, Doug and Brett, Garvin, and Hercules, 23-25. You knew things were bad when the faces were out were two were four 2x4s and were throwing them back and forth about two feet apart and were dropping them. Earthquake squash Hercules when the first fall through fifty seven. Hercules used to be good. He hasn't been good for years. But in recent weeks he's been so bad you wouldn't have thought it would be conceivable he once was a good wrestler. He was one of the worst guys on the show aside from the freaks who had no business in the ring to begin with. One of the two pos 
Big, two big pops of the bout was just for the finish with the second fall when Garvin Valentine traded hard chops for a few seconds, but Doug, Doug and Clothesline Valentine for the second fall in 335. The biggest pop came next when Savage and Brett tagged in with each other. Although they were their best on their respective teams, the action when they got in was just okay since Brett was 100%. After 30 seconds, the pop was already gone. Dino pinned Garvin for the third fall to side slam in 345. After Brett missed the tackle in the corner, Dino gave him a shoulder breaker. Savage got a fall to the elbow, dropped off the top rope in 749. Brett was in, got pounded on almost the entire fall. This left Duggan with Savage and Earthquake and Bravo. Duggan was holding his own until Sherry pulled down the roads and Duggan trying to rebound off over the top rope and counted out for a cheap finish in 419. Duggan hit the remaining heels with his 2 by 4 after the match, star and a half. Okay, this was whatever. Um, I pulled up the Dusty thing. Holy exaggeration from Dave. Dusty very obviously just got a slight hard way cut. Yeah, he didn't blade. No, why does Dave think he bladed? There's barely. If this is Dusty Rhodes. If he was blading, it would not look like this. It would not be a yeah. small trickle. Yes. That's, man. That's how it. Like, I, I feel like sometimes you hear Dave talk about Dusty these days, and you get the impression that maybe they were they had more of a relationship and as friends and stuff earlier than we realize. This to me feels like. Just an extension of, like, what would be the Dustin stuff later of, like, Dusty being too in Dave and the other Sheikai's head. Because, like, how do you see this and get the idea, oh, he bladed and he must have a lot of power to get permission to blade for this tiny, tiny, tiny trickle that he very obviously did not do on his own? Yeah. I can't think of any other reason for it other than the usual Dusty newsletter bullshit. Yeah. At least he's not using it as an insult. Oh, maybe, he, like, at least it's not, oh, maybe he bladed against Vince's orders or anything, you know? So that's an improvement, I guess. Local maniacs, Hulk Hogan, Jake Robertson, Demolition, beat the Million Dollar Team, Teddy DiBiase, Zeus, and the Powers of Pain in 2732. Hogan started with Zeus, a stew from a. Aside from non-sale, shorter block, they did nothing for 202, which is a lot better action than when they actually try to do something. Zeus doesn't even not sell well. A few tackles and punches that Zeus didn't sell. Then by some by Hogan and Zeus starts to choke and then gets DQ quickly in 321. It was best for all concerned to get the guy out of there but fast, but it looks so cheap. There was virtually no heat for the next 20 minutes because of this. The quietest I ever heard a crowd during a Hogan match, Dave said. Second fall went 629 when Warlord pin Axe when Fuji tripped Axe off the top rope. The work was adequate, but the lack of heat made it seem boring, and it was getting painful to watch by the third fall. Barbarian pin Smash with a flying clothes on his top rope. After Smash gave DiBiase a hot shot, but missed seeing DiBiase tag out. One of the only creative finishes to fall for the entire night, time 352. This left Hogan and Jake with the powers of pain and DiBiase. Jake was in getting pounded with four minutes till Hogan finally tied in. But 609 got caught with a stuff pile driving the ref DQ both members of Powers Paint for this. DiBiase then put Hogan in the sleeper hole for two minutes, which eventually did get the crowd going. Hogan finally tagged in Jake, and Virgil came from inside to the dressing room. Jake gave Virgil the DDT, but DiBiase immediately gave Jake a fist drop and pinned him using the ropes in four minutes. DiBiase just shoved Virgil out of the ring apron into the floor and went to work on Hogan. The match, which was a dud for the first 20 minutes, got exciting at this point. Finish saw Hogan not sell back suplex, do the Superman bit with a boot to the face, led drop for the pin in 341. 
Booking this match with the exception of one fall was so predictable and uncreative and no heat until the hot finish, two stars. I mean, Zeus, you kind of, I mean, like they said, you got to get him out of there. But, yeah, I mean, this, it's just by the book. I mean, like, just nothing there. But, you know, that's the thing. Sometimes that's not bad. I mean, I understand what Dave's saying, but being predictable is not bad at times. No, I mean, if it's if, logical, if it makes it's fine. Yeah. yeah, and there's nothing here that's not illogical, really. So Now, having said that, I feel like what Dave's saying here is really more just a symptom of the degree to which this show feels like a filler show in a way that no WWF pay-per-view has yet. Yeah. Like the year before had some disappointing elements, but that was well. There's no hot the angle. There's no hot angle at this time period. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Zeus has cooled off. Like at the year before had some weaknesses, but a lot of well, that was the injuries and the late replacements and all that. What well, year before you had Hogan and Savage against you know the Twin Towers? Well, I mean, and you had uh, Demolition Powers of Pain too. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no Hogan's, I mean, Hogan's a champion, but he doesn't have a program. Yeah. Um, Warriors IC champion. He's just now starting a program with Bravo and Earthquake. 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 Um, but you know, DiBiase, and, DiBiase and Hogan's not really a program. It's, DiBiase, it's Hogan and Zeus. It's DiBiase but, being there with Zeus because Savage has something else to do. But here we go. But here's the, here's the thing here, though. All right. So we get this. Before an admission interview in Hogan and BK about the baby match with Zeus and Savage should be taped by them on December 12th in Nashville, December 13th in Huntsville. They believe it's definitely not live since Hogan's wrestling Kurt Henning in Los Angeles at the same time the baby will be on the air. Anyway, Sherry Martell came out and threw powder in both guys' eyes, and Savage and Zeus came up with a bunch of faces and heels, some of whom weren't even on the card, broke it up, very stage-looking. Well, that's obviously after this, because here's Savage and Zeus with Sean Mooney. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's Macho King, Sherry, and Zeus. I think we have to yeah. play this, right? Yeah. Doesn't look too insane by standards of this build, but let's see. Macho King, Randy Savage, after the victory tonight, your thoughts must be on Wednesday night. By the way, I love the original Macho King trunks. Yeah, this is like one of the very last times he wore him because he was before eighty nine was over with. He was in the long long boys. I think he's in the long boys at Old Spark, right? I think so. Yeah. But yeah, this look that ends up being the look on the uh, Macho King action figure, just with the the purple and everything. It just it as as much as I love the over the topness and how much the Macho King and Queen Cherry gimmick worked. The the best of Macho King is this early period. There's other good stuff after, but like this is the peak of his powers as the Macho King. Do you agree with that? Yeah. December 27th, the movie, No Holds Barred, then the match. You'll need Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake inside a steel cage team with the human wrecking machine. Zeus, a man you've had control problems with. 
Control problems? I'm not worried about control problems. What they did to Zeus in that squared circle a little while ago, man, I love it. Yeah, because in that big steel cage, 15 foot high around the ring, there are no holds barred. So the fact that I can't control the human wrecking machine, I love it. Yeah, Zeus has been chosen by the scepter, yeah, to get rid of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. The end of the road, big 15 foot high steel cage, no holds barred, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake, you're guilty by association, so you must fall also, yeah. I'm talking, this is it. This is the end of the road, Hulk Hogan. This is the time that you don't escape. We got you there. That's all that matters. And we'll take you to the bank. We're not going to quit until this man gets rid of Hulk Hogan, yeah. Do you understand that, Hulk Hogan? Say goodbye to all the Hulkamaniacs, yeah. Chosen by the scepter, Zeus. Let's, let's go to Mean Gene Okerlund. Yes. All right, we're back in the locker room with me right now. Brutus the Barber Beefcake celebrating the Survivor Series victory for Hulk Hogan. Gentlemen, it's going to be a no-holds-barred Christmas Wednesday, December the 27th, in a 15-foot-high steel cage. You two are going to be facing the human wrecking machine, Zeus, and, of course, the macho king, Randy Savage, in a steel cage, Brutus. Hey, well, cut my legs off and call us both shorty, brother. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Pull his team through. They're survivors. The Hulksters, brother, the maniacs. We prove that we're survivors. But on this no-holds-barred Christmas, brother, I just want all the maniacs to know that it's different than any other cage match in the WWF. We're going out to win this match in this 15-foot-high, 15-foot-wide steel-tempered cage. But we're also going out there, Barber, to put those two, the Macho King and the Zeus, out of the WWF. But after what went down out there tonight, Bruce, it doesn't seem like this might be our kind of match, brother. The way the human wrecking machine was choking me down, the way he went crazy, the way he was pushing his own team around, it looked like he could manhandle anybody in the arena. That's why, Brutus, you're going to have to keep the steel-tempered clippers close by the cage, brother. I saw a little chink in the armor tonight, Brutus. Well, you know something? That Zeus, he was out of control, me, Gene. I saw him trying to virtually rip the, the head Right from the Hawk's shoulders. Oh, he God. tried to tear his head. Oh, wait a minute. Right off. Just what a second. What's he doing? You're the survivor. And you big cake. What are you going to do I'm when there's man. no holes? Bark. She threw the powder straight up in the air. But <laughs> it got on their face. Also, I like Beefcake pretending he couldn't see her. Yes. When he very obviously could. Yes. Man. No holes! Bark! Oh, 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 what was that? Look out, it's pandemonium in the locker room! I love it! I don't believe this! Let's get some guys in there! Let's get some control! Let's get some security! Why did Dino Bravo run in with the baby faces to pull this apart? Well, there's Zeus. No, but to pull Zeus and Savage off of... Uh, like, watch. It's all baby faces and Dino... Or is that Ron Garvin? No, that's Dino Bravo. Yeah, it's Bravo. Terry Taylor's like he's trying to fuck him. And there's Savage and Zeus. Okay, watch. 
Watch how everyone else that comes in is a baby face. Let's get some. Okay, dude, we got Bravo, Terry Taylor, Barry Horowitz. I mean, he's a job guy. Is that? <laughs> he's saying butts on the show. Show okay, butt. But still. Let's get some. Bret Hart. Control. Let's get some security. Hercules. Well, I think Roman. No hold bars on Thanksgiving. There's Greg the Hammer. Okay, so now we do have another heel. Okay. There's Tugboat, who's not booked on the show behind Hammer. <laughs> is he even Tugboat yet, or is he Tugboat Thomas? Yeah, he's Tugboat Thomas. Thomas. Is he ever actually on TV as Tugboat Thomas? Yes. Okay. It's just beginning! The Survivor Series continues! Team Captain's Ultimate... Okay. So it was... So if you want any idea of how lame duck this show was, I mean, this show was building up the No Holds Bar pay-per-view. Well, basically. better that than uh, Leonard Lalonde. Well, yeah, there's that. There is that. Yeah. Oh, and not only that, is the more, the more expensive pay-per-view is building up the cheaper pay-per-view. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. The Rude Brood, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, and the Rougeos defeated Roddy's Rowdies. Roddy snuck in the Bushwhackers in 21-27. Snuck up in Jacques with a nice two-fly splash off top rope in 401. Piper pinned Raymond after Pile Jarrow in 329. Perfect pinned Butch in 316, rolling reverse cradle. Rude over Luke in 128 with Rude Awakening. Henning and Snooker then battled for five minutes with Henning carrying the hot action. Finally, Piper and Rue got in together, quickly brought out of the ring for double count out 621. Piper looked a lot better here than Dave's seen him lately, but he was never in the ring for any length of time. Rude also wasn't in that much during the match. Perfect and Snooker then traded lots of exciting air falls and very little heat once Piper and Rue were out of the match. Perfect finally got the pin with the Perfect Flash 342. Snooker tried to splash Genius after the match, but Perfect pulled Genius out of the way. Three and a half stars. So. Yeah, not much going on here. Although. You know, Piper did look good in the ring for pretty much this whole run. Yeah. You know, this is the very early part of it, so Dave's a little unsure, but overall, like, whenever he has a chance, he has good matches. Ultimate Warrior, The Anvil, and The Rockers over Andre the Giant, Arn Anderson, Haku, and Bobby Heenan, seven for Tully Blanchard in 2030. Warrior closed on Andre, fell in the ring, it was counted at 27 seconds. Haku evened things up, and Nineheart after a thrust kick in 305. Haku did a thrust kick on Janani, tagged Heenan, who got a pinfall in 521. Michaels pinned Haku with a flying body press off top of him 401. Arm pinned Sean with a spine buster in 253. This seven minute portion of the match, most of which was Sean and Arm, was the hottest part of the entire card. Warrior pin Arn after a press slam after Arn and Bobby collided in 232. Heenan then ran from the ring. Warrior brought him back in. Heenan took his two patented bumps, and Warrior splashed on him for 211, three stars. This is just, it so. feels like a nothing show in a way the previous two did not. It's a setup for No no Holds Bar. Yes. Um, okay, let's, let's he- hear the intros of Heenan family, at least, and see... Why? If I just curious if there's any even a faint acknowledgement of Tully here. Let's go to Howard Franco. Introducing to you in the ring at this time, the Heenan family. Captain by Andre the Giant. 
Cena doing Haku. a wrestling gear. Arn Anderson. And Bobby the Brain. What, what is he doing in his wrestling tights? I don't know. Is he crazy or what? I told you, Monsoon, there was dissension. I told you there was problems. Apparently, Heenan wants to get into the ring and take care of business himself so that he doesn't have these problems anymore. That could be the biggest mistake of his career. Hey, it's a gutsy move. I think it's a stupid move. So they acknowledge he is a replacement, in a manner of speaking. Yeah. So there is that. Also, I forgot that Nightheart and Bread already have and both use the music at this point. Among those backstage as potential late replacements, there may have been other issues, were Barry Orwitz, Sam Houston, Tubboat Thomas, and Mark Young. They believe that Boris Zukov pinned Paul Roma in the warm-up match live. Well, if you want even more evidence this was kind of a Lando show, two nights later was Saturday Night's main event. Hey, wait a second. E- yeah, wait a second. Should the, I be opening this up on the network? Easily one of the worst ones of recent memory. Dave's tape ran out during the last match. He missed the third fall. The Rockers won. Here's how it went. Anabolic Warrior pinned Andre the Giant by D. Well, pinned him. Beat him by DQ on 747 due to interference of Heenan and IC Tata match. Just by every move, either guy did look bad, but still, he, Dave was still, still giving things as it could have been worse. When you consider how long they've been working together, you'd think the timing would look better, but then when you consider the talent in the ring, just having both guys live through the match makes it a success. Heenan grabbed the bell, hit the Warrior, but Warrior and Heenan first picked him up for the press slam, but couldn't get him up, and he and Andre, negative half a star. Um, you're about to get your understanding why Tully Blanchard was not mentioned on this show. Hulk Hogan kept the WF title, losing by counting to the genius. One sided early. Papa went on the ring, pretending Mathematica could figure out how to beat Hogan and hit him with a few moves. Mainly Genius pranced around doing his gay act to stall most of the way. Perfect came out four minutes deep and stuck gum on the belt, which was the extent of the so called hot angle. Genius posted Hogan twice, and they were some of the weakest post shots ever. Then he did a backflip press, but Hogan kicked out and did the Superman comeback. Hogan threw Genius on the top rope and they brought it on the ring. Hogan threw Genius back in as he was trying to get in. Henning hit Hogan with the title belt, and Hogan was counting out 744. Henning and Papa left for the title belt. What did their TV was Hogan going back, beating up both Henning and Papa, getting the belt back, and doing the poser routine to make the fans happy at the show. Smart didn't air it on TV, as that would have killed the whole angle. Star and a half. Wait, We're not going to play this. The, oh, wait, so this is the genius match, though? This is the genius match, which is one of my favorite Hogan matches. And the of angle all time. with the beating up the belt, right? It's the gum gum on the oh, belt. Oh, no, it's the gum on the belt. Wait, so, wait, which which Saturday's main event is destroying the belt, then? Uh, I mean, Dave doesn't mention it here. He just says, hitting hey, Hogan with the belt and left with the belt. Okay. Um, I mean, also, since it's us covering a Saturday night's main event, do we want to play the opening promos? I guess. I mean, we always do, so. I did a giant! You better remember, Jack and the Beanstalk, for tonight, I am going to chop you down to size! Also, both from the same program on the two shows, 48 hours apart. Or airing 48 hours apart. Fairy tales. Grow up, warrior. This is no fairy tale. This is over seven feet tall, over 500 pounds of cold, hard reality. (laughs) 
ultimate warrior. It happens once at a time. You were the champion. No more. I will take the bell. After Andre the Giant gets the belt back for the Heenan family, he's going to send the ultimate warrior to the land of Nod, where you can live happily ever after. A loser, just like you are. <laughs> yeah, Daddy, that's the rule of the common man. Oh, I'm so proud that I'm teaching that boss man a lesson in a Mac. I'm going to teach him that justice is a lady, not a stick. <laughs> not tough. I'm going to teach him even that justice is blind, not stupid or mean. Justice is for all the people, daddy. Woo! Common man. Dusty Rose is a common thief. He stole the law enforcement equipment of the finest American crime fighter since dun -dun 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 -dun. Batman, daddy. Yeah, and if that Joker Rose starts to get funny, I'm gonna let the bat deliver the punchline. Pay attention to me, I'm the genius, a poet, a wrestler, and more. I'm the wisest man since the world began, a glow with credentials galore. Tonight, I'm alone with Hulk Hogan. He's quite a bit larger than me. But that doesn't matter, his head is much fatter. His belt would look splendid on me. You know, genius, tonight we're going to find out just how smart you really are when you try to solve the problem that Einstein, Socrates, and Plato couldn't solve. What you're going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? Okay. Just saying the same without obsession but i mean at this ahead. point that they, they actually have changed the song this is how it is i know i know i know that but i'm just saying just saying no, I, I agree obsession was better now but we do get the intro though the classic intro okay so you have a pay-per-view with eight-man tags and by the way jeff jesse and vince in front of the green screen comes off so much or is this a green screen i think it's the green screen but it looks as by WWF green screen standards go, it looks decent for this era. But like, well, it's not. Well, it's Dick Ebersol. Oh, you think they're not shooting this at uh, Titan Tower? No, but or it's, wherever it was. No, it, but it's Dick, a Dick Ebersol production. They're produ different producers. Yeah. Um. Okay. On Thursday, on pay per view, we have Warrior Andre and Bossman Dusty. As featured issues in eight man elimination tags. Two nights later, on free network television, we have them in singles, one of which is a title match. And mm -hmm. we also have Hogan in a WWF title match, albeit as part of a different program, on the same show. Mm hmm. Unless I really want to see Hogan and Zeus, why am I buying that pay per view? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> why are why are the, why is this booked this way though? Why are we not getting different stuff on this Saturday night's main event? I don't know what to tell you on that one. I mean, it's you're with me on this though, right? Like they should have booked this show differently. Yeah, yeah. It seems like they were disappointed by the pay per view number, right? Kinda. So I just can't think of any other time they did this. There were. There were some weird latter-day latter Saturday Night's main events, but nothing like two days after the pay-per-view with two of the same programs. 
Yeah. So that's strange. Um, I guess, do we want to also see uh, Hogan making his comeback on the genius and all that or not? Well, that doesn't, re- you know what, that doesn't really translate well to audio, geniuses' reactions and stuff, so. No reason, but, I guess. But this is one of my favorite Hogan matches. It's um, different, yeah. Yeah, because genius is just full on doing his shit. I mean, so much. The whole thing with the map problem and all that stuff, and Hogan pretending to, I mean, Hogan clapping for him and stuff. G, uh, Hogan doing his genius dance around the ring. It's a fucking, it's it's a fucking like a Memphis style match, basically. In a well, lot this of is ways. the best part when Hogan hooks up, hooks up. I'm a warrior, I guess. And it hooks up, and Genius's reaction is basically to be like, oh my god! There it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this stuff, yeah, this is a, it's a total bullshit Jesus match. Christ, that was a bump. It's great, because uh, Hogan's playing, he's, he's against a different type of opponent here, and it's just, it works differently, as Genius is getting his shit in, and he just outsmart Hogan, and Hogan get frustrated and all this other stuff. It's just a different type of Hogan match. Yeah, both are very good in in their characters here. Yes. All right. Um. So we have Hogan Genius, Dusty Rhodes and Big Boss Man four forty seven one of the worst network matches of all time. This was the worst Dave's ever seen Dusty look, which is saying a mouthful. Dusty won with a totally botched up credit from behind. You have to bend down to a cradle, don't you? As Bossman waited for Slick to give him the nightstick, Slick was arguing ringside with a woman who is now a woman who's now Dusty's manager. There was an angle shot on television earlier in the week, negative half a star. So of course that's Sapphire. Okay, I'm curious to see this botched cradle though. <laughs> Dusty does look bad, so to speak. Oh wait, that was that the finish? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's see. Oops, sorry. Up now, Bossman asking for the Billy Club, and Joe Jackie with a fan as a slickster. Yeah, that was. I mean, I've seen Dusty do a cradle like that before, but you can tell they thought it was messed up because of the way they cut, like mid move. Like, he stopped now. Bossman asking for the Billy Club, and Joe Jackie with a fan as a slickster. Random from his shoulder to him. When did they stop calling it a billy club and start calling it a nightstick when he turned? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I just, it, it, or, I, I, I just don't like remember the. Ma- I mean, I don't expect you to necessarily know off the top of your head. It was more a rhetorical question because I don't ever remember them calling it a billy club in WWF. I don't know. That's uh, it, like I said, it was really intended as more of a rhetorical question. But I do not. Ex- no, I do not expect you to know that, Chris, off the top of your head. I don't. Oh, and there's Sapphire in the ring, and oh, they're dancing, and this is a whole thing. But anyway. you sure? well, let's 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 check Vince's reaction to that. Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. 
And then then we should probably also hear what uh, Paul Worthen Taylor says. I'm sure he enjoyed this. Yeah. Let's hear. Although you would look as good in that dress, a little Hugsky, yes, for a little lady. A little Hugsky, yeah. And look at this getting down with a dream. All I gotta say, McMahon, I hope they don't start doing the bump with each other. The building could rattle apart. The dream and his lady at ringside. You have your work cut out for you tonight at the this of Mr. He was more subdued than I expected, even if he was still in get down mode. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Mean Gene, I am not one to crow about myself, but I am in the best shape of my life. Part of the plan, I expect. Exactly, Mean Gene. So, Mr. Perfect, you had best not count your chickens before they're hatched. Will the early bird get the victory? Or will he just eat crow? It's not for me to say. Vince, back to you. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Well, in a minute, Jesse Ventura is going to have something to say with uh. Mr. Perfect, so we're told, but <laughs> Rooster let him out now. Making his way to... The entrance music. And all his promos have chicken, roosters, stick in there. And he's doing the pecking with his... <sighs> And this is the battle of the two guys that are supposed to get Mr. Perfect gimmick with Kurt Henning winning out. So well, that? that's not actually what happened, though. The question is more who was going to get a big push, which, I mean, was probably going to be Henning since they wanted him for years. And just they came in at the same time and Henning got the big push and Taylor did not. Henning won in 413 in the Perfect Plex. Too short for these two and pretty much a squash, but nothing wrong. Nothing all wrong with the action, star and a half. I do want to hear what Genius says about... Uh, the uh, Red Rooster. And the ring of the moment is the, the genius whom we saw earlier holding a victory over the Hulkster, but right now he is ready to introduce Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect. That is all you need to know. Besides, I look much prettier in red. Oh. I'm sure Vince just loved that poem with how much he talked over it. Yeah. But anyway, let, let's move on to the main reason people remember this episode of Saturday Night's Main Event. Rockers beat the Brain Busters two out of three falls. So this is why Tully was not talked about on the pay-per-view as not being there. Because this is still pending. So. Dave was told this was too straight, but evidently not. Sean pinned Tully with a roll-up of 150 for t- first fall. Heenan argued with the Busters and left them, which actually created the angle where Arn's on Bay facing the NWA. Totally pinned Sean second fall when Sean did a flying head scissors, but Anderson was out of the ring, pulled him down throw first on the top rope 214. Didn't see the third fall, but so he won't rate the match. However, it was one excellent spot after another for what Dave saw both teams look great. Only the comment is the fake crowd noise, the teeny sound and can-sounding boos when the heels had the advantage. In fact, it sounded like 70% of the soundtrack was canned. It was more obvious here than in other recent shows. So, yeah, for all you folks complaining about how it is today, there you go. Well, it hasn't been that bad lately. No, I think they, since Vince is gone, they've kind of really toned it down. Uh, Matt Watch has uh, stories on the main event. Two stories being passed as to why Tully and Arm were not shown losing two straight falls on Saturday Night Main Event, as we were told what happened in Topeka. One of the match shown was actually from Wichita, which was a Titan story. 
Another second fall was edited in. While some shots appear to have the same fans at ringside, others appeared to have different banners hanging. Whatever, it was creative. What? I guess I submit you have to watch the match and try to catch yourself when you're uh-huh. watching. Okay. Oh, and I forgot they do have they do tease dissension with the Brainbusters and Heaton at the beginning of the match too. Well, they they have been do, doing it for a while. So this is not okay. nothing new. So we have Saturday. Okay, I mean, I'll just we don't need to keep talking about it in depth while I skip ahead through this. But it's Saturday night's main event and generic WWF banners in the first fall. It looks like, right? I guess. And the fans, I mean, they're going fairly wide on hard cant. There's also a shot of Heenan looking through the curtain that appears to have been, that is so close up that it doesn't seem like it was done during the taping. But I don't remember if I ever heard the story before. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Oh, did I just see a piece of a challenge banner? Uh, Or is that, no, that's the generic WWF one. Um, Oh, there's a super. Or oh, there's a challenge banner. Or no, superstars. So, which taping was that? Um, that would have been the before the Topeka one, I guess. And which one was Saturday Night's main event? Was Topeka or Wichita? <laughs> um, Topeka was superstars. Wichita was With challenge and uh, Survivor Series showdown. Yeah. Okay, so this is... If it's Superstars, it's theoretically the correct taping. That's Saturday Night's Main Event. Okay. But... So here's the thing, though. They're leaving. Why would you edit in... Other than that they had time issues they needed to fill in time, why would you add in a second fall they won instead of having them lose two straight? Who knows? Oh, wait. I was already on the third fall. Uh, That's just such a weird... I'm trying to think if they are... Uh, they ever did anything like this where it was this like this substantial though where they were like adding to a match as, and like uh, I feel like we heard about WCW doing it in the same match more than with uh, WWF you know what I mean uh, yeah. it looks the building no but I just saw the superstars banner so this uh, is it possible they just got the but they're hearing from within WWF too this is just weird. Like, it would be one thing if it was just that they got a bad report, but they're actually hearing stuff about this. So, I'd love to know more about this. Well, wait, or no, but the Mitch match was from Wit. I, I give up. Whatever. <laughs> the ma- well, it obviously wasn't from Wichita, though. So who, why in Titan, who in Titan is telling them it happened in Wichita? Let's move on before our heads explode. Saturday Avenger 8.7 rating 24 share, which is about a point lower than the previous shows this season had done. So. 24 share, so basically just sort of one in four people watching TV at that time in the late night time slot are watching Saturday Night's main event. But it's lower rating, though. Yeah, and uh, let me see, do we have our detailed ratings? Okay, we do not. Uh, that a friend of ours has been getting more detailed information about some of these, but they do not have for that show yet. But, I mean, it's still, I mean, okay, that's a point lower than previous shows in the season, but it's Thanksgiving weekend. I mean, who knows? They're different stuff that can factor in. All right, let's look at the house shows now for the Thanksgiving holiday. We start in Moline, 
And on November 22, November 22nd, they drew a full house of 6500. Is that what would be known as the mark of the quad or whatever these days, or is that a different building? Probably. It's probably, I don't know. Wharton Fieldhouse may still be the building at that time. But uh, Al Perez went to a draw with somebody. That's what it says. Earthquake beat Tom Rocky Stone. Macho King over Duggan. Good. Rockers over Rougeau's. Excellent. Anvil over Brooklyn Brawler. And then Root over Piper by disqualification. Then they went to St. Paul on the 22nd and drew 3,700. Not good. As Tugboat pinned Barry Horowitz. Rick Martell over Bruce Speedcake. Powers pinned over Pushwhackers. Bravo over Snooker Clean with a side slam. Perfect over Hogan by countout. Garvin over Valentine. Genius over Mark Young. Yep. And Jake the Snake over Teddy DiBiase by DQ. So you got Perfect and Hogan. Two guys that, you know, Perfect homegrown Minnesota. Hogan at AWA. 3,700 fans. That should have been a sign right there that this feud wasn't going to draw. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a red alert. And by the way, I just checked. Mark of the Quad or whatever it's called now is open in 93. So yeah, it would have been Warden Fieldhouse. Field Warden Fieldhouse. So especially St. Paul not drawing with Hennig. Yeah. I mean, like, historically, what's been considered the reason this didn't draw? Well, it's because, I mean, Minnesota went down. Oh, no, I mean that feud. Oh, I mean, there's really nobody not knows. usual Hogan type opponent? Really nobody knows? I mean, really nobody has an answer to the question. I mean, he's undefeated. I mean, at this point, they haven't really heated it up yet. That's coming with the Saturday Night's main event angles. But even then, I just don't think that the casuals bought Henning as a as a guy, a Hogan guy. I guess. Which, again, though, like this is the market that match should draw best in. That's the that's on the whole both thing. guys' accounts and. Like it's honestly kind of fascinating that they didn't just cut bait right here. That's the that's the thing. I mean, it's the fact that it's this place in particular that's not drawing. It's a sign where both guys should be stronger draws than normal, even Hogan. Yeah. All right, St. Louis on the twenty fourth to forty two hundred and forty five thousand dollar gate as Martin Young beat a conquistador tugboat. Over Boris Zukov. Red Rooster went to WQ with Honky Tonk Man. Greg the Hammer over Ronnie Garvin. Bushwhackers over Rougeau's. Jake over DiBiase by DQ. And Warrior of Andre in 30 seconds. Uh-huh. Get another one of those matches. Then we get to the Capitol Center on the 25th in front of 6,000 fans. These are not good houses, folks. No. Alperez over Brooklyn Brawler. Haku and Paul Roma. Rockers went to a draw with the Heart Foundation. Three and a half stars. Macho King over Duggan, Jake the Snicker over DBI by DQ, and Tito over Bad News by Countout. Then we go to Vegas. Same night, in front of a heavily padded 3,500 fans. Tubbo over Borzukov, Hammer over Garvin, Dusty over Bossman, Bushwhackers over Rujos, Honky over Rooster, Pipe over Rue by DQ. Best match Pipe and Rue, and there's only a star and a half at best for that one. Uh, heavily padded in Vegas. I'm assuming he got at least a rough breakdown from the commission on that but uh, and if 
This next number may even be worse on some levels, even though it's the biggest one so far. Well, this is part of a double shot because they had Cap Center, you know, and then that's the matinee. And now they went to Mass Square Garden that night on the 25th in front of 8200 and $134,000 gate. Al Perez over Brooklyn Brawler, Bravo over Hercules. Tito went double count on Bad News. Jake over DiBiase by DQ. Horace went to a 20-bed draw with the Rockers. Best match in MSG since the Rockers and Brainbusters in January. About three and a half stars. Duggan over Macho came by count. I want to listen gave Duggan the purse. They shared through to Savage. And Duggan used to knock out Savage in the ring. Titan and Hood, the brother of those seven, with Elizabeth and Sherry would pat the place, but no such luck. Lots of heat, but not a lot of fans. And then it was Sherry slapping Liz and brother Bruce, keeping Liz from fighting back. Duggan ran in and chased Sherry away with brother Bruce, putting the moves on Liz. And Duggan ran back and hit him with a few, hit him with a few times with a two-by-four. Now, Hillbilly Jim, Dave, after watching the show, Dave noted the Hillbilly Jim had the quote of the week. Wait, this is Dave? What? This is not uh, this is Dave. Matt Watch. Okay. No, this is Dave. It was Matt Watch that had the symbol. What a match, Gorilla. How long did they go? 30? 45 minutes? Gorilla. The match had a 20-minute time limit, Hillbilly. Well, that was the fastest 20 minutes I've ever seen. What a match, Gorilla. And then Dave's actually about, it was about three and three-quarter stars. Best match in several months. And with the exception of that match, the last show, MSG show, was every bit as bad as the one the previous month. Hercules versus Bravo rival Hercules versus Akeem in the worst match category. Also, we need to note, this is coming off of a run where they didn't run the garden for months because of the renovations. The one thing about WF at this time is they're not ha- there's not really good wrestling in WF this time. It's just not. And there had been earlier in the year. Yes. But the programs they're booking are just not good for the most part. Yeah, it's not clicking. It's not clicking as far as in-ring. And obviously not clicking at the house shows either. Oh, wait, they, okay, they were only off August at MSG, or, no, excuse me, I was searching for MSG Network. So they were off, so MSG was vacant because they ran in April, then Meadowlands was on MSG Network in May, Nassau was on MSG in June, Nassau again in July, and then back in September. And now September sold out, not being there for, you know, three, four months. Um, uh, and then wait, so September was with what on top? September had Warrior Andre, which actually went almost 10 minutes, had Demolition Brainbusters, had a Valentine Garvin match, was obviously not in a drawing position, and Rude Piper, though, but still a fairly loaded top half of the card by the standards of the three house show crews at the time. So then October was 16,000. With, what do we have here? Warrior Andre in seconds, which, you know, the the fans don't know coming in. Uh, Duggan Savage and not much else. And I'm guessing the weak, weak card maybe hurt the return business. And then they come back here with 8,200 for this. December, they rebound with 13.5 for, let's see, what do we have? Colossal Connection Demolition. And Jake Tibiasi, is that it? Yeah, those are the big matches on that show. <laughs> huh. Oh, and Piper Rude Cage. Sorry. So they rebounded decent. I mean, that was a that was a very well built match and feud too. 
Yeah. So it makes sense that they would rebound with that. It's what is what this is saying too is that you know the, the two main matches on this show is Jake DiBiase and Duggan Savage, and that's not in it. You know, not going to carry the load in MSG. And as we talked about earlier, like just Savage Duggan was just not drawing regardless. Nope. I mean, honestly, I wonder if that feud would have drawn better if the king of the WWF title change was not like just a clip in an event center. You know, like I mean, it's it, possible because it's so rare that they like, did anything like that. Like, how many other times were there where there was a match at a TV taping that they handled that way? Not at a house show, but at actually at a TV taping. Yeah, I can't think of anything else. You know, it almost made it feel like weirdly inconsequential, but also it's not a hot feud either. But still, it like. I feel like it is worth mentioning that it was the kind of this outlier in terms of how they presented it. Well, regardless, it ain't clicking. Mm-mm. Then we go to Oakland. It was a disaster. WF had run Fresno earlier that day, drawn 3,000 fans. Main event saw Warrior beat Mr. Perfect. And 6,000 attendants in Oakland, but no wrestlers. Uh oh. Fresno to Oakland is a three and a half hour trip, no matter how you slice it. But holiday traffic and making the guys drive it saw none of the guys there when the card started. After sending out a jobber match, sending Warrior, who did make it somehow, must have been allowed to fly against Andre, who wasn't at Fresno, for nearly 30 minutes of what was said to be the worst match of all time. Then a 45 minute intermission, a battle royal with local guys. An attempt at a Bobby Heenan interview seven, which went over really bad. They finally canceled the rest of the show and offered either refunds or allowed you to use your stub for the November 28th show in San Francisco. Right after the announcement, seven guys showed up. San Francisco drew 7,000, but 4,000 of them were from the show the two nights earlier and getting free. Holy shit. Oh, we have more, too. HistoryWWE.com says... Earthquake, Brutus, Beefquake, and Demolition were no-shows due to being in a car accident. Yeah. Most of the talent had not yet arrived when the show started due to driving from Fresno and dealing with holiday traffic, including a 45-minute intermission Bobby Heenan interview segment designed to kill time. So the results that they have are... There's nothing here about locals. It's Sam Houston over Conquistador. This could be incomplete, of course. Coco Beware over Barry Horowitz. Mr. Perfect over Jimmy Snuka. Warrior over Andre by reverse decision. Perfect one a battle royal. Also included Rick Martel in the genius. What a mess. Why would you? Why would you? I feel like this has to be put on Ed Cohen's shoulders. Is he still there at this time? Oh, Ed Cohen was there. Well past this. Okay. I mean, it's but. They they've done that double shot before. That close with the start times though. It's usually three and eight. It's usually like three and seven thirty. So that's cutting it close. Regardless, sometimes have they ever had this issue before? Dave, first Dave, I see Dave talk about it and, and doing. You know, I, I mean, you just. It's Dave's attributed to the holiday season, too, you know, and all that stuff. So, I mean, who knows? 
Well, the 26th, though, is Sunday. People are traveling still. No, I know. I'm just I'm just giving context as far as, like, you know, this is the end of the weekend as far as... If they're coming traffic. home. Yeah. <laughs> or go... I mean, people are going back home, so... I mean, I don't know. But... <sighs> Not good, no matter how you look at it. And no. uh, the, the, the thing, the thing that sticks out to me more than anything else, is only a two-day difference in days between Oakland and San Francisco. That that was rare. Usually, they space that out a little bit. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, that's some like 1994 WrestleMania Revenge Tour stuff. Yeah, they, they, that was that's different, but. And they ran Bakersfield on uh, the 27th. Yeah. Speaking of, Daytona Beach on the 27th, 5100 as Haku beat Paul Roma, two stars. Bravo Hercules, negative two stars. Warrior of Andre in 20 seconds, dud. So imagine those two guys. They're used to working each other for 30 seconds to maybe a minute, and then they have to go up there and work 30 minutes. And then the next night, they're on the opposite side of the country. Yeah. Rockers went to a hard found, dropped a hard foundation, four and a quarter stars. Al Perez over Brooklyn Brawler, dud. Tito over Bad News by DQ, one star. Duggan over Macho by Countout, half a star. So. There are better cards you could get out of some of these wrestlers. Yeah, but even then, who knows what the matches would be like? Although it's just, it's just not really good wrestling. Is it good entertainment? So, I mean, yeah, I guess, but it's just not good wrestling. Right. Outside of Rockers, Hearts, Rockers, Rougeau's to a degree, and uh, Valentine Garvin, not much on the bone. Yeah. I mean, Jake DiBiase would have good matches, too. But... Primetime did a 3.0 on November 27th, while American did a 2.4 the previous day. So there's your TV ratings for the USA Network. Coco Ware, as mentioned earlier, has already returned to replace Tim Horner. Tim Horner went to Vincent Mann to give notice as he wanted to go back to the NWA under a mask as Captain USA. Yeah. Man told him he had a valid contract and he wasn't going to let him out of it, then suspended him without pay to make the point with others considering such a move. NWA is still hopeful of getting Horner, but it appears unlikely since Vincent seems intent on enforcing his contracts. The reason he let Blanchard Anderson go, even though they also had contracts, appears that Blanchard Anderson were going to leave, whether they had the contracts or not, and if need be, try and invalidate the contracts. McMahon instead let them go, since it was a good PR move for the rest of the guys at the time. You know, not standing in the way of a good opportunity. And that was his contracts wouldn't be challenged. Okay, here's the thing with that, though. Tim Horner should have been able to give notice based on how, how I think the contracts were back then. Because he's been in, he's been in the company for about a year. So unless he missed his window, he should have just been able to give notice before the year was up. You know, however much time he was required to give notice under the contract. Maybe he didn't know that, and they weren't gonna let him know that he could do that. Yeah, possibly, yes. <laughs> so you gotta know what you what, what you're what you're getting into. Yeah. You need to know what you sign. You need to know the, your contents of your contracts. But how about you know the subject of Tully and Arn here? Dave, obviously, I guess not knowing <laughs> what the deal was. So 
Yeah, so the Coke test was not reported yet? Nope. When does that... That really wasn't out yet? Not that not that time. No, it comes out a little bit later. Oh, it comes out, it comes out I guess, once, once he's turned down. Officially, yeah. I heard, and that's when we find it. So probably like a week or two after. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Uh, Widowmaker, Barry Windham should be back around Christmas. Well... Not, not so fast, my yeah, friend. Yeah, his father and brother get charged federally with counterfeiting around Christmas. Now we have uh, a couple of TV uh, clips to play here. Mister Perfect and uh, the Genius play a little game of horseshoes. So let's see how that goes. The Genius knows that horseshoes is a game of congregation in the union of the body and the mind. While Mister Perfect's busy making ringer after ringer. Hulk Hogan looked like one big horse behind. <laughs> I wonder if there's anything I can't do perfectly. No way. I know one thing I can do perfectly, and that's take the World Wrestling Federation Championship from you, Hulk Hogan. Why like do you look so cross-eyed there? My life, I'm a dead ringer at it. Genius. Yes. You know, genius, I am perfect in every way. You know something else? Hulk Hogan. You can't do that. So that made me think of something else. How much on the fail? How much of the failure of this feud do we put on Lanny Poffo as manager and not really being a serious manager? I was about to bring that up. The it, the, the perfect genius thing, even though it was entertaining and fun, it's not main event. No, and also like, there's something so weird about the whole perfect thing where like he's now on his second set of the same vignettes. And the thing is, it would be main event now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, something like that would be main eventing AEW. Oh boy! But it's is that was a different time and place. Wrestling was more serious. Well, and it doesn't feel like the, there's a seriousness beneath the veneer, even you know, like I feel like even like a Prince Nana. Is if we're talking AEW, like yes, is he a lot of comedy and stuff up front? But you feel like there's some evil underneath. You know what I mean? Well, we we well, I mean, I guess we'll see. You know, we'll see if they g- go with with Swerve as a main event guy. We'll see oh, if they're that going happens. to. I think they're absolutely. We'll, we'll see. Um, but with Gene, but by that point in time, they they may have him dump Nana because of that, though. If they want to keep him here, because right now they're 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 fighting about they're going to be fighting about of. of Swerve being babyface. Well, that's that happens. Yes. Um, I mean, but with Poffo, he's just this. Um, he's just this guy doing this comedy, you know, gay heel gimmick, who's supposed to be in love with Perfect. It's just, it's not. 
it's not main event in 1989. Yes. Now, do if Heenan had been with Perfect already, does it draw better? Probably. Yes. Does it draw great? Probably I mean, not. We don't, we don't know. We can't say. I think it would have helped. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have definitely hurt. It makes it more serious. That's the thing. Yeah, I know it's with WWF and it's sports entertainment, blah, blah, blah. But still, this is a different era. So... Hogan feuds were always about something. You know, it was always some type of meat on the bone. There's no this meat on the just, bone. Yeah, this perfect. is Hulk Hogan in a world title program, basically. Yeah, there's no meat on the bone. It's 84, 85 Hogan, but with vignettes. But even then, that, I mean, 84, 85 Hogan wasn't in any type of comedy feud, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, Brother Love wound up in an oversized diaper and dragged around on a robe courtesy of Roddy Piper on TV this weekend. Yeah! Let's watch that. This is going to be one of the more interesting Brother Loves, I think, Jess. You recall the last time that Rowdy Roddy Piper paid a visit to Brother Love, ravishing Rick Rude showed up. Yeah. Where, where's Brother Love? Piper likes to go on brother. What's going on? When's black? Brother Love apparently not quite ready. He has to put the, I don't know, suck his belly in and add a little bit more buttons perhaps to that vest that he almost popped open all the time. Where is he? That's not how What's going on here? Oh, he means it. Where's part. Brother Love? Okay. Don't tell me he's Brother gone forever. Love. What a tragedy that would be. Now, nah, here he comes. I don't see him. You just watch the finger. Hey. things going on there vince using the word lectern not yes. saying podium or anything but also oak you know because with yeah. vince it's always the same thing you know how, how did uh, rocky johnson tony atlas beat the wild samoans because lou albano accidentally hit was it Afa or sika Afa. Afa with a chair made of solid oak <laughs> solid oak chair that he broke over his head it gives him a gravitas. Not you, not Nevada, yeah. Although, of course, the the best one is right in the face with nothing but pure salt. 
<laughs> right in the face. <laughs> yes. That's the best call of Vince's whole career as an announcer. The uh, Fuji and Saido title went over Martel and Gurria. It's one of them. He, there's other candidates, but it's one of them. Oh, he kicked over the oak lectern. What kind of a treat? say with all the jokes Vince is making and stuff Bruce is not a large man at this time it's Vince being yeah. Vince yeah he's 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 not large no but he is not chiseled but it's but it's Vince so Vince is just doing his Vince thing and he's like and, ah Bruce is fat and they're doing a lot of angles at this time where Roddy is uh <laughs> threatening like uh st- doing the doing sexual stuff to uh brother love oh but that they had the thing on prime time during halloween where um he knocked brother love out oh, with what? uh what a, what a pumpkin or something and uh was doing like th- <laughs> kind of like making subtle like threats that he was gonna stick some up his ass yeah, that sounds like Roddy. <laughs> so now we have Brother Love in a diaper. And uh, yes, to hogtied. And, well, not exactly hogtied. Yeah, you know, la- later we've got uh, Warrior forcibly dressing him up in drag. Yes. Complete with falsies. <laughs> but you know who's probably, probably, I mean, Bruce maybe contributing to part of this too. Who knows? Well, he, does, he does say he booked that shit. So, <laughs> well, you know. Let's continue. Oh, 
seems like a lot of this stuff is just entertaining Vince. Yeah. It really does. I mean, so, I mean, well, what is, what is the, what is in that that's going to draw money for Piper Root? Like, I get to a point that you could say, okay, this is getting revenge for uh, Brother Love's role in setting him up, you know, on the previous week show or whatever it was, but... No, you're right. Like, and the, this era is really when the like Vince indulgence or the obvious Vince indulgences on TV starts. Yeah, I mean they, they've been doing the Piper Brother Love feud on TV, but Piper Brother Love isn't the feud. It's Piper and Rude. It's the feud. Yeah. Weird. It's just Should a weird. Doctor Tom is Brother Love's brother, so you could actually <laughs> do a do a match and blow it off. Well, he was too busy uh, getting ready to go to the NWA. <laughs> All right, so speaking of, let's go close out the show. A couple things from Matt Watch. Jess Ventura will be hitting the movie screens again with a film scheduled for summer release named Abraxas, which was played briefly during the Survivor Series preview show Thanksgiving night. The movie is being produced by a small independent company, Rose and Rudy Productions, and will again feature Ventura in the action adventure realm. I remember this. Abraxas. Uh, this came out in 1990. It used um, to be all over eBay, I remember back in the day. That yeah. Did, like wrestling-related VHS searches, there were always there were always a bunch of copies of Abraxas. Yeah, uh, Sven Oli Thorson was in that was in it with the uh, Jesse. Jim Belushi had a cameo in the movie. Okay. <laughs> But no, no other. He was the principal, Principal Latimer, which is the principal. He used his his role from the principal movie in this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rare, rare to have something like that happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I do remember this. I remember the rest of the magazines talking about it with a picture of Jesse as a Braxis. Rose and Rudy Productions. No idea. And to close out, speculation continues over the WrestleMania 6 main event Toronto. Many fans believe it will be the proposed mixed tag match of Hogan and Elizabeth versus Savage and Sherry. But inside sources insist that's what Tite wants everyone to think, but will instead go with Hogan and Zeus. You know, I, I, I put When I saw this, it, it started me thinking. I bet that was the original plan. I really do, because they never blow off the Hogan Zeus feud. I mean, I think if you think about it, I can see an argument where maybe they also planned the mixed tag at one point. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I mean, because they have kind of been dragging that issue out, and Liz has been around, and it hasn't been fully blown off. But here's the thing with Zeus, based on how he was booked at Survivor Series and how he's about to be booked a couple weeks later. They're already blowing him off. So at this point, there's no way it's the plan 
I mean, anymore. They never have a singles match. No, but I, I got to think if it was ever the plan, it's not the plan anymore by the end of November. It's probably not the plan after they see how much the buys of the No Holds Bar pay-per-view. I bet that's the barometer. No, but that's put like a blow-off, though. You uh, you may think that. I don't. I, but SummerSlam did well. SummerSlam is the one that really would be the real barometer. Well, that's... Yeah, but now we've done two, two pay-per-views since then. You know? I mean... I forget. Do they hint at Warrior Hogan at all before the Rumble? Nope. Not at all. That's the beginning. Yep. That's the beginning of it. Zeus is never heard from again. And they had already got the numbers back by that time from the Holes Bar. Totally they promoted that. I mean, look how much they promoted that fucking thing. Yeah. During Survivor Series. Made it seem like more of a big deal than Survivor Series. I mean, and then it comes in and flops. I forget how did you, I mean it did enough that it made money because it, it wasn't live. Doesn't matter. But it, it didn't do what they were expecting because it was the movie and the match. So it, I mean, think about this: if the movie and the match both flop, mm, that's sign. an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, there's your sign that people are tired of this. They don't want to see this. We've we we're past that window. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, oh yeah, in percentage terms, uh, and I guess this includes replays and everything, a 1.6 buy rate. Yeah, that's not good yeah. in 89. And it's terrible. And that was at what, what was it, 12.95? Yeah, it was at the re that reduced price. I mean, you get, the, you get this big match in a movie, you know, and still you... And the movie would cost you at least four bucks anyway. So... Yep, there's your sign. <laughs> and honestly, it's kind of a ripoff too that the match doesn't even go ten minutes. Yeah. Well, we it'd been interesting how that would have went. <laughs> so why did I say that? Okay, so that's a one point six. What did Survivor Series do? Curious. Uh, Survivor Series. Survivor Series. Where the hell does Jason Campbell have? How does he even have these listed now? He has changed the, this site around, and now I can't figure out where the hell Survivor Series is. That's correct. Oh, okay, no, it's the current pay-per-views are at the top. That's what it is. Okay, so Survivor Series at the higher price point uh, basically doubled it. 3.3. There you go. Well, we got what we got, and it ended up working out much better for them in the end. <laughs> so, yeah, there is a... But it is interesting reading about these mixed tag matches that's always rumored for for WrestleMania that never happened. Oh, uh, Vince and Bruno against Jesse and Danny Davis? Well, that's yes. not mixed exactly, but still. Man, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a gimmick tag. But, uh, yep. All right, well, that is it for this week. Next week on Between the Sheets... We're going to go back to 2004. TNA morale is really low. So we'll have news on that. And we have a pay-per-view to talk about. Tur uh, was it Turning Point, I guess? But uh, yeah, so we have a big pay-per-view to talk about. 
and uh, all kinds of wacky stuff going on in TNA. Um, the main event of this show is the steel cage match between uh, Six Sides of Steel with America's Most Wanted against Eli Skipper and Christopher Daniels. But we have Macho Man Randy Savage in TNA. So we're going to have that and uh, a whole lot more. Is this going to be the first time that he refused to, excuse me, the sentence he refused to take his jacket off the whole time will be read <laughs> from the notes on Between the Sheets? It's possible. And we have Brian Alvarez looking at Impact. Always a hoot. Real World Tag League, not doing good in Japan, all Japan, so we'll talk about that. Plus, New Japan has uh, their stuff going on. Noah has a big show featuring Kenny Kobashi against Mike Awesome. And uh, Zero One Max starts their first tour as Zero One Max. So we'll have that and other Japanese material. Then we got stuff from uh, Europe. We got Gerardo de Titanis and Triple A featuring uh, Conan and uh, some interesting stuff, including Rikishi being a mystery man on this show. And we got other uh, Lucha News, of course. Puerto Rico, Ring of Honor. Uh, runs a big show, and Elizabeth for the Rexplex. So we'll have news on that, which features uh, the Bobby Heenan-Jim Cornette debate, Bix. There was a debate? I don't remember that. Yes. So we have that. I was not at that uh, show. I was at the show months so, before. So if we ever and your main that. Ev- and your main event is Samoa Joe against CM Punk. So we'll have that. Oh, the third match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And other indie news, including well, we'll talk. We'll say that for the end. Um, we have Howard Stern and his crew uh, talking about China and Sean, uh, Sean Waltman's sex tape. WWE Paul Heyman fired from the booking team, so we'll have news on that. Of course, that's a big story at the time. <laughs> Triple H is promoting his book, so we'll have a. Some stuff from there, plus Raw and SmackDown. Um, some wild stuff on both shows. And uh, we got interesting house show news. And you thought the MSG attendance this week was bad? Wait till next week. <laughs> and uh, news on uh, people going developmental, The Rock. Watching uh, some stuff to get ready for a possible comeback in wrestling. But we go back to the indies as we have the end of rev pro revolution pro wrestling the end we'll talk about that and we'll have a guest for that in particular and other things as we'll be joined by our good friend taro we'll be back with us so uh, always taro great to taro <laughs> taro that was very southern just then taro will be on with us uh, next week. <laughs> Is, isn't he the big bear looking guy who's in gcw <laughs> that's that's paro okay <laughs> or perot i can't remember how the hell he says it but uh yeah taro will be with us next week on between the sheets yes to discuss the end of the original rev pro yes it's not to be confused right. with andy's <laughs> no all right well bix thanks as always you're the rock of the show and this is chris and so long from the peach state of georgia